0: Previously on Parfic Weekly. And welcome back to perfect Weekly. This is Ryan. I enjoy <laughs> long walks on the beach.
1: Hello, I'm Jen. I'm Jen. <laughs> My name is Jen. I didn't want to tell you, but
2: I wrote a smut about you. <laughs> I'm, like, feeling very... <gasps> distressed lady chi here i'm not made of stone
3: i have cats that i am throwing away Anna is in the house i'm a hat
1: rack i'm kezza hello we all use the shower to wash ourselves (laughs) i'm p.s i don't know where i thought the food came from but i never thought that there were still farms it's him it's him
4: mike mike you never say i'm mike you're going to invest invest in canadian or russian shipping all of the ice is going to melt in northern Canada and it's gonna open up new shipping
0: lanes. If Northern Canada melts, would that not flood the world and kill us all?
3: These are really stupid people. Like I have a lot to learn from these people. Boys and girls
0: There's a thing called erectile dysfunction. (laughs) Oh, my God.
5: Yeah, but
0: there's also a thing called (laughs) (laughs) called vitrificus totalis. Perfect (laughs) weekly, not only entertaining, but educational as well. (laughs) Who wants to see Hermione as a trial lawyer?
3: As
1: a tribal warrior?
4: (laughs) I was born without wisdom, teeth because I'm a higher state of human development. Hold on,
0: you are the future of mankind?
1: I've been here the whole time, but I can't remember what was just said. (laughs) Oh, my goodness! I love the fact
0: that she's Australian. Ah,
1: this is a very moment. And you're mocking my accent. I'm very, very
5: allergic to
1: cats. And my mother-in-law
5: <laughs> is evil, and she knows this. And she got a damn cat.
6: How many virgins can successfully ravage anybody?
0: He's Harry Potter. Come on. He's a skinny, <laughs> awkward kid who we think has EDs. No, 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 we don't think that. You think <laughs> Poor Bernard was struck and killed by a bolt of lightning. Okay, you guys are the ones who obviously laugh during people's funerals. I wore a really big hat.
1: Why is it yes. always me? Why is it never Chi? You never talk about cheese breasts.
0: He has his breasts are a fix, or a fixer of Perfect Weekly. I should be Harry Ginny. I write Harry Ginny. I read Harry Ginny.
1: and Harry, not really my thing.
0: Putting aside the question of sexual orientation.
1: On Saturday, September 13th, at 11:21 p.m., I fell so madly in love—you won't even believe it—with Harry Bye. Ginny. I think I just peed my pants. Please say that again. I felt something click inside of me, and the second half of my life began. She really does love them.
4: I got into a fight with a pit bull. I was hitting me over the head with a lawnmower once, and it ripped my pants off. <laughs>
0: See, you're in your underwear whacking dogs in the <laughs> Sorry, I'm so sorry.
3: Oh, come here, I'm so sorry. Come here. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just kicked my dog in
1: the head. I peeled my whole fingernail off once when I was a child. First time I ever learned what an erection was. Seriously, I remember this very distinctly.
4: This is like the Manhattan Project. Harry
0: is both a spy and a department head. George shot Justin a significant glance. i a memory and
4: everyone in the room.
3: Shalom, you have reached Puff was resident Jew. She has like a whole sound oh, system. I don't have a sound system. <laughs>
2: <laughs> she sounds a little aggravated.
3: Are you a little cranky? I swear to God, Ryan, if you ever, ever, ever make me cover a story with butt sex babies, I will kill you.
7: Neither can live one while the other survives.
4: What does that mean? How does that mean? What is to kill the other?
7: And Jen's
5: like, yeah, I like looking at female butts more, too.
3: So what? Women are beautiful. Doesn't make me gay.
4: You thought I Jen got pregnant a on a boat? I've realized in this podcast that Ryan just lies to me nonstop.
7: And no, uh, waterproof
1: Where's Rinna? I was promised Rinna. Is it me? No, I hear myself too. It must be, it must Ryan. be Ryan. I am not always yelling.
2: <laughs> As you yell. As you yell.
1: <laughs> hey, you guys, I've been, I've been wanting to tell you guys something for a long time. I'm a lesbian. It's a lemur. That was a joke. That was a joke. Hello. You keep fading, Cody. Are you walking away? No, I'm not moving at all.
4: She's swimming. You
1: sound like you are backing away from the computer. <laughs> I'm not moving at all.
4: Now you're louder.
1: Well, I told you that. I,
4: I, that was I was just seeing if it worked.
2: I can tell you exactly what it was. <laughs>
4: come on, Rena, come on. How old is your daughter?
2: She is nine.
4: So what did
1: she it? have a birthday last time she was eight?
2: She had a birthday when she was eight. Sorry, I'm just laughing at the description
3: of us. We have a duck, someone losing control of a ship, and an angry elf. What?
1: And I guess I'm angry. Yelly Mick over here.
4: You're the angry elf. You're My the
1: mom the angry elf. Why am I an angry elf? Why am I an angry elf? <laughs> I thought I was yelling.
4: Okay, I get angry, but where does elf come? <laughs> it's Christmas season.
2: You all have um, not heard yelling, obviously, because when I start yelling, let me tell you. <laughs>
1: We are waiting for Rinna. You
2: don't count, Ryan. Do I still sound like I'm at Santa's
5: workshop?
4: Let us begin.
7: A podcast quite like this One that brought us together and started its own forum list Where the hosts are all our friends All the stories told
0: by Jen Will it drive lying around the bend, Fick Weekly,
7: where the story never ends? Mm.
4: This is Michael, and I would like to welcome you all back to Potterfic Weekly.
1: I'm P.S. This is Omley And I'm
4: Cody. We're finishing up today, They Shook Hands by Death Roll. We're finishing year three, for those of you who are following along with us. At the end of this podcast, we're actually going to have a segment where we interview Death Roll. So, lots of fun stuff and it's probably going to be a very long episode. Starting off with, I guess, what did you guys think of the end of year 3? All of year 3.
1: It was interesting. I mean, um some of it See, a lot of the thing with this is that like the main plot is very similar to canon. Obviously, you have the prisoner of Azkaban plot, and I'm sure that'll go away some when you get more into the the years that diverge further. Like I'm sure Once we get past year four, it's going to be very different because you're going to have Voldemort's return and see in what ways that affects Harry's and the the Slytherins with that happening. But I think... Here, it's overall, it's very similar to canon. There's enough changes to definitely make it interesting. And there's different little details because you're dealing with different characters.
4: I was going to say, what do you guys think of Ginny? Because I, I guess at the start of this, that's the big change that Ginny bumps with the Slytherins because uh, they bribe the second years to let her sleep with See, them.
3: See, I'm not sure if it's just the kind of fix I read, but I've seen that before as a, just like a theme because... um. Stories that are more Slytherin-centric sometimes have that. You know, you have the thing of Ginny wanting to live up and be like, because she has so many older brothers, and just feeling like she's um, always kind of smothered by them and that ambition to like be more. And that's kind of what's always used as the um, rationale for her being a Slytherin. So I've actually seen that before. So it wasn't as surprising to me. And I actually kind of expected it from the first moment. I was really proud of myself. because From the first moment that she defended him in the bookstore, I kind of guessed it. And even though she didn't actually get sorted there, she's kind of like an honorary Slytherin at this point.
4: I know when I read that, I was thinking, I wonder what Jen makes of it. Because she was for... Yes, Cody, who wasn't here last week, Jim was going about how she thinks it's destined to be uh, Ginny and uh, Harry by the end of the shook hands. So. Well,
1: I definitely think... I mean, I definitely... Last week, you all know I bought Gen 2's logic on that. Like, I definitely... So did I. My Harry-Ginny shipping does extend to this fic. Like, I do hope that they get together in I think in it hand.
5: could.
3: I, th- I could see it go that way, but I don't think if there's, like, overwhelming evidence... That it could go. I mean, I think it could, but it's not, it's an option at this point, but I don't think it's like so overwhelmingly in that direction as it was in canon.
1: Oh, yeah, I don't think the evidence thus far is as strong as it was in canon, but I think that's partially because Jenny hasn't been in it as much as she was in canon.
4: If you had asked me before last week, I would have said it was going to be Blaze Harry, but Jen's long logic list has converted me. And now I read this and I think, I can see Jenny Harry winding up together here.
3: I almost don't know if, like, I—I I don't know. I'm not sure if I want Jenny Harry to end up together in this because I feel like you're just like putting Ginny in this position. You're making so many things work just to kind of fulfill a canon ship. It just seems like you're trying to make some things of canon work. It just seems like it's a little forced, that's all.
1: I don't think it's forced at all. I think it's—I well, I like the fact that if—if if, even if they um have been changed to be au, they're still comp- they're still destined to be together. I like that.
4: <laughs> <coughs> Very. Right. Well, who do you think it's in it? you have a favorite Cody? Like, I think it's most likely going to be Harry. I and- mean,
1: I'd
3: actually, I'd, pr- I'd prefer it to be Blaze Harry because, quite frankly, I think Blaze is more interesting than Ginny in this fic.
7: Mm. But,
3: um, well, just, I don't know. Ginny just seems kind of like, doesn't have much. I mean, he has just a little bit of a personality, but I don't know. I just, I, th- I would prefer Blaze Harry, but I really don't, I don't have any predictions as far as what I think
2: is going to happen. I don't think the Blaze-Harry um Harry thing is going to work out for the sole reason that that was the first kiss. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean,
1: I because- think Blaze-Harry would be weird because it would almost be like if in canon you'd had Harry Cho wind up the final ship in, say, like, Deathly Hallows, like, after he had been with Cho, and then he was with Ginny, and then he went back with Cho, you know?
2: Well, it's like, can you imagine the first person you ever kissed, like, you still in a relationship for, like, the rest of your life with them? (laughs) I know I (laughs)
4: can't. Wow, no.
2: (laughs) You know? No.
4: (laughs) I'm with you there, Emily. Uh, So
2: I think that sort of cursed the whole thing. I just, I think that was sort of the kiss of death, and that means it's not going to happen. Yeah.
4: Interesting. We can edit this out if it's not appropriate, but from what I've read of year four, I think you're right, uh, Amley.
5: Yeah.
1: Oh, uh, yeah, I can't, I'm sorry, I, I, I'm so bad. Is it, they do in this, though, don't they? They, break, they
4: break up at the end of this, yeah.
1: Okay, thank God. Okay.
4: At the very end, because he wants to just be friends. Kind of yeah, yeah. Edit it to make
1: me sound like I know. <laughs> <laughs> they do in this, break, They
4: break up at the end of this, yeah. Okay. Oh, and one thing I also really liked the early chapters, and I know it's really minor, but I really like, the uh the password being we miss kettleburn i don't know for some reason
3: <laughs> i just well, like, like, this... like you don't get to choose the password
4: <laughs> but... <laughs> I, I i think it's kind of nice that someone misses kettleburn because we don't hear anything about him. it's just like oh yeah kettleburn's gone <laughs> it's
1: like oh well they they miss kettleburn because they don't like hagrid yeah i mean their whole thing is that they're against hagrid well i think they're
3: like against him i think just think he's like pretty stupid like
1: they're definitely. I mean, they—they—they almost—they were gonna go hex him.
3: <laughs> well, yeah. I don't think they like dislike him. They're just kind of annoyed by him. Is the, the impression I got. Like,
4: <laughs> well, was the people who made the password him? who who the people who made the password weren't in Harry's ear? I, I yeah, think all the students just, just don't really care about Hagrid. They probably think he's like a bad teacher and a bit of a drunk. Well, I don't think they. He have.
3: Kind of is a bad teacher. I mean, he—he's a really nice person in canon, but he still kind of isn't the greatest teacher.
4: He is. He is. I mean, <laughs> you know. Can't argue with that. Canada. I mean
3: putting children like twelve years like my brother's eleven. And it's really weird reading like Canon again and reading this again and seeing that he and like these kids are eleven and I'm like, Wait, my younger brother my younger brother's eleven and just seeing this perspective of like trying to imagine my younger brother doing all this and it's just Exceptionally strange, but putting like 12 year olds with like animals that are very dangerous and then expect like blaming them when they don't follow directions just kind of seems, I mean, I don't know. I know
1: Thank you,
4: really I but, agree. With I you.
1: think, well, if you, I mean, I mean, he's a nice person, but not
3: the greatest teacher.
1: I know that this is, this is not Hagrid cast. I'm probably just running down tunnels to get, <laughs> to th- get different places.
2: Start the with academic seven. school year of year, of mm-hmm. year three, starting with this okay. is the sorting hat song. Okay. Okay. That cracked me up because... Do you get the
3: impression that he was just tired of writing Sorting Hat songs?
2: No, (laughs) because there is no Sorting Hat song for year three. I know. Harry misses it.
3: Yeah. That's kind of partially what I thought when I was reading canon, that J.K. really just didn't feel like writing another Sorting Hat song. I don't know.
4: In canon, he misses the Sorting year two, year three. Yeah. Uh, Does he miss it year four?
3: He gets it year four, I think. I
1: think. I think. Yeah, he does, I think.
4: But he, but he misses it year six. I can't remember if he misses it year five. No, yeah, I don't remember. Year there five? year five? Because year five year is the five house is you is the
1: point of it, because that is the when it yeah. changes the song. But yeah. does he get?
4: Does he make it year four? I don't remember how, uh, no,
1: sorting that. he out. Oh,
3: yeah. That's the year with Moody and... So that's year me. 3 is,
4: is Moody. I think it might. Oh, no, no year me. 4 is definitely Moody. Sorry, I'm confusing Moody and Mooney in my head. I meant to say Oh, I
2: okay. see. But uh, it was like for this year because we're not having the issue with Dobby and not being able to get on the platform and he's not with Ron and they're not taking the flying car and all that good jazz.
4: What's mm-hmm. year 2, isn't it in canon? No, yeah. it's year 3. The flying um, car. The flying, is ca- Dobby flying or- car
1: is definitely Chamber of Secrets.
2: Oh yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. Um, but anyway, <laughs> but there
4: isn't. But he doesn't. Hang he on
1: guys. I'm, year I'm just going to look it up real quick.
4: Awesome. <laughs>
1: Thank you. <laughs> the well. I'm looking up whether there's a sorting hat song in Goblet. Oh, I see. I see.
4: But there isn't one. Why does he miss it in Year Three
1: Because he has to it, talk to Man- McGonagall about the Dementor on the train. Yeah. Just the ah, same as
4: it is. Right. Right. Okay. Gotcha.
1: I think there is. There is one in Goblet. Okay. Just. It's just. Another plain one, presumably. <laughs> <A> plain one. <laughs> you know, obviously without talking about House Unity.
4: But it's different from year one, right?
1: Well, obviously, yeah. He
3: changes it every year because he has nothing better to do with his life. <laughs> Literally sits around for 365 days and makes up a new song.
4: Am I the only one who's, who's read all these fics about where the sorting hat's really a horcrux? Mm. I've read yes. that. Yeah. I
3: think you're the only one who's, well, I haven't read them anyway.
1: I've read some where he's a sorting hat. Oh, he's a sorting hat in night. He, I can't believe I'm calling it a he. It's a, <laughs> cat. Yeah, it's, it's, like- it, it's a sorting hat in nightmares. Oh. I mean, it's
4: Horcrux in nightmares, right? yeah. What um, did
1: I say? You said he's It's, a, a, it's, sort of it's hat. a sorting hat. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's a Horcrux in nightmares.
2: <laughs> well, it's also a sorting hat. <laughs>
1: Yeah, of course. It well, is a sorting it's, hat. It's, it's a sorting hat, and they shook hands, and it's a sorting hat in Top and <laughs> <coven> of, <laughs> Um, Power of Emotion, it's a sorting hat. And...
2: <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, so, yeah. in this, in this um, beginning of the academic school year, I, I don't know why, maybe it was just my mood, but um, this whole, like, the sorting of the new first years, the whole thing cracked me up, you know?
3: How yeah, I, I love when, this so um, when Gina Boot got sorted into Slytherin. And you can yep. just imagine the look on her older brother's face. I cannot believe this
4: happened. Oh, yeah, with the, when it's uh, she's going to be a beater, too, right? Yeah. Oh,
3: just one little note. You guys probably talked about this, but just since we're talking about sorting, what did you think about the sorting hat being able to be bribed? <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I, I wasn't sure what I thought about that.
1: I think I don't really buy it. I think yeah. the sorting I'm hat like, is...
3: It's like it doesn't really ha I, I don't know. It just seems a little weird to me, you know? I I the like, oh, we'll really- sorting hat I mean
1: and i, I will i i mean this is from very near the beginning of the fix so, and he's definitely grown as a writer since then, but it seemed like a very cheap way to force a plot device,
3: yeah, I mean, and I know that you guys already, already talked about that, but I just wanted to mention it because I hadn't been here and
1: it's, it's, it's okay, Cody. I wasn't on for that one either, so I didn't have anything to say about it. So.
2: Well, I think it's sort of interesting because, um, in fan fiction and even in the Pufflaw forums, you know, with Jules taking care of our sorting hat, um, People attribute a lot of personality to the hat. Yeah, but I don't. But yet they don't know. see
1: it as like. Yeah,
2: I don't think I see it as much in canon. There's some, but there's so much more in fandom. I don't know yeah. why. But you
1: can you can definitely give it a personality. Like I'm sure it has one, in a way.
4: <laughs> in a way.
1: But, um, I don't. I wouldn't say that really it would go as far as even what a lot of other fix do. Like I see the Sorting Hat as being like. Able to communicate, but it's it's more reserved in terms of personality. Well, like it, personally, it's personality it, it extends to. The
4: sorting. We don't really see mm-hmm. it much beyond the this. I mean, who knows? It could have it could have nice fireside. Chest the secret life Dumbledore. of the Sorting Hat. Yeah, that, you know, going to be the secret life of the Sorting Hat, where you know it, it plays checkers and chess with Dumbledore all day long. And I,
1: how would a like hat, hat? I like hat. that idea. How
3: would a hat play checkers?
4: <laughs> it, it's Girl. a pointy hat, right? It could nudge the pieces with its little <laughs> point on the end. I
3: just imagine how, like, jumping, just like nudging stuff with its brim, and just like hopping all around the table, moving the or pieces. Or maybe
4: you know, like the last like hundred headmasters have all been. uh, for the sorting hat and they're like the front men behind the sorting hat (laughs) wow yeah yeah i was gonna say but but being serious i tend to think that nine out of ten times the sorting hat's job is mostly not even really this is just my personal theory but not even to really sort people so much as to confirm where they already want to go because i look at it i i think every every kid at that age when they're what 10 or 11 roughly um they could go into any, you can make an argument that any kid has, you know, some Ravenclaw traits, some Slytherin traits, some Gryffindor and so on. Um, and really, you know, how developed are these traits? Which I think is maybe an argument of Death Row is that if you put them in a different house, they could develop totally different from age 10 on. And you look at these families, like, what are the odds that no Weasley in however many generations was ever not Gryffindorish in their traits? And no black until Sirius for all these, you know, generations was ever not a Slytherin. So I think they go in with these, like, perceptions like, I want to be in Slytherin because my family's there, or it's expected yeah. I will be in Slytherin and the hat just confirms it.
1: I think that part of the sorting hat's job is like not necessarily to sort you based on your personality or whatever is it's it's also probably it's creating classes that work, you know, or yeah. creating like that, yeah. creating, you know, house groups that are cohesive and that work.
3: Well, it seemed a little bit ridiculous to me just because, it's like, let's put all the hot-headed people in one group and together and let them only, like, mainly interact with each other. Let's put all the people who are were more liable to be sneaky or hide things in one group and have them interact with each other. Let's have all the overachievers in one group and have them interact with each other. And it just seems like you're going to get these, like, very tilted personalities. Like mm-hmm. that one part of the personality is going to overdevelop.
4: What I've read, which I think is interesting, an interesting theory, I don't know if it's true or not, that the Sorting Hat originally was almost intended as much not so much personality as like a class divider in terms of the sort of work you would be doing later on. Not to so say you have to agree, I'm not sure I agree with this, oh, but I it was an interesting, interesting. theory that it puts people... I get what you say,
3: people, I'm gonna, I get what you mean
4: though. Yeah, like all the soldiers and generals I, are like horror just, type people.
3: See, I always thought, I always actually, I've actually thought of this before, and I always thought of it as soldiers, were Hufflepuffs, generals were Gryffindors, strategy people were Ravenclaw, and spies were Slytherins.
4: That's not a complete society. If you think about what I've always what oh, I've I just
3: you were talking about I, soldiers, so I just I'd always use that analogy. Oh no,
4: what I what I've what I've heard is that the Gryffindors are supposed to be like the soldiers and the generals and the fighters. The Slytherins are supposed to be the politicians. The Ravenclaws are supposed to be sort of the bureaucracy people, and the Hufflepuffs are supposed to be the um, like the hardworking sort of artisan class is what I've heard theory as.
3: That's a a really interesting theory because it was during the time when the school was created, that was how society was set up to a large extent. Yeah. Hmm. That's Hmm. kind of actually a pretty controversial argument because Gryffindor created that, so was Gryffindor essentially perpetrating a class division, like, a class system, or was he just going along with the system that currently existed? Gryffindor, I thought
4: they all created it. They all put their stuff in the head, I thought. That's true,
3: that's true. But it was, I mean, I don't know. It just seems like it's partially tilted towards that house, just from what we've seen in the books. But it's just interesting if that was, if it was intentionally doing that, or it was just the result. Like, was that the intent or the result? I don't know. There's really no way to know, obviously. But... I always thought of this as one of those things where don't trust something if you can't see where it keeps its brain. Just the <laughs> Mr. Weasley quote. Like we don't well, we kind of concede not well actually no we can't, it's a hat. But <laughs> you know what I mean. It's we don't know who quote unquote it is, we don't know what its motivations are. So
4: Yeah, I've heard plenty of fix with a where Voldemort like imperious is the sorting hat or something like that.
3: Can you imperious an inanimate object?
4: Well, it's an intelligent inanimate object. You can imperious non humans, you can imperious uh, goblins and things, right? So
3: Yeah, but I mean can it move? Have we ever actually seen it move of its own accord? What
4: well, can in open cannon? its mouth, talk, and...
3: well, but I mean, like actually mobile, like actually walking, moving of its own accord. I mean, yeah, I get um, that. It no, it's carried to, like,
4: out. McGonagall carries it out. She doesn't. Well, want can, it, like, out. what
3: would be the good of imputing it? it? Would just like like open its mouth and like jump up and down. I feel. Well, like. Well, no,
4: the so, idea of imputing it to force it to sort students how oh, you I want, see, put I the see. best students in one house or the worst students. in one. Um. Like, but anyway, I guess getting see back to this fic. Uh, well,
3: shooting is a big part of the fic, so wasn't yeah, entirely. Oh
4: obvious. yeah, I mean, it just got a little off-topic on like sorting and hat politics. Oh
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. In this section, the part that cracked me up the most was the whole Mary Sue Richardson.
5: Yes.
4: Oh yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> 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 what kind of name is that? <laughs>
5: yeah. <laughs> I, Mary. I love reference
3: like that, and just and the thing with houses, I know I feel like it was a little too easy, but to just, like Switch House like, oh well, if your friends don't like me anymore. I'm going to go become a Slytherin and wear a Slytherin tie and.
4: Who's is it? We're talking about Ginny
3: now. Well, Ginny and Percy, to an extent. Well, okay, there's
2: two. That's two different things, though. Yeah. I I do have I mean, they're two different different things,
3: but it seems like more accepted
2: than it seemed in canon. You know what I mean? Well, here's my thing: is in the beginning of chapter three, there's this whole thing about Ginny sitting at the table wearing a green and silver tie, right? Uh But back in book two, McGonagall gave her all this crap about not wearing her red and gold tie to class, so she was just like taking it off at every opportunity. And suddenly she's wearing a green and silver tie to um, the dinner. And I was like, wait, <laughs> why was that? How, how do we go from there to there? Like, yeah. I don't know. Cause even within his own storyline, that seemed a little weird to me that death Roll made it such a big thing that she was wearing no tie. And, like you it's... Trouble, and now yeah. she's wearing a green and silver tie and that's to breakfast or dinner or whatever. And I was I... like, that seems weird.
4: Yeah, I thought what it was is that it was just off scene. They probably had something similar to when they inducted Percy, where they burn Didn't they burn all of Percy's ties when he moved yeah, in? Yeah, that
1: was. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. So, like, so
4: I, I just assumed that we just didn't have a scene for it. There it was a similar sort of thing with Ginny, where like no,
3: but later on they say that she's still a Gryffindor. She just lives with Slytherin. Slytherin.
1: Yeah, it was Percy's thing was like more um, formal for sh- because they they like tried to kill Percy. I mean, yeah. <laughs>
2: And it was it was okay, like, it was done officially, and so I'm like, okay, the thing was putting Ginny and having her unofficially be a Slytherin, um, okay, okay, I can follow it, you know, I'm not sure what I think about it, but I can like, follow I it. Like, I followed it, but it just seemed a little bit like... But for her then to start wearing the green and silver tie, I felt was too much, you know? Yeah. I just thought it was a little bit...
4: Was She's pretty much a fish, I mean... I don't know if it's like official on the paperwork, but it seems like they've give, they've accepted her. They being the teachers, have accepted her as a Slytherin by the end of um, year three. I mean, there's no really, there's no efforts to get her out. So I just imagine at some point they probably just stop. They just accepted it as like accomplished.
3: I mean, like even though even not like official, are people allowed to, for all intents and purposes, switch houses?
4: How do you stop it? It? Seems,
3: like, well, yeah, I mean, it seems like it's not done in canon, you know?
1: Well, it's not done in canon. I mean, well, well, I, mean like, I, don't I don't know. Is it not done in canon? I mean, well, this gets you on the slippery slope of is it not done in canon because we never see it, or is it not done yeah. in canon because we don't do it?
3: Yeah. um There's only no way to determine that,
4: honestly.
1: Right. I am inclined to think that... It wouldn't be done in canon.
4: I'm inclined to think it's probably like in the, like you're not supposed to, but I imagine it wouldn't shock me if it's happened a couple of times for like strange, extenuating circumstance kind of things.
3: Mm. I can actually see Percy more than I can see Jenny. Because yes. If you can say like I could see that because it was actual danger.
1: Right, well, that's why it's official. I mean, like, that's why the, um, the Ginny switch was met by, I think, more resistance from McGonagall, certainly.
4: But I think at a certain point, it comes down to, well, what, the only thing you can do is expel her. I mean, like, you know, like, if if she's, if you're punishing her and she's not changing her mind and she's just refusing to sleep in her dorm and she's refusing to, you know, go with the Gryffindors, you know, at a certain point it becomes, well, either I'm going to kick her out of the school and send her home, except that she's living with Slytherin. And I can see Ginny being the sort of person who's not going to back down and kind of go to the wall on there and, Call your bluff, kind of thing.
3: I can't remember. Did we, did we ever get the Weasley parents' reaction to Ginny de facto switching to
4: Slytherin? Not the parents, no.
3: No. I was wondering about that. Do we? We don't ever really see Mrs. Weasley. We see Arthur, kind of, but not really. I mean, we see him in the capacity of the night bus driver, but
4: yeah, we see Arthur. We see all. We've seen every. We see Mrs. Weasley when he's going on in year one, and that's the only time we see Mrs. Weasley. Yeah, that's it. And she, that that she sends, sends them. him
5: something.
4: Yeah, she sends him the pot roast or whatever it is in year two, but she isn't. We don't actually see her in year two, and I think she's the only Weasley we don't see after year one. Yeah.
2: But then again, I can see. I mean, the Weasleys are such. I mean, the parents are such. I feel so ra- bad for them. Sick. Me too. Yeah, I Arthur do feel bad Weasley. Them, yeah, but especially
5: especially I think in I terms feel bad for of Arthur.
2: in terms of their reaction um to the whole changing houses thing, I can see Mrs. Weasley being very pragmatic in terms of um you know being able to look past the whole you know well our whole family has been in Gryffindor I don't see her that way at all you know I can see her being like you know well it's just I mean like it's a house you know houses are important and and it's a good experience at um at Hogwarts but ultimately it's not a defining characteristic you know I could see her being like whatever you need to do Percy and letting it go
4: um I can see her being upset. So I think, I see her being more upset actually for Ginny than for Percy, but I see exactly. her
5: getting.
2: With Percy, I can see her being like, whatever, but I don't want, I think she would not be pleased with Ginny doing it more. Yeah. As her, like, as a parent, not that my child goes to, you know, a magical school <laughs> or anything, but, um. <laughs> that
3: I
4: know of.
2: That I know of.
4: To be the Muggle Protection Act, the Harry Potter Protection Act going on there, only.
2: Oh, can I talk about that act, by the way? No, no, let me finish that. Okay. Okay, sorry. okay, then you can. Um, but I just think that as a parent, I would be more concerned with is this a sign that my daughter is trying to act out? What other signs am I not seeing, you know, in terms yeah. of is this behavior more indicative of a larger problem, mm-hmm. you know? And so I, as a parent, I could see totally being concerned about that. And so the case of Jenny would be much more upsetting because it's sort of like, well, what else do I don't know? What else is going on? Yeah. You know? it's Especially like, following it? on
4: her kidnapping and being exactly. yeah.
2: And I mean, I think, you know, they were sort of really protective to her towards her in general. And then when, you know, the whole thing with uh, Tom Riddle's diary, it's just, you know, one more thing. And yeah. I can see her being like really worried about it. Yeah. Never mind when yeah, is- she decides to disown, you know, her brothers and everybody else and. Be like, yeah. no, I'm not one of them
3: anymore. Drama. Yeah, I don't know. Like, it reminds me of what, like in the in second year when it was not her idea, but kind of through her the, the idea to beat up Draco came, mm-hmm. and I kind of actually blame her brothers more because they were of sane mind and agreed to it. Yeah, and she was under the influence of something she could not control and didn't consciously choose to be under the influence of, really. So I'm I'm still not sure because to some extent I feel bad that they were – it wasn't their idea, but they still went along with it. Though not that – I don't feel that bad for them. (laughs) But anyway, I wanted to talk a little bit about that ministry act because (laughs) it shocked me. I was just reading that, and, and they do mention it during these chapters. But, I mean, I I see the point to it, and I see the benefit of it, but the fact that they would literally come and, like, take muggle-born children from their parents just seems horrific to me. It's unconscionable. I mean, if they can prove that there is some harm coming to them, do you think they keep some kind of tabs on these kids just because their names appear in this book at birth? I mean, not like, as close as they keep on Harry, but, I mean, you think you can, they could kind of, like, check in every couple years and pretend they're, like, social workers and just make sure everything's okay and if it's not then they can do something but you know automatically taking all muggle-borns from their parents when they're just like babies seems horrible
4: i will say i've I've now probably spent thanks to this podcast more time talking about the harry potter uh, Muggle Protection Act I've ever talked about any real piece of government legislation ever. Yeah, I don't know if that's a good or bad, but it's, it's probably <laughs> <sure>. <laughs> not to go too much, into, but to see what, what I said last week, what I think, I don't, I don't, I think it's supposed to be as the reader. I mean, I think you're supposed to be like, Oh my God, what's going on as the reader? Because clearly it's, and it's, it's a sign to us that even though Lucius does isn't as evil or he just isn't as one-dimensional as he is in canon, he's still not this lovey-dovey, nice, like Yeah, guy. like that uh, scene
3: with um, Elin, Aylin, I'm not sure how you pronounce the name,
4: Elin, like I, um, in yeah.
3: year two really threw me. because we'll,
4: he, we'll get to him here, but here, in this book, yeah. in year two, look, look what he does in this one. Uh, yeah, I know. Uh, which I guess we'll get to later, but yeah.
2: Yeah. And here's what my notes literally read. Arispancy rocks my socks.
4: Yeah. That was cool, yeah.
2: I love arithmetic so much in this fic. I can't even tell you. I, I, t- I know I talked about it a little bit last week, but we get to see a lot more of it this week, so I just had to bring that back up.
4: And I like the fact um, that it relies so heavily on muggle math. You can sa- kind of see like all the Slytherin reactions, and they hear it's muggle math, which I thought was kind of fun. And Harry's the one who does is best. Is there muggle
1: at it. math? I mean, I would think that math is math.
4: Well, I mean, math is math. But that's how they describe it, right? That's what the wizards call it, like Muggle math, don't they? At one point. Um. Doesn't
1: teacher...
4: doesn't the teacher say? Doesn't the teacher call it Muggle math or Muggle arithmetic or something like that? Yeah, they
3: do. Is yeah. it says that they only discovered it recently, and it increased the potential of the su- of the subject a lot because they incorporated Muggle math.
4: I'm not surprised wizards don't know much beyond like basic addition and subtraction because. What would they use it for? And if you think, like, what's the whole thing in, in canon year one with, a uh, Snape's thing is they have no logic or, like, common sense kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and math is all, math is almost like, you think about it, like, against the grain of a lot of other wizardry in terms of it being logical and rule-based and all this stuff. That's true. I think
2: that's a really interesting point, actually. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, a lot of his magic does seem a little counterintuitive, so. It would require a very different mindset than you would normally use when working with, you know, math and science and numbers and all that good jazz. Yeah. It reminds me of calculus and physics
3: put together, sort of. <laughs> I remember mean, tell you from calculus point last point. year.
2: And it just but, cracked me up because I was like, did we, well, I don't think, I think we never did find out the arithmetic professor's name, but the name choice cracked me up too. Vector.
1: It's Professor always, Vector. It's Vector in Yeah, Is I it? thought so. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's Vector.
2: It's Vector. That's awesome.
3: I just, that's Yeah, awesome. I, I love that too, <laughs> in context of it being, yeah. Yeah.
4: <laughs> My favorite lesson, though, to be honest, was the um, Lupin lesson. Because I thought hey, most of the bog arts were kind of um, like the same thing as from Ken, like, you know like a mummy, a clown, whatever. But I thought mm-hmm. in particular, to an extent, pansies, but in particular, Draco's, I thought was uh, real interesting. His bog
5: <laughs>
3: Yeah. Because yeah.
4: pansies is the chess piece, and we all know where that comes
3: yeah, from. Yeah, that was really interesting.
4: But Draco's being his dad in prison robes yelling, help me. I was like, oh, poor Draco. I, know yeah, he, I think his,
3: he always thinks of his father as being kind of unbreakable. Sort of, I mean, I think a lot of kids do when they're 11 or 12, but this idea of having to be in the position where you need to help your parents because they can't help themselves is a really scary thing.
1: And especially no matter for what Draco,
3: age be, you are, because and Draco, because of that are real possibility.
4: Yeah,
1: it's a real, a real possibility for him.
4: Yeah. And I think it's keeping in canon too. Like you think about, if you think about year six in canon. Like, why is he doing all of this stuff? It's because you know his, he's worried about his parents. That's like the motivation. Why is he like you know in year five? Why is he flipping out at Harry at the drop of a hat? Uh, it's because he's worried about his dad. At the yeah, end I mean, of the year, this
3: like, makes yeah. me think of like when you have really secret agents. They're not allowed to have family because. If it, whether it's a parent or a child, any family is a complete liability because your judgment is, is not going to be as objective. I mean, you saw what Lucius that, and I'm not sure how much of that you can take it as word, just being Lucius, but, um, that a lot of the reason he stayed was because he was scared for the life of his wife and his child, which is pretty much a valid fear. I mean, Voldemort wasn't one to take prisoners, so.
4: Can't leave Voldemort once you sign up. Yeah. The
3: other exactly. thing that
1: I thought was interesting speaking of the Bogart scene was that Jen Bogart is a Dementor too, and I wondered if anybody had any thoughts on that. Yeah.
3: yeah. I do. That was, yeah. That was interesting. It,
1: it seems really interesting. I almost wonder whether this is something big that Death Roll has in store for us in the future because it seems to me that for a relatively so far, more minorish character that their bogart is basically means that they don't have any fear, but fears.
3: I think we don't know that much about Jenna. I mean, we, right. all we know about her family is that her family wants to get in with the upper side of withering society, and that's sort of it.
4: Yeah, she's sarcastic. <laughs> yeah, and she didn't. She wasn't friends with them before they came to Hogwarts. She was. Yeah. She was uh, the one that was sort of outside of the little group, probably because her family's a little lower down, I guess, socially
5: speaking.
3: Yeah.
4: And let me see what. And she and she has a thing for Harry because she kisses him. So
3: yeah, as does like every female every single
4: girl. School. School. <laughs> in was. Am I allowed to give a spoiler from year four, or should I not?
3: You should probably not. Yeah, no, okay. you shouldn't. Okay. But yeah, I was just laughing so much during that chapter because so it's just like one and two and three <laughs> and wow, is this gonna stop anytime soon? But
4: poor Draco, only No one wants to kiss Draco. <laughs> Yeah. That, that was a funny one. I
3: love what's in their little group. They're like, well, if you if you don't kiss Harry, you don't kiss Tom, you don't kiss Draco, they're the ones after crab and Goyle. And they're like, huh, well. well <laughs> like, they're, like, divvying themselves up among their group. I just thought that was amusing.
4: Well, that's the pure-blood dilemma. That's why they're all inbred, I suppose.
3: I, I totally had a double-take when they were saying something, and I don't remember if it was in this or other one, where they just threw out about, you know, I'm surprised there isn't a bigger plot line about Pansy being betrothed to Draco. Like, it seems like that should be a bigger plot point than it is, and they just kind of um don't really pay much attention to it. it well, just I think little... they 13. I know that, but okay, like...
1: I think to them it's very matter of fact because that's just the kind of society they've been brought up and so to them it's not a big plot point.
4: I don't think yeah. it's binding. It you know. like, I think if they grew up and they didn't want to be together, I think they're aware of this, that it wouldn't be like forcing them. It's not like like a medieval match sort mm-hmm. of thing. Where like there's no way out, you're stuck together, kind of thing,
2: yeah, yeah, but um, I mean, Lucius does make a point that uh, uh when he's talking to Elon at one point, you know, he's like, but you know, you are expected to you know marry for blood and all that yeah. good jazz, yeah, I mean, I think they're maybe not expected to necessarily be with each other, but they are expected to make. A quote-unquote acceptable match.
4: Oh no, definitely. But I think, like, like if Draco, like, I don't know, fell in love with Blaze or Jenna or something like that, I don't think there'd be, like, you know. I'm disowning you or anything on that. Yeah, story. I mean,
1: I mean, well, that's because they're pure blood. I mean, I'm sure if yeah. if Draco fell in love with um, Hermione if she was alive.
4: <laughs> sure, no, no, I, and I agree. But I guess what I'm getting at is why they don't take the engagement so seriously. Is that might be a reason? Like, partially, it's always been there, so they take it for granted. Because it's been there since they were like five years old or whatever age they were when it happened and partly i think because it's not like a, a binding by law that yes they have to marry a pure blood or they'll like, yeah. they be health day. but if you think
1: i mean you wonder like whether this is some other kind of rule like like um i know sometimes with these things like if draco and pansy didn't want to marry each other then they would like extre- make some other kind of exchange like
4: dowry I mean? yeah
3: mm-hmm. I've, I've read things like that
1: so it's like either either way, they get whatever they were going
3: to... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Where are we in order? Are we even going in order or...? We're not really.
1: We are, um, well, we, we just did the Boggart. I don't know if there's anything... Okay, I do between.
2: have one more thought on the Boggart before yeah. we move okay. on. Um, my first thought was that the Southerns have a really more slapstick... Sense of humor. I feel like, yeah, like <laughs> then the Gryffindors did in canon. I don't know. It's a little more schadenfreuden, you know, mm-hmm. than yeah. I remembered from the Gryffindors. It just well, seems like that, we were lighting things on fire, and you know,
1: I, I think that's I mostly know. that could be mostly him.
4: <laughs> Maybe true. Oh, what did you I think mean, of the Snape Lupin showdown too? Yes.
5: Yeah. Well, even
1: that before was there...
2: Even before we get there, um, one, I think it's really interesting that in this six we see Harry having an advocate in Snape. Yeah. Because when he's in Gryffindor, I mean, McGonagall is obviously his head of house, but she's not an advocate for him in the same way that Snape is here. Yeah. Yeah. And I really think that's interesting because, I mean, that's one of those things that you see is something you see come up time and time again with fan fiction as fan fiction authors are trying to deal with the fact that Harry didn't have an advocate and trying to address that in different ways. And it's really interesting the way death Roll here is making Snape play that role. Um, and to that yes. end, when uh, Snape sort of jumps in to protect Harry, I mean, okay, he advocates it with him with Lupin, but then when uh, Harry is then um, doing Great. the whole bother thing, and uh, Snape jumps in the way to protect him. Yeah. I thought it was really fascinating to see Snape's Boggart. I thought mm. that was really great. Um, which, if you don't remember, was a werewolf. Yeah. and, which, which, and- which I, I've read that scene like- in a lot
3: of other fics before that he's he's terrified of werewolves obviously because of his experience with them. Mm-hmm. But That's um, an interesting thing in, in the dynamic between him and Lupin. Yes. Just being like terrified of him and yet angry at him. It's just an interesting dynamic.
4: I think you see him also pulling for Harry a little bit, like not to skip ahead, but <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm reading Ryan's Skype to us. What? Uh, what? She's the third person the tallest is at 2020. He's doing a piece on male tomorrow. Wait, what? Um,
1: what? Are you serious? Yeah, Wait, look, open this?
4: your Skype window. I know, I know. What
1: I'm saying is Ryan. Dying?
4: Yeah, because she- I've had two other people sending me this message. Oh in the last Three minutes.
1: I just googled. I just went to the 2020 website.
4: That's Wayne exciting. Wayne sent me an instant message too, saying they're doing it, and uh, someone else.
1: He is second. It's he's had two kids.
2: Oh, that is hilarious.
4: Blah. <laughs> Blah. <laughs> Sorry, we're really bad <laughs> at
1: tangents.
2: You're breaking Mike.
4: I <laughs> Mike. Know, I, go for it. I don't care. do we are doing it
3: for fun? Hmm? What's that? Never mind. Are You saying you're break like we're driving Mike crazy and. Never mind.
4: I think it's uh, fun to drive me crazy. Exactly. Crazy PS. Always up Mister. Um
2: What did so- you all I think just, of?
1: Just, never mind. No,
2: no, I, just, no, I totally want you to ahead. jump in because I keep, I'm going to monopolize it. If I'm you don't. just
1: going to talk about EmPreg.
5: Oh,
4: no.
2: Okay, you talk about preg first, and then we'll get on with the pick.
4: Get it out of your system, I guess.
1: I was just going to say that I, I love how Mpreg has this... Like, nothing else breaks Mike quite like Mpreg. Even Hermione <laughs> burning the map doesn't get Mike. Oh, favorite. please don't <laughs> get into that. <laughs> I, my-
4: I would rather see Harry get impregnated than see Hermione burn the map.
1: Okay, I can make your wish come true.
4: <laughs> because you know why? Uh, actually, no, I'm going to bite my tongue. I won't get into one. Thank but you. I, no, i no. you know, fall
2: to my head again at moment.
4: Um, anyway.
0: Okay,
2: you want me to go back to the fic now?
4: Yes, yeah, I, I, I was just about to say um, what I what I like that Death Deathroll does here is, is and maybe Ami um, and Cody, who have also read a lot of Slytherinish sort of fix, can chime in. But that it's very rare when I read a Slytherin sort of fic, whether it's Harry in Slytherin or Harry's friends with Draco, whatever it is, that it's either Snape is like his father figure, his best friend, something like that, or Snape mm-hmm. is like this distant I hate you kind of guy. And it's very rare where you see a Snape who's you know likes Harry somewhat. You know, advocates for Harry, but it's a teacher-student relationship that's still distant and it's not like they're having tea every night, chatting, kind of thing.
3: Yeah, that I actually noticed that as well because, I, as I said, I've read a lot of that kind of fic. Um, and you usually do have one of those two sides. And I think what we have normally is we either have Snape as petulant in the way we see him in canon and not really being an adult or we have him being an adult but being not a teacher, more like, as Mike said, a parent. And this is the only time we, oh not only time, but one of the rare times we see him as an adult and actually as a teacher, which is an interesting thing to see because we, again, haven't gotten that that dynamic before in canon. He didn't really have any advocate. I mean, you could make a case for Lupin, but I think Lupin had so many of his own issues to deal with that he really couldn't deal with any of Harry's. Mm -hmm. So just seeing how the effect of having a teacher figure, not necessarily a father figure, a teacher figure advocating for him and making it distant enough that he doesn't rely on the teacher. But yet he knows that he has some kind of protection. is interesting to see how that plays off his
4: personality.
2: In terms of Chapter 8, goodness, I wanted to know about everyone's thoughts about the Harry versus Dumbledore match.
4: Yes. I was waiting yes. for that. Um, that was interesting. I, I, I was waiting three years for that because we don't see... We don't see really Harry and Dumbledore interact at all. I mean, we don't see him in canon either. But but you're kind of waiting for it because in this one, Harry's so different. And You're like, yeah. I wonder what's going to happen when these two yeah. meet. And, and and I'm glad that it wasn't. I'm glad that it tied into the earlier hexing of the muggles. And it's not completely just like forgotten and brushed under the rug. Like, oh yeah, Harry hexed all the muggles and went insane. And I
3: was wondering but, if I was going to get brushed under the rug because it was, seems like it was bit, Malfoy put it away pretty nicely. But I guess
4: yeah, nicely enough. Well not and I love, it. I love the bit too where it's um where you see Harry keeps talking Well, first, I love that Harry's Harry flips out at Dumbledore. But my favorite part of it is when Harry's going on about Muggle this and Muggle that and those big Muggles, and Dumbledore's like, "I'm so glad." And when he when he slips up and says Dudley, Dumbledore goes like, "I'm glad to see you still remember they have names, Harry." Or then earlier he's like, "All Muggles, Harry." So he's like, Dumbledore's clearly trying to like pinpoint his prejudices. Yeah,
1: I really, I really liked that. I I think it's interesting because somebody is finally calling Harry out on yeah. What he's been been thinking.
3: It's interesting because to a degree, I kind of cringe whenever he does things like that. Because even though I've read Harry and Slytherin fix, he generally doesn't become this much of a canon Slytherin. He doesn't become this much of prejudiced. And I really don't like all the random acts of just picking on people that take place. I really dislike that in the story a lot. Um, And I, I think this to a degree, like... I understand where he's coming from more than I do with Draco, because he's had the experience with people. And one of the things in canon that makes him so much of a hero is that he rises above that, not to hate muggles. And we're seeing here a more human response. I mean, if someone treated you the way a group of people treated Harry for that many years, I think you have to be a pretty amazing person not to have a prejudice against them at that point. I mean, it wouldn't even be a prejudice. I mean, it would be because you're generalizing, but you've had this experience and it's affected you in a very um, profound way. And I don't blame him as much as I blame the canon Slytherins because he had that experience.
4: What I actually think the difference may be between canon Harry and this Harry is that, and I could be totally off because this is coming together in my head as you're talking, Cody, that mm-hmm. because... I, guess when Canon Harry comes into the, the wizarding world originally, he obviously has no wizarding, non-wizarding prejudices because it's just not even on his radar. It doesn't yeah. occur to him because they don't exist in a muggle sense. And because in Gryffindor, one, they're not, those sort of prejudices aren't really accepted in a Gryffindor environment. And two, mm-hmm. he's friends with, like, you know, one of his best friends is muggle born, yeah. um, Dean's muggle born, et cetera that it doesn't take that, instead of that taking that shape, I think it takes shape as a dislike and suspicion of authority figures in general. Because instead of, instead of characterizing the Dursleys as muggles, he categorizes them as authority figures. And I think you see that play out a lot in his disrespect for authority and his willingness, his assumption always that he has to rely on himself and not an authority figure. And Whereas, his friends, and his friends, but ne- but never an authority figure above him. Like um, yeah. he never. That's never his first reaction is to go find an adult because. In in canon, his prejudice is against adults. In this in the Slytherin fix, he doesn't seem to have the same prejudice against adults because he he trusts Snape and Malfoy in a way I would never see him trusting any of his teachers in canon. But instead of it, but because I think of the people surrounding him and sort of the stuff they s- spill out on him and the anti muggle stuff they constantly push at him. In, in this book it takes as an anti-muggle not an anti-authority prejudice.
3: Yeah, I always am a little angry um because he he um, in year 1 when the when he goes to McGonagall about the sorcerer's stone in canon, I'm always annoyed that she turns him off because he has never had an authority figure before and it's like, well, let's make him completely distrust authority figures by showing him they can't be trusted. And it's just I thought that was almost a final nail in the coffin.
4: And the times when he does talk to an adult, it's always at Hermione's urging, pretty much. It's always like, go talk to Dumbledore, Harry. yeah.
1: The treatment of Dumbledore in this bugs me, but, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, it bugs me, but it's because that he's in Slytherin that it bugs me, and so I can't really let it bug me without letting the whole thing bug me. Okay, so well, it's one of those things I just have to deal with, I guess.
4: Well, do you, you think no Dumbledore's of out of character, or do you think just— That was just- my question, because I think here there's
2: a difference between how Dumbledore is treated by Harry and yeah, how I don't
1: think- Dumbledore I don't think-
4: is
2: as a character—
1: I don't really think he's out of character. I just don't like the way Harry's treating him.
4: Okay. Mm-hmm. So I could see like assuming this was really Harry, I could see Dumbledore acting just how he is. Like Dumbledore's trying to all Muggles Harry, what are their names, you know. I and think he's clearly to an extent, it just
3: came 2 years earlier in this set. I mean, this yeah. is a little bit like what we saw in book 5. And I think Harry just got to this point earlier in the series because he has some adults he can trust. I mean, he has more as we said, more of an advocate in Snape. He has more of, um, kind of an advocate in Mr. Malfoy. And just maybe being able to trust authority just a little bit for more, just adults, made him more confident or more, he feels like he's able to speak freely around Dumbledore where he may have had like a combined fear and distrust of adults just from the way he grew up in canon that made him have to just wait longer to be able to say what he needed to say to double that he said in Year 5. I mean, I think that it needed to be said kind of a lot of what was in Year 5. I'm not sure it's percent. the same
4: as Year 5. Well, it's first not of the thing, same,
3: but it's the same tone.
4: the same tone. I think, first off, the reason it takes longer in the canon is because he likes Dumbledore and Gannon. Yeah, <laughs> um, I mean,
1: I think, I think this is all just because he doesn't like him, and I think – I mean, I don't like it, but I just kind of have to accept it because
4: – And the other difference is this is more – racist in tone, whereas Year 5, it's more. It, that's clearly Harry grieving for Sirius. It's not Harry yeah. holding a grudge against Dumbledore. I like know, this he doesn't
1: is. really dislike Dumbledore at any point in the canon. I mean, he feels like he is because he's a teenager, and I mean, teenagers tend to rebel against their parent figures, and Dumbledore is serving that capacity in order, and since Sirius has just died, he feels like it's Dumbledore's fault, and he has to to go off on him. But um, then once you see him come back and have blood prints, it doesn't really have any impression on their relationship. So
4: one thing I really do like about this confrontation though, is that I think it undermines something that I don't know how to put it, but something, I guess in the sense that Dumbledore really, really lucked out in Canon in that if you think of the set of circumstances that produced a Tom Riddle and you think of the set of circumstances that Harry went through, and we touched on this. You know, it's really easy to imagine yeah. the orphaned Harry growing up around abusive Muggles. You know, really taking that out on Muggles in general. And I think Dumbledore was kind of like playing with fire with with uh, the Dursleys, and it worked out with hindsight. But I, I almost. I don't. I don't know if it was the. I don't think for a fact actually that he made the right choice or the right call in putting Harry there because it could easily have turned out really badly for him. Yeah. and he. It doesn't seem like he learned from his mistake from Tom Riddle. Well, not his mistake, but I guess the Wizarding Society's mistake with Tom Riddle. Because if there's anything you should take away from Tom Riddle, from the lesson of Tom Riddle's early life, it's that the most important thing, the most important thing, even more important than. You know the safety of where you live is that you have people who care about you and love you around you as you grow up in a positive yeah. environment.
1: So, what do you think they should have done with Tom Riddle? Because I think the thing that jumps most to mind here is, um, actually, the question of is if they had had the Muggle Protection Act back then, Tom Riddle would have been probably placed with the with a wizarding be in the wizarding world. So,
4: well, the question then is. But the question with the Muggle Wizarding Act, which I think we touched on i I don't know, were you here last week, PS? Yes? Yeah. Um was I, you know, just to,
1: I, I just wanted to ask you the question because it seemed like you walked right into it.
4: Well, what I think it depends on though is the question is does he get actually get placed with a pureblood family? Because the big weakness I see with the Muggle I mean, besides the obvious unfairness of ripping these kids out of their muggle born homes with parents who probably love them, is that are they actually going to get a family to want to adopt them? And if Tom Riddle had been ad- actually adopted by a pure blood family, I could see him turning out radically different because I don't think you're destined to be evil from birth. I, if he had a loving family, I think would have turned out alright. But if you just put in an abusive, horrible, conditioned wizarding orphanage, (laughs) orphanage, 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 excuse me, instead of a horrible, conditioned, you know, crazy muggle orphanage, he could still, I could still see him turning out twisted, just maybe aimed differently, you know.
1: Well, I actually think part of his problem, I think part of his problem is that he's a sociopath, so I think he's actually mentally ill. But but um also part I think part of his problem with the mug orphanage is because he was doing magic that was alarming the kids so they thought he was weird so they didn't want to play with him. Just like coming right down to it. So
4: I don't imagine orphanages though that are poorly funded and poorly supervised. As these wizarding orphans are going to be, kids will find plenty of reasons. Especially, might be sent? Well, maybe not especially, but at least I know for a fact. Among boy kids, we'll find any. We'll find some reason to ostracize certain other kids and be like shockingly cruel to them in a way you would never think kids that young could be. Yeah, cruel to
3: I'm in high school and I can attest to that. So, I mean, I understand what you're saying, but I do think there is something specific about this case in that it isn't just the other kids are ostracizing him; it's that he actually. I mean, he's doing things he has no idea what's going on. I mean, this is way beyond anything he can understand, and just a psychological of having no way to deal with that for a long time and having no way to understand that for a long time, I think that could do really weird things to you.
4: Mm-hmm. I mean just the I mean, fact maybe- of it
3: being magic.
4: I mean, it's certainly possible because, I mean, you know, the, the problem is that it's no way to predict what happens when you change. It's certainly possible if he was in a different orphanage, maybe he would have been treated much better. He would have been like the cool kid in the orphanage and, you know, would have turned out okay-ish. But I don't think the, – the, the two problems I see with the Harry Protection Act is, one, taking kids from loving parents, which is never good. But two yeah. is that most of these kids aren't going to want to be adopted, and you're going to stick them in situations similar to the Tom Riddle situation.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, mm-hmm. I, I still don't know. Yeah, what I, think. I, I, think, I, I think I've, I've heard I... your arguments, but I don't know that I necessarily. I think I said Feel it could definitely happen
1: last week because you've got pretty much the exact opposite. I mean you've got a, you've got it's um it obviously it depends on the circumstances, but if you had a kid who who knew something about his Muggle heritage, who found stuff out about his Muggle heritage, he could very well turn into
4: See. I don't know. know if this is mentioned in the books or if this is just me having my discussions with Death Roll. But I know from talking either from reading or talking to him. The
1: book or the thick.
4: The fic, excuse me, that these orphanages are horribly, are like, horribly underfunded and they're not, and like, horribly undersupervised, which to me, leaving out the, the, ripping them from their loving parents is the big problem. Whether Tom Riddle himself would have functioned okay in there, I don't know, but I think generally speaking, you're setting it up to have a lot of mentally unbalanced children.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know so much about mental illness, but people being a sociopath, is that something that is a born mental disorder or is, or is that created by circumstances? Because if it's created by circumstances, then it is more on the nurture end of the nature versus nurture equation.
1: Well, no, I think. Well, I don't really know socio- that. Sociopathy is generally the lay term for something, antisocial personality. I would say that's definitely inborn.
4: I don't agree with that. I, I you don't, don't agree think with what? That all of these um social disorders that are are inborn and have nothing to do with circumstance.
1: Tell the American Psychiatric Association. No, no okay, I, um, I'm not
4: saying that you I am not an expert and you, correct I'm like I'm asking you an honest question here, if Yes, I'm not preaching to you.
1: Oh I, um, I, I I am not an expert either, but I do think it is an inborn thing. Because I I imagine
4: there are there are chemical imbalances and all sorts of things like that, which are natural. You know, you're born with that. But it would seem to me like like I I know I've heard the term like function. You know, you hear like term functioning this or that. That 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 your environment can bring out these things more. That I imagine if you grow up in a loving environment, even if you have these chemical imbalances, you're capable. If you have this support network, you're capable of dealing I with. Let's see, them. let's
1: see. I found a thing. Sorry, I did this completely. It is, they've done studies that.
4: um... Like, I'm not one of those people saying, like, I'm not with Tom Cruise going, like, oh yeah, it's all in your head. Don't take medicine. Blah, blah. I mean, I, I get that they're 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 actual they're real chemical imbalances, but I have a hard time imagining that the environment you grow up in can't bring this out or sup- help suppress it or help you deal with it.
1: Oh, I don't, I, I'm not arguing that, but what I'm saying is. If Tom Riddle had grown up in a loving household, he probably would have also developed these things. But it's also possible that the environment he grew up could have helped him deal with it, and he probably wouldn't have turned into. He might probably might not have turned into Voldemort, but he would still be a sociopath.
4: I guess I see it as tendencies, and not like like you have sociopathic. You're born with sociopathic tendencies, but you're no, not sir, you sort can, of. Destined. You can you
1: can say that. I mean, like there are people who have sociopathic tendencies and aren't Voldemort. Yeah, but I mean... And, like, I see that Tom could have been like that had he not... Had he grown up in a a better environment. So, yeah.
4: And also, I I know I have read things where you... Lots of sociopaths, they're created. They're not born. Like, I I, I was reading something on... um, mobs, like, like modern day mafia sort of stuff, and how that you find an insanely disproportionate number of sociopaths in the mob, and they think it's not so much because everyone who's born a sociopath winds up going into the mob. As well, that a, this? The a, lifestyle brings out these tendencies in you.
1: It's also genetic, so it could be that these mob families have a lot of sociopathic tendencies in their genes.
4: Well, but, but, they, but they, it's not, there's no such thing. Like you know, it's not like certain families were mob families when they came over from Italy. It, it was, it was more like just depending on your social standing, you kind of got sucked into it, or you didn't get sucked into it, and then you became okay, a whatever.
1: mob. Whatever. This, this is complete. This is completely irrelevant.
4: <laughs> yeah, we're, getting, we're going a lot more off topic this episode than we did the last okay.
1: Tom Riddle is, is a mobster.
4: Yeah.
3: Um, well, Tom, I would I would say, R- Tom Riddle I, is Tony Soprano.
4: I, I would never argue that there aren't people who are born with chemical imbalances that make you a sociopath, but I do think, and I could be wrong, but, but I, I'm pretty sure I've read and heard seen research that certain environments can help create sociopaths or bring out sociopath tendencies in people who normally would never have wound up that way, yeah, well, which I is mean, what I kind of think of the Tom Riddle story in part.
1: Yeah, well, that, okay. But, I mean, it's possible, too, I guess, but...
4: We need an expert on this, because we I, I, yeah. I don't know, but I only really know that she's talking about. I think we're all just, like, talking out of her.
1: <laughs> I yeah, mean, we don't really
2: you know have- that much... I think in chapter nine, Percy brings up this whole Lord Potter thing again, and we like, discuss that.
3: <gasps> oh, oh my gosh, that is, that is so Lord uncomfortable Spirit. for me. I
5: hate that is Lord
2: so
1: Pot. that that gives me the heebie. I, I cannot remember what we did last week. I don't. I we I have a block on it, but it gives me the heebie-jeebies so bad.
3: Yeah, I
4: love it
1: though I I know Ryan really wanted to talk about I really
3: dislike it it because it's so out of Harry's character I mean just from what I know even from what I've seen in, in Slytherin type fix of him it's so outside of what I think of Harry that him he's bathing in this idea of being powerful and having people submit to him and call him lord and it's
2: well, it's, just okay. so, so, so to recap it's just so what not what I'm week, used to. Yeah. To what? recap what we said last week, just so that we have the benefit of that, Um not to say that it's like, oh, this is a great idea. We love Dark Lord Harry, but, um <laughs> <laughs> well, some people do, but um in the context of this story at least when it's first proposed in um book 2 here when um first of all he doesn't a- harry doesn't ask specifically ask Percy to call him this you know true percy comes up with this on his own um and second of all it's not harry's idea to be like hey you should make him your minion you know Even that is actually the idea of the other Slytherins. And actually, Harry is resistant to it at first, strongly resistant. And the thing that ends up winning him over is basically they're sort of like, well, don't think about like, we know this bothers you and we understand, but this isn't about now. This is about later. Think about your career. Think about your life in the future. You need these connections. You need these sort of relationships if you want to be a success. And he sees, has all these examples of, like, Lucius being powerful and influential and having all these connections, and he's basically given, you know, the not-so-subtle thing that, you know, Percy is someone who's going somewhere. You want this sort of connection. You want this sort of person to owe you favors. Yeah. And so in that context, him agreeing to it is sort of like, well, I don't know if this is a good idea, but okay, I guess. Um, but the whole I, Percy then deciding to call him Lord, Lord Potter. Lord Potter. It
5: was so I know.
4: strange. But Very you know what I think part of it is? I think, I think part of what makes it – like. It's, I think it's supposed to make you shiver, and I think part of the reason it makes you do that is because – and I could be wrong, but I think people read that and they think Lord Voldemort in their mind. Yeah. And I, and I you're well, I mean, supposed to see this parallel between Harry and Lord Voldemort, and I think Deathrow does that purposely. But I think within Harry's own mind, it's not Lord Voldemort he's trying to be or Lord Voldemort he's trying – he has, in his mind, it's Lucius Malfoy who's his role model. Yeah. And it, when he says, when he hears Lord Potter, he's not thinking Lord Voldemort, excuse me. He's thinking Lord Malfoy, really. Yeah. Like Connor yeah. What were you going to ask, Cody?
3: No, um, just how far you got in the Sacrifices arc, because how weird it is to see Lord Potter after reading that.
4: Which one's the Sacrifices arc?
3: The one with um Connor.
4: Oh, I, I got pretty far into it. I. I I didn't like but it.
3: But there, there was a plot line I, I
4: got, in there. I got, up to the, I got up to the part where it was like, um, it was after he broke Lily's mind control and turned Lily into and anyway, a animal. Anyway, like there's this
3: entire plot line in that book about the animals being a lord the- and being in power and how yeah. much Harry in that book really does not want to be called a lord. And then he, just it was very jarring for me just having read the fics I've read to, to see that because I just gotten done like yesterday reading part of that fic and it was one of those things where they just conflicted really badly. And it wasn't, like, either of them doing something bad. It was just they didn't mesh together well, but
1: right, that's I just, my experience with it. Is that a common thing in these kind of stories?
3: No. Well, I don't know. Not the
2: ones I've read.
1: What, Lord Potter? In you what
3: mean?
2: kind of stories? I'm sorry.
1: In, um,
3: like, Slytherin-type stories. Yeah. But
2: not the ones I've um, read. Well, it depends if it's, I mean... It's coming it in dark. It's dark Harry. There is Dark Lord Harry. I mean, like... I just don't agree. Yeah, there, yeah. there is that type of fic. So, I mean, yeah. is that type of fic common? No, not terribly. I mean, it does exist. It has yeah. its own genre.
4: The difference is, I think this is not, what I think makes this one a little bit different is unlike the dark Harry fix. And you could disagree with me, but I don't think this is going to wind up with Harry being dark or evil. I think it's going to wind up with Harry defeating Voldemort and maybe being a prejudiced, annoying, sort of Draco-ish guy, but, but not being evil anyway.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah, opposed, probably
4: yeah. I, I was just curious character.
1: if it was like a common thing.
3: Yeah, it was very jarring to me, but I I haven't read any Dark Lord Potter fix so.
1: I've
4: read I've, lots of Dark Lord Potter ones, and it and it's common there. But those fix are like not the same genre as this. Like this yeah. is I, I put yeah, this in the genre where it's supposed to be like the flushing out of Slytherin genre kind of thing. Yeah,
3: I don't know. I don't think this is epitomized to the Slytherin genre necessarily. Mm-hmm. I think it is one part of it, but I think there are different ways to go in this direction. And Death tr- Row chose one of them, but I think there are other what ways makes, you can use this direction.
4: What makes his fic unique, I think, among – as someone who's read a lot of Harry's sword so into Slytherin fics, and yes, there are a shockingly large number of those. There, there it, are. There are a million of it, them. Is that most of them – not all of them, but most of them wind up with it being – the same gryffindor harry who just happens to be living in slytherin like he'll often become friends with hermione and he'll often become friends with ron and he'll still be a rival with draco and he'll and snape will still dislike him very often um whereas this one it's very much meant to be and I, I remember Cody was saying earlier that she didn't like how Harry was involved in picking picking on other students, but that was actually something I liked because we see in canon Slytherins do that sort of thing, and so if Harry's in Slytherin, logically either he's going to radically change Slytherin, Slytherin will radically change him, or they'll both change each other a little bit. So mm-hmm. yeah,
1: yeah, I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of torn. Like I think I see the benefits of of either. Like I I would probably like to read a story that was either. Like, I do kind of want to see Harry that's still and, you know, nice. (laughs) Just just see what happens. But also, this is interesting, too, because it's more of what happens when he actually becomes friends. Because, see, the thing is, this is not an au hinging on harry getting into sorted getting sorted into slytherin this is an au hinging on harry becoming friends with draco
3: yeah exactly i think
1: that's a crucial difference because if you're if you write a story that hinges on harry being sorted into slytherin then that means it diverges in the sorting scene when he's already friends with ron and enemies with draco right so you kind of have to honor that if you're writing another story so i think it's I would actually like to ask Death Roll when he comes on here at the end of the episode is ask him whether they um, whether he chose to have this diverge in the the place he did because of the fact that you are kind of by the time Harry gets to Hogwarts, he's already kind of burdened with being friends with Ron and not liking Draco, that being in Slytherin then would be different than it is for Avetric Hans. Uh I think,
2: well, I think because sorting is seems to be so heavily dependent on what you want that if you make it diverge there, he'd have to want to be in Slytherin. And if he makes friends with Ron on the train, he wouldn't want to. Yeah. Yeah,
1: well, that definitely happens, though. Like, I remember Mike made me read one, or made me start reading one where that happened, where he was sitting Better there. Better be
4: Slytherin. There, yeah.
1: And going, going, I forget, was he going not Slytherin, not Slytherin, and the hat was like, sucks to be you.
4: Yeah.
5: <laughs>
1: <laughs> like, I, I honestly, I forget exactly how it was, but I mean, it does, there is at least one where that happens, where he. Does um have where the the AU part diverges <laughs> at the sorting?
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Slytherin. Slytherin is a good example of that. Yeah,
1: I have yeah. to look it up. We'll, I have to look up and see what it says. <laughs> Whether he was saying not Slytherin or not.
4: But I remember correctly. It's something like he makes like he, he actually, doesn't want to be in Slytherin, but he makes like a little slip or something, and like how he words he, he uses says, little... "Yeah, <laughs> yeah."
1: That, here is the difference. The difference is he isn't saying not Slytherin. He says anywhere at all, anywhere I can belong.
3: Right. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And I was, Better make know. sure of your wording.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
1: that thing is called Derpy Slytherin. Should anyone know? Yeah. It's a good pick too. I, I wouldn't know if I didn't mention it. <laughs> but,
4: but um, um, going back to this, uh, what did you guys think of, I guess, the opening, how Sirius is handled in this, in terms of. Because I, I guess what I find interesting is, obviously, he has to still go. I, the, the complicated plot part is he has to go for Peter, but you want to make it seem like he's going for Harry. But Peter and Harry are in different, you know, common rooms, obviously. Right. So, so you have to have, you know, the first time he goes to the Gryffindor common room still, and you have to have this logical explanation of why he went, why he thought Harry was in the Gryffindor common room, and then you have to have all this stuff with how and why Harry tries to steal Pettigrew.
3: I also so. love, I was reading that scene and I'm like, crap, they're gonna eat the witness. Cause they were talking about <laughs> having the owl attack Peter and I was just thinking like,
4: crap, yeah, the circle of animals, like the owls <laughs> and the cats.
3: <laughs> and like, like a couple of miles away, Harry's like, oh my gosh, we need to have Peter. And like at that, that exact moment, the owl's like, eat him
4: and it's like, crap.
3: I just, yeah, I was like, is- like imagining that happening.
4: I almost wish that would happen. It would have cracked me up if the, if the if the cat eats Peter after all this. I thought nice it was. Thought.
2: I thought it was a little bit weird in that I, I I thought it actually was really clever with how we have Sirius attacking the Gryffindor common room like in canon first, as if like oh well obviously he'll be in in Gryffindor yeah. and then yeah and then he goes oh crap he's not there you know yeah and it so makes, then he moves it, on makes it,
1: it makes it scarier like from a um you know from the perspective of. The people in the story because it's like he looks even crazier if he doesn't even know what house Harry's in, you know? Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, I thought that was interesting, but then later on when he's talking to Harry, he's like, yeah, I had quite a turn when I saw you that day on Privet Drive in your Slytherin robes. And I was like, wait, if he knew he was in Slytherin robes, then why did he go to Gryffindor Tower?
1: To get the rat. Rat. That's the whole reason he went to, to, he broke into the tower in canon was to get Peter.
4: Yeah. Yeah, It's not about Harry, it's about the rat. He
1: obviously wasn't trying to kill Harry. Yeah. But (laughs) But he does break into the Slytherin common room later.
4: Right, that, that's what I'm saying. It's because that's why it's so cool because he breaks into the Slytherin common room because Harry steals Pettigrew from Ron. Yeah. But does
2: he still huh. have him at that point?
4: No, no, he, he, remember Harry sends his owl, to steal, between the first attack and the second attack, Harry steals Pettigrew mm-hmm. from Ron. And so and so the people watching it, their logic is, oh, he thought he's going for Harry, he thought Harry was in Gryffindor, then he realized he's wrong, and then he attacks Slytherin. But the real reason is uh, he's going for Pettigrew the whole time, the first time Pettigrew's mm-hmm. in the Gryffindor room, and the second time Pettigrew's Oh, I see,
3: in the I attack. see. Mm-hmm and it must have been a very stressful time for pedigree you can imagine it's like okay the owls are gonna kill me oh wait no sirius black's gonna kill me
4: (laughs) slytherin wackos are gonna kill me harry's (laughs) yeah it's like imagine,
1: imagine that imagine that imagine getting yourself kidnapped and then it's like well you think oh well i know sirius is trying to kill me but then it's like oh my god it's harry
3: <laughs> it's like okay, would I rather die by the the supposed crazy murder the third year or the owl? You have your choice of three deaths. Please choose. It's just,
4: I decided a few thing. Or cat. Or cat.
1: Amelie's like True. speaking for the cats.
4: So does that make sense then? Yeah. Did you not? <laughs> yeah. Is that confusing? I guess people reading it for the first time. What happens with pedigree? No, I don't,
1: I don't think so because it it, it makes sense. I mean, because you have in your mind always when you're reading. I think whenever. you People, whenever I know whenever I read an AU story, whenever you're coming up to a big event, I'm always like, oh, how will they decide to handle this? So I know one of the big things about an AU where Harry's in a different house is, well, how are they going to explain the fact that Sirius attacks Gryffindor when Harry's not in Gryffindor?
4: Right. So
1: I, I know when I read it, it was in my mind, like wondering how they would explain it.
4: I, I, I like the explanation personally. That yeah, crazy I think, I think it's I
1: think it's pretty valid because I don't think he ever would have known what house Harry was in. And Gryffindor is probably a good assumption. Yeah, because I it's think obvious, it's the canon.
3: <laughs> I think he would have just assumed that he would be so much like his father that he would have ended up in Gryffindor too.
1: Well, he didn't even assume. I mean, Sirius didn't care. Well, what house Harry was, yeah. in, he wanted the rat. So it's I mean, people- I think
3: that's what people would have thought of him, though. Like that's how
4: they would have explained it, that he thought he was.
1: I mean, it's logical. I mean, like, both of his parents were in Gryffindor. I mean, that you tend to be where your parents are.
4: Yeah, I love how Tim is, like, all, like, know-it-all. Like, well, obviously, Harry, it's because he thought you were still in Gryffindor.
3: Yeah, I love how Tim gets some of the Hermione lines. Like, honestly, don't you people read? He had that line mm-hmm. in the second installment.
1: Just <laughs> amused me.
4: Poor Tim, I feel bad for Tim with uh, Pansy and Draco hooking up. Yeah, he doesn't bother. Yeah. He, he looks sad at parts of these books.
1: Well, I think I think that Pansy and Draco aren't gonna hook up because me neither. Because I think it's
3: Pansy and Tim.
1: Yeah, I think. that's you going this
3: fic, because it's Pansy of
1: the, um, There's also the whole Yule Ball thing. Yeah, yeah. you know we're not. We're um, none of them go to the Yule Ball with the right partner. So unless Deathrow isn't. Following that particular piece of canon, <laughs> um,
4: but right now, anyway, I feel really together. bad. I agree. I think Tim and Pansy are kind of destined for each other in the end. But right now, I feel so sad for Tim. He's all he's all like walking alone in Christmas yeah. the Hogsmeade, and, and no one else seems to really notice that he's so upset.
3: Yeah, it's it's sad.
4: But let's see what else do we have in our notes. <laughs>
3: We're just like depressed.
4: You- We're just like Harry's uh, first kiss. I okay, was playing
3: before like, that. Before he has it's like first kiss and then two more successes.
4: Wait, wait, wait. Before we yeah. get there,
2: um, what did you all think about Snape teaching the prefix the Patronus charm?
4: Mm, I thought it was, I thought it was interesting that Harry was too intimidated to go in. Yeah.
2: I thought that was very interesting too, because I was like, this is such a difference in Harry, because it's like he has no confidence in himself, and he just feels like, well, I might embarrass Slytherin, and then Snape will get really mad at me, so I'll just flip yeah. out the back. You know? I don't
4: think that he doesn't have confidence in himself so much as he has – Slytherin just seems like it's such a much more, I don't know, class-oriented, not just in, like, the wider world, but, like, you know, like, prefects are much higher up in, like – like, they give him more importance in Slytherin than they seems like they do in canon. Like, it's a much yeah. a big deal to be a prefect or to be a 6th year or a seventh-tier. Well, I think there's was... more of
3: a, a defined power structure in Slytherin.
4: Yeah, exactly. So it's, like – Like, they're more of, like, authority figures than I think 6th or 7th year Gryffindors would have been.
3: I think there's not as much, I mean, not order, but I think there is more of a defined, like, social and political and status structure in Slytherin. A hierarchy. Well, do we even,
4: we don't see any prefix, do we, besides Percy? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Up until, obviously, when they become perfect prefix. We don't really see, other than Oliver Wood... Other than the, guess, the Quidditch team, which is Oliver, but they're not seventh years. We don't see any sixth or seventh years in Harry's first year, do we? No. No.
1: No.
4: I don't or think so. Gonna, like yeah, Percy. we don't
1: see. Percy and Oliver are the oldest kids we ever meet.
4: And they're fifth years, right, when Harry's in first year?
1: Yes. Yes.
4: Yeah. So we never see a sixth or seventh year from Harry's first year. And we never see outside right, of. Right,
1: because I think Tonks should be a seventh year in the first book. I mean not like he not like he knows her, but I mean that's she's there.
4: It's a different dynamic in Slytherin House. Yeah.
3: Yeah. That's actually something that's common in a lot of um, Slytherin effects, is that social hierarchy. Yeah.
1: Oh I'm sorry, I lied. I was just I just popped on the lexicon to check, but Tonks actually graduated the year before. She was a seventh year before he came to school. Never mind. But whatever, that's not important.
2: <laughs> Chapter twelve Harry agrees to go to Jenny's family's New Year's party.
5: Jenna, yeah.
1: Jenna.
2: Jenna, I'm sorry.
1: No, that would be interesting. That would have
3: been a really interesting considering the fic.
2: So he goes degrees through that, which I thought was interesting because it's got that whole dichotomy that I know we've discussed previously with the Slytherin being like, oh, we don't care that you're Harry Potter, but in the same time really caring that he's Harry Potter.
3: Yep. I think, yep. That, I mean, I don't know if Jenna cares, but she knows other people care. I think for to Jenna, he's just her friend, but at the same time, she it's like if, I, if you're a friend with someone famous... They're just your friend, but you still get that they're famous. You don't like them because they're famous, but you still get that they're famous. Her parents
4: are putting pressure on her. It's not her idea. That's true as well. She's not
3: doing it for her own social gain, really. She's doing it to make her parents happy. And Harry doesn't really make a big
4: deal of it. I guess to me, what was most interesting in that scene is sort of this reinforcement, which you don't have a ton of, about the different shades within Slytherin, that Jenna, she wasn't the same level as the the Malfoys, Parkinson's, and Knotts. And she didn't get to socialize with them growing up, and they don't view her the same way. And you see the same sort of thing with the Zavinis, when um, Lucius is making sort of these slightly dismissive comments about them. And to me, it's fascinating because when you're reading canon, I guess from the out, like the outside Slytherin perspective, is that it's kind of like purebloods, everyone else, and then you get inside and you see there's that- distinctions between purebloods.
1: It's kind of like in Jane Austen.
5: <laughs> yeah,
3: true. Well, I mean. The Wizarding World is kind of 1800s, pure blood Wizarding World anyway. I mean, they're that social structure. is always reminded me of like 1800s, 19th century. So.
1: Well, really, the whole Wizarding World for to a degree. I mean, obviously, some of the family, like the Weasleys are more progressive. Even they have parts stuck in the
4: 1800s. Politically, it's very much in the 1800s. You look yeah. at the sort of people who control the power, and they're all pureblood families. Yeah. Even though, according to JK, right, there's as many muggle-borns as there are purebloods in the Wizarding World. You look at the ratio of muggle warrants to pure-bloods in government, and it's radically shifted.
3: Mm-hmm. In our government, it's the same thing. Yeah, old white men. Pure-blood is wealth that carries over to our government. I mean, most yeah. people in government are pretty wealthy.
4: Or you can see, like you know, like if, if demographically you would think, you know, twenty percent of our government should be black, and fifteen percent should be Hispanic, and uh, whatever, sixty percent be white, or however mm-hmm. you know, More, you get what I'm saying. However, there should be, a, should be a bigger
1: a bigger ratio of
4: women yeah, than there are. Half should yeah, be women, actually. So, anything else before? The big kiss, um, Amelie.
2: Feel like I'm cracking the whip. They have a snowball fight. Just amusing. <laughs> yeah, um, I if
3: think it, it reminds you that they're like kids. And they're thirteen. Yeah, in there.
2: and totally. It was as a plot point. I don't know that it was really important, but just uh the reading of that whole section was really enjoyable, and it just it really did it brought home the fact that. They're still kids. They're still 13. And we don't get to see a lot of that in canon. Yeah. A lot of them just being kids. So that was a really, I don't know, a little, a small scene, but fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get some Blaze Harry puppy love, apparently, in my yeah.
4: notes. I love the quote. I think it's this chapter where he's making, where he's doing the fake McGonagall accent. Or like yeah. we he's like, transfiguration is a dangerous magic. All evil Slytherins who do not like being called evil Slytherins will lose lots of house points while I merely do not speak of lapses in my in my own house. I, I can't even hear yeah. it. It's broke. But yeah, <laughs> it, he's piped in a falsetto voice. So I I, mm-hmm. I don't know, for some reason, I, it cracked me up to imagine Harry doing a uh, really bad McGonagall impersonation. Not to mention what he said was funny too. But.
3: Yeah, McGonagall seems like so... This is one of the things that annoys me. About Slytherin fix is how far in far to the right or left or two dimensional McGonagall is. I mean, she's always in Slytherin fix. She's generally kind of a like Snape is in canon. I, think that's I don't what really like entirely.
4: Did here she's supposed to yeah. be, like like yeah? I guess his argument would be that you know from the Slytherin perspective. That's what it looks like. Is that maybe she's not taking points from Slytherins left and but right? But in she, this like,
3: fix, she's more vindictive against Slytherins. I feel than she is in canon. No, it's
4: the perception.
1: Yeah, it's the okay. perception. I mean, it's like McGonagall is, in a way, is the Snape stand-in because Snape in canon is biased against the Gryffindors, so... Like, I really but don't I think, think is more McGonagall... more biased
5: against
3: the Gryffindors and McGonagall is against the Slytherins in canon.
4: Well, I think what Harry makes... He's making, he's making fun of, but I think he states sort of how the Slytherins... Oh, I, mean I know it.
3: what you mean. I know what you mean. Exactly. I know what you mean. But I'm just saying as far as canon
4: versus this one. Well, I, I think you can maybe make it... like, like I, I can see why he would say that the Slytherins feel that, you know, she takes points when we do things wrong, but she ignores when her house does wrong. That's kind of what they're saying. It's not, which isn't quite as bad as Snape is in canon, because Snape, it's not just he ignores when his house does wrong... It's like he purposely goes out of his way to punish you, even when you don't deserve it. Yeah. Which isn't quite what you're saying right. about Gunnagall. Subtle difference, I think, but... Yeah. Harry doesn't know how the hell to deal with girls. Yeah. I mean, good I God, I had awesome. more common sense than he did when I was 13. I mean, whew. Like, just okay, like that, Yeah, go.
2: That may be true, but I don't think he's atypical for a 13-year-old boy here. I-
4: I agree. I, I mean, there's, I'm not saying it's poorly written, but it's, it's, it's kind of like the, um, you know, like, like you want to shake him and go like, Harry, what are you saying? And what are you doing? And he, in a good way, like, you know, a, in a compliment to Death Roll's writing sense in that, not that I find it unbelievable, but that you kind of like, you want to go in there and smack him on the head and fix him because he's so bad with girls. <laughs> I,
2: I love my, fa- like, my favorite part with the whole, like, the puppy romance thing was like, you kissed her? What was it like? Dost. You know? Yeah, yeah.
1: It's almost—it's almost like an, a mirroring wet.
4: <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Wet. soft. <laughs> but soft.
2: I totally like. I remember being that age, and I remember my first kiss, and that was my first thought. Um, it's sort of soft and squishy, you know. <laughs> like, what do you—what are you supposed to think? So I don't know. I just—I love that part because not again. These are the parts that I'm picking out here are not necessarily the big story arc point you know they're just little aspects of it that you know really please me in some respect or another um i think once we get to the end we could probably talk about creator story arc stuff Mm -hmm. um, whatever whatever you all like what is it like i I was saying
1: earlier it's hard to isolate the story arc this early in it because yeah at this point there's not much to talk about because it's it's very, it's so close to canon. It's hard. The one to thing that
3: relate. is kind of a little bit frustrating to me is that I've read a before, and it doesn't seem like it. Because you know how there's a f- kind of philosophy with some youth that it breaks off, and then it just sort of goes in like a V shape, where it keeps like, branching further and further off with each kind of event. But with this, I feel like it's almost just like kind of going in like little. It's meeting back up with itself a lot. Right. It's,
1: I think. Yeah. I think it's um, it's
3: not diverging as much as I'd almost like it to, because it's just like a mere image of canon. It's not like. It's not as much different as canon. This is kind of one of my pet peeves of the fic in general. Is that you have just a lot of the same events. Just you have kind of we've, um, Ron in the place of Draco, Draco in the place of Ron, and then the other kind of Slytherin friends in the, in kind of various roles. But you don't have that much different. I mean, you do have some difference in events, but it's so close to canon and you just have the roles reversed. Well, I think that's and that's the one thing. That.
1: In a way, it it I is. think it's- you have to do that because or else you have um it becomes very unrealistic because if you cha- I mean, depending on what the changes are I'm you still idea. have to keep in mind that Harry is thirteen at this point. So
3: Yeah, but I mean in some of the stuff, I mean there was like dialogues that it was pretty much exactly
1: yeah, what it I don't like it when like the dialogue is that the was same a little bit Janet, but um
3: Cause it was like I, I would read it, and I was just like so reminiscent of canon that I it just. Was- but
1: it's like okay, I'm gonna have. To, if you compare it to um, to something like uh, um, like nightmares, which obviously the AU was helped along by Harry knowing what was going on.
4: But I do think we're gonna we're starting to see it branch off majorly. Um, starting at the end of year three with um, Sirius obviously being not cleared of his name and Harry moving in with him for the summer, which is a radical change that I'm sure we'll talk about a lot.
3: Exactly, yeah. Um, mm-hmm.
4: And then also if you think if you think ahead of what has to happen in the future, um, you have to see, I know we touched on this before, but I don't see how it's possible to write a return of Voldemort in year four where you don't see the Slytherins splintering because I, I can't imagine these Malfoys turning on Harry, for instance, so I think as we're moving forward, we're starting to see it break more and more from.
1: Yeah, like I in. definitely think it will break, and I'm sure in in year four it will break like dramatically, yeah. dramatically. But I think the fact that it's going so slow, I think it's not necessarily completely a good thing or a completely a bad thing because I think part of the strength of it is that it it takes its time and that it doesn't. Because I think if it really rushed through the the plot points of canon to get to original stuff or something like that, I think we would say that it was rushed or unrealistic. You know, like, Mm. for example, you have to get through, the say, the Prisoner of Azkaban plot. Like, Sirius has to get out of jail and come. And if that had happened earlier to get the canon stuff out of the way, we would have probably complained about it.
4: True. Watch what happens in Nightmares of Futures Past, right? That they condense yeah. like uh, you know, right. first however many years into like one year? Well, I
1: think with the one thing I will say in the defense of Viridian is that Harry knew what was going on. So you yeah. say that obviously I, oh, if I Harry no knew what was going okay. on. He was going to um to to make things go faster. So I think it's but, only. It only makes sense here that it's going at the cannon pace because nobody knows any better.
4: I mean, I have no problem with it, but I think it's the example that's sort of the opposite, where there's one where it goes off track really quickly, not in a bad mm-hmm. way. I shouldn't say the word's off track because that have negative connotations. It, it, it diverges very early. I don't think it's either a right or a wrong. I think there's it's a stylistic thing. And mm-hmm. I, I think we will see this one. I think we're starting to see it right now. Harry's not living yeah. with the Dursts anymore. I mean, that right there is a humongous change. And, and not to jump ahead, but I guess since we're on the topic, to me, this is, I think, the most the most significant thing to happen in this series since the beginning with him becoming friends with the Malfoys, is him moving in with Sirius, because we sort of see Harry hit, in my opinion, his darkest, Harry at his darkest is the end of year two, the start of year three. Um, yeah. And the reason Harry is, quote, dark, or most Slytherin, however you want to put it, is because every single person around him is Slytherin. All of his friends, all of his role models, everything. And the significance of him moving in with Sirius and Remus, uh, yeah, they both live there, or at least Remus is there all the time anyway, is, um, now you have this, these, quote, light people around him too, like sort of the other side. And not that I think Harry's going to turn back into Harry from canon, because then why are you writing a story? And then I don't think Death will ever do that but I think you'll see they're going to become a larger influence on his life and a larger steadying influence. And you're going to see him move away a little bit from some of the most muckle-baiting stuff and maybe you see him start to question things because already we can see end of year three are already uh, Sirius isn't... He, he clearly loves Harry and he's clearly going out of his way to swallow things he normally wouldn't for Harry. But at the same time, he's also... You, you see him picking fights with Lucius. You see it also in... I won't give any spoilers away, but in year four, you see, you know, him pull, he pulls his wand. He argues with Lucius. It's, it, he's not just a passive figure in Harry's life.
3: Yeah. Well, when is he, when a suit ever been a passive figure in any, in any sense, but
4: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which is, which is something Harry needs, I think, because it's, it's, it's yeah. giving him some balance. It's giving him at least he, at least he's, it's giving him at least the ability to see the other side.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's very true.
4: And if you think of it from just where the story is going to go in the future, which I know we touched on very briefly in the last episode. If you have, to, I mean, if you think about it, how Harry in the order of the Phoenix, you know, Harry, this Harry hates Dumbledore. Not that Dumbledore is a bad guy, but he just hates Dumbledore. And he's friends with Lucius Malfoy. And if you see the Malfoys and the Slytherins in his ear, back Harry up, but you can't see like, you know, I, I can't imagine how, maybe he will he'll surprise me, but I, right now I have a hard time imagining these Slytherins and Harry in the order of the Phoenix with Lucius Malfoy, in the order of the Phoenix, And by the other hand, how can you win the war without Dumbledore and the Order of the Phoenix? And you need some sort of bridge to these two factions, which Sirius can do.
3: True. That's an interesting point.
1: Yeah, I never really really thought about it that
3: way. They're not fighting against Dumbledore, but they're not fighting with him either. You know, they're just kind of fighting on the same side, but not necessarily together.
4: I mean, they all want to defeat Voldemort, but I think their image of what the world will look like... Like I, I think you're going to wa- what I think is going to happen is I think you're going to wind up with three factions: the Dumbledore faction, sort of like the Harry Malfoy faction, and the Voldemort faction. And Dumbledore and Harry and Malfoy's all have to work together because otherwise you can't defeat Voldemort alone. See, Harry I can't think defeat. That Voldemort. Lucius no.
3: still wants the goal of defeating Voldemort, even if it's for a different reason. I don't even know that the reason for defeating Voldemort matters
4: as much as the goal. Well, right, um, it, it doesn't. It doesn't matter until the aftermath, anyway. Mm
2: -hmm. I had a a question, though, sort of in my mind as I was reading and that it really startled me that in the final discussion where Dumbledore is talking to Harry and this whole living with Sirius idea is briefly mentioned. I was really surprised that no mention was made by Dumbledore of the blood protection, because it seems like by him moving in with. Serious into Grimmauld place, which I think is awesome for the plot, and it's awesome for Harry to get out of that solely Slytherin influence and everything else. On the other hand, in terms of you know story arc, I wonder is this going to push things up with Voldemort a lot faster because he's no longer getting that blood protection that he's getting in canon?
4: Well, I would normally if it was anywhere but Grindelwald. <laughs> no, Brett, I keep calling it Grindelwald place. <laughs> If <laughs> it was anywhere but number 13, oh, I think you'd be right. It was right.
1: actually 12.
4: Or number, should number 12, wow, I, I, that place is just stumbling me over. If it was any place but number 12, I think you'd be right. But I think that you have to consider that place as safe as Dursleys are almost, just because once even the Ministry has fallen and Harry's hiding there successfully from Dumbledore and... <laughs> Dumbledore and... <laughs> He's not hiding from Dumbledore. I mean hiding you know what I mean. That's I mean, just hiding from Voldemort um, in, in Grindelwald for the what this is after Voldemort's taken over the ministry and Voldemort still can't get at him. And, then, and there seems to be no concern with him spending most of the summer there from a safety perspective. So I think Grindel uh, how do you even say the place correctly? Someone give me the correct name for it.
1: Grimald.
4: Grimald. Okay, the significance of Grimald Place is that it's pretty much, you know, it's the order headquarters. I think it's after Hogwarts and after the Dursleys. It's probably the safest place we see, period.
2: Okay, I yeah. do understand that, but it's not just a matter of the place he lived being safe. The fa- mere fact that he could call Privet Drive home, even if he wasn't there most of the time, even if he just spent one day a year there, the mere fact that he could call it home gave him this whole range of blood protection. You know He's
4: fine in year seven, though, after his birthday, until they blow it through sort of their incompetence. It's not Voldemort who cracks into number twelve; it's just sort of their incompetence that makes them leave. They're but I mean, they're gets, safe.
2: But when he goes to Grimmauld place, it's just that he, okay. So he's under the protection while he's still at Privet Drive. Then there's the move to um, when they, you know, when they leave, and he's not protected then.
5: Right? hmm It feels he's safe while
2: in Grimald Place. But you know, after that he's fair game again. Um so I it, just feel like yes, he's safe when he's at Hogwarts. Yes he's safe when he's at Grimald Place, but now you're opening him up
4: to I see when he's doing in like cars, fair but... game
2: everywhere else. Yeah, the one thing that I was wondering is
3: did that protection stop when he left after year three? Like I guess it didn't in Canon, but if you like leave with the intention of not coming back, did you did that mean that you renounce that place as like at what point do you stop calling it home? No, wondering how that works.
1: You um. Hmm.
4: It was, I mean, he, I think
3: when year three, he he wasn't didn't feel like he was leaving forever, but in in year three of this, he kind of did to a, bit, a larger extent.
4: Yeah, it's pretty clear to me. I think blood wards are stopped. I, I I think Dumbledore. I mean, Dumbledore did want him to go back, but Harry was just sort of having none of it.
3: So I feel like in canon, he was just kind of like really pissed off and wanted to get out of the house,
1: and then right, just ended think, up kind of. I think I don't think he had the. In- Intent, so I I I would definitely buy that he may have um he may have broken the magical um, contract by
3: because like at the end of that chapter it said he left never like he thought for the last time or something
4: yeah and very kind of symbolic language I'd assume he broke the magical contract yeah Mm -hmm. okay yeah which which isn't a good thing I'm sure but he I don't think Harry I mean Dumbledore doesn't come out and tell him. For whatever reason, maybe because he's afraid like Harry will tell the Malfoys or something like that. For whatever reason, Dumbledore doesn't tell him. And I don't don't think Harry would have cared even if Dumbledore did tell him, in all honesty, in this book. Harry doesn't really put much stock in Dumbledore's opinions. Hmm. I think Harry still would have wanted to leave. And I guess the other difference is, if you think about it in canon, for all essential purposes, Dumbledore is Harry's guardian. Because even when Sirius is free, Sirius is still criminal in canon. So really, even though morally Sirius is Harry's guardian... Final say is really with Dumbledore because Sirius can't really a he doesn't want to but b he couldn't sort of go against Dumbledore anyway. Whereas here, when because Sirius is vindicated and free, it's sort of like Dumbledore's more has less influence over Harry. He's
3: obviously more obsolete on Yeah, and I think this is kind of just an inherent dislike of Dumbledore in the fabric of the story, which I recognize even though I do read stories like this. More often than most people do.
4: Really? See, I don't think it's a, it's Dumbledore's portrayed really well.
3: It, no, no, I think it's portrayed well, but I think it's—I
4: mean, just when the, I read the, Harry the, and Dumbledore together, I come out thinking Harry is a jerk, not Dumbledore. Yeah. Like, even the yeah. Like, even the last chapter when like Dumbledore's talking about the Muggle Protection Act, he's like, you know, we could we could really use to revise it. So it's instead of it being take all Muggleborns from their family, it's take all ch- Wizarding children, period, who are abused and. Yeah. New yeah. Like- I mean,
1: I'm I'm saying this is like as a really big fan of Dumbledore. I don't think that the Dumbledore in the story is portrayed badly. I think Harry is a little asshole.
4: <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's their interaction which yeah. pisses and you it, off.
1: Like we, yeah, what pisses me off is Harry. Yeah, not, yeah. not Dumbledore or the way Death Deathrow wrote it. What pisses me off is Harry. Yeah, <laughs> but see, yeah. I have some
2: hope for the future simply because the fact that Death Deathrow wrote this the way he did, the fact that he still shows that Dumbledore is trying to be reasonable, that
1: Dumbledore, you know, yeah, I, guess, that I, I, I get that. I get that because I know. Yeah, as a, I yeah, know as a that writer, in a lot of these, yeah, in a lot of these stories, I know that like when you get like the negative Dumbledore thing, it's because. The the writer has a bad opinion of him, or, or mm-hmm. is going to portray him badly. But I think here it's, I think here the reader is clearly supposed to think that Dumbledore is right and Harry is wrong.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Dumbledore is right, and Harry is wrong.
1: Yeah, <laughs> but you get what I mean that in some of these, do, it's yeah. like Dumbledore is um evil can, is supposed to be wrong. Yeah.
4: Yeah, there's like yeah, evil Dumbledore, manipulative Dumbledore, kind of yeah. <laughs>
1: I hate all those like that and Harry Hermione like I'll read this I'll read you know all this different stuff but I won't read evil Dumbledore and I won't read Harry Hermione uh,
4: so what did you guys think of Lucius Malfoy giving Harry the talk
1: I just thought it was
3: really kind of funny and ridiculous It was just so uptight, and I loved that it was very like Malfoy never say anything that isn't very proper and formal, but yet you know what's going on. It's the contradiction of those two things is really amusing. It
1: was interesting juxtaposed with what happened between Elon and Jamie.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. and was I also the only one who was thinking this is what I can imagine Vernon Dursley saying when he says the line, Their uh, culture is barbaric. I've seen gangs of young hooligans wearing the most disgusting clothing, and their public decorum leaves much to be desired. That's what he uh, says in
3: book one about, about withereds, yeah.
4: Does, he, does it Vernon actually varied. say that in book one? Not, in not, bird, e- but not
1: like. exactly, but I mean, it is very similar to the yeah. kind of thing he does and would say, so I think
4: it's. I don't like, know if
1: it's similar enough to have been deliberate, but I do see definitely similarities between the two. Yeah, correct, so this, yeah. he, I think at least he's showing that they come on both sides.
3: Yeah. 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 They do. Even though Lucius is more sophisticated about his prejudice, he still obviously has it.
2: I just was thinking, you know, it's it's interesting because we are starting to get the sort of budding romance Harry here. We've seen him time after time modeling his behavior after the Malfoys. He's using them as role models, whether it be Draco or Lucius or whomever. And here he's given a really strong lesson in, well, here is how you are to, to behave yourself in displays of affection and here is what is acceptable and here's what you're allowed to feel and here is what you're allowed to do and you know like and i'm very curious to see how that ends up playing out in his relationship, Mm -hmm. you know? And will this basically guilt him? Will he be able to get past it? Will he go someplace else entirely and suddenly realize, hey, you know what? I've been modeling my behavior after them all this time, and maybe that wasn't always what I need to be doing. Yeah. Because up to this point, all the things that he's been modeling his behavior, none of those things really have a quote-unquote wrong that he can see, you know? yeah when it's but this is the first time where he's being told this is how you should behave, and if you know if he behaves that way or if he doesn't behave that way, he can start making judgments of maybe that is or is not the right thing. so this could lead to a place where um he could start being like, Hey, you know, maybe they don't always have all the answers, or, or maybe that don't go be- that way at all. I don't know, you know it- no, yeah. I was- have yeah. an
3: interesting dynamic in his friendship with Draco actually because Draco kind of – I don't know how Draco would deal with that. I just think it would be interesting to see that.
4: But I think it was Plaid, <laughs> Plaid who was saying, and it hit right on the head, juxtaposition what Lucius is saying to – I think it's the same chapter, right, with Elan and Blaze and uh, – Jamie. I mean, see, so yeah, Elan and Jamie, yeah. Elan um,
1: is not a pedophile.
4: <laughs> <laughs> he's many other things. He's an abusive jerk, but he's not a pedophile. Um, well, yeah. At least there's that. Um, <laughs> and and yeah, this, by I, the way, if you were wondering from earlier why Elan pisses me off, it's this scene right here. Why don't? Yeah, I, I
1: really,
4: I, I don't like him after this. Uh, I, I don't like him at all, I, at all, because of this. Because you know what? He he cheats on her. He's he's like really nasty to her. And then he shoots, like, a blasting curse at her. I mean, mean, and and Harry's watching all this.
1: And it's like, you wonder, what I wonder, what I take away from reading this, is how much of this, because this is big, like, this kind of problem that Alon has with women is big. It makes you wonder whether Lucius was just saying that to Harry, or whether... Like, did Elon pick this up from school or did he pick it up from his father and that all that stuff Lucius just said was just talking to Harry?
4: Well, I think Lucius, what I think it, What I think it is in all, my opinion, I, I think Lucius really believes and follows what he said about women. Because you look at the scenes with him and Narcissa, like in the missing scenes and all that stuff, and he's very, like, kind of lovey-dovey and respectful. But what I think Elon picks it up from is not how Lucius deals with women, but how Lucius deals with, like, other people, You know,
5: um,
4: because there's this in Lucius, you see this sort of split personality between how he deals with his family and how he deals with the people outside of his family as just a long... Elon, Alon, however you say his name, just doesn't divide it like that. Like, he's treating Blaze how I can imagine Luke just treating, like, Arthur Weasley, kind of. Um, Wait,
3: do you mean Blaze or Jamie?
4: Just Jamie, I keep calling her Blaze, sorry, okay, uh, Jamie. I'm all over the place tonight. Yeah, how yeah. he I have Blaze in my notes, that's why, so I keep looking at my notes, and I keep seeing, I hear, like, cheating on Blaze, then cursing her, so that's why I keep... <laughs>
3: Yeah, I, I was really yeah, a little confusing there,
4: but yeah. um, so yeah, how he treats Jamie, excuse me, and I, think, I find, I, find that's,
1: that's, I, it's kind, of, sorry, it's kind of amusing that even in like. Mike's favorite fic that he knows everything about. He still has Mike moments.
4: I know the fic well, but I mess their names up. What can I say? And what I find fascinating is that Harry, who's watching this, comes away not... Well, you know, two things. First off, I think this is something about how Alan treats women, because he's kind of like, he's always working out with weights and things. Yeah, and that was... A, yeah.
5: Elon he's is kind of such creepier. a jerk.
1: <laughs> Me, he, 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 Girls of Puffwa don't date a guy like Elon.
4: Please, <laughs> please don't. Hey, he's a bad management. football jerk, like a football jock who's like like a cliche one. Um, anyway, so so first Elon's really creepy with his weights and his beating on women and cheating on women all over the place. But then Harry watches this and he doesn't come away disenchanted with Elon. He comes away on Elon's side. And when later, when Blaze is talking about how much she hates Elan because she's angry, I got it right this time, I do mean Blaze, because she's angry at how he treated her sister. Harry, which is actually just another bonehead moment, because whether you agree with Elon or not, you don't talk about a girl's sister like that, but uh he sides with Elan over his girlfriend's sister.
3: Oh. Yeah. yeah, Not a good idea.
4: And it's not even like he's hearing this second-handed. He saw what happened. Blaze well, didn't even see what happened. Harry saw.
1: Like, he's re- he's really an idiot. I mean, he's, he's like, I know he has the perceptiveness of a lamp, but he's really dumb.
3: <laughs> good to see that it holds true. Like, perceptiveness of a lamp isn't changing this thick. He's still, like, I would have hit him over the head with something sometimes. He's just so dense, but... <sighs>
1: it does, I mean, it makes since, I mean, just based on like what he's been exposed in canon, he didn't have somebody like Alon until you get to Sirius. If Sirius even counts, but like, there's no, there's really no stand-in in canon for Alon, like an older brother type figure that's in not in any way, shape, or form an adult.
4: It would be like Bill if Bill had. He stuck has around. the
1: twins, like kind of, or but Oliver, but it's like it's they're not as close to Harry as Alon is, so. I think it's interesting to see what would happen with Harry's, the fact that he idolizes Elon. Like, there's nobody in canon quite like that.
4: I I think it's more, too, than just... I, I think part of it is that Elon seems, quite, I'm doing little quotes with my fingers, like, cool to Harry. Like, he's yeah, sort of like he's this.
3: The person cal- he looks up to.
4: Like, yeah. But like, I almost think, like, Elon is the obvious parallel as Percy, but in terms of his character, it would sort of be like, um, and obviously Bill's a nice guy, but if Bill. Or like been, Fred Sasha George, almost.
1: Yeah, I think. I Bill's
4: too young, though, I think. Bill, close- I
1: think Bill is too different to. And too distant. Not different. I mean, I mean distant. Bill is too distant to be really like that. I think it would be something either like the twins... I think it's I think it's right with the twins, Percy, or even Oliver.
4: When, when I say Bill, what I mean by that is I think Bill has the same sort of sense where, obviously, Harry's nowhere near as close to Bill and Canon as he is in, to Elon, but there's the same sort of sense of, like, this is the sort of, from Harry, like, this is sort of like a cool wizard who, like, you'd want to be like sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas I, I, if Bill had been in Harry's life to the same extent that Alon was, Bill was in school with Harry as a seventh year and then, like, hung out with Harry in the burrow every summer. I think you would have had a similar sort of hero worship going there. Oh
1: yeah, Pro- yeah, I could see that happening.
4: Which is what I'm getting at. Like, it, it's, it's more than just that he's an older kid. It's that he sort of he has this. Even reading the story, like you think he's a total bastard, but like I'm not surprised people look up to me. He, he, he strikes me as like sort of like a cliche like high school jock. He has, yeah. like, a band- yeah, that's.
1: That's what it is.
3: I think he's insecure, and so he just ends up overcompensating a lot. And that just seems like a lot, like, with the weights and with the... I think that Harry needs to get out of his... I mean, it's been said before, but just kind of get out of the entirely Malfoy sphere of influence.
1: Yeah, I think when he gets to be in with Sirius and Remus, he's going to probably get a little better in that respect.
4: The Who Loves the line in The Missing Chapters where um, where Sirius and uh, Lupin talking about Harry... And Sirius it goes like, Sirius sobered visibly. My God, Mooney, can you believe him? It's James, and yet it's not James at all. It's like some creepy evil twin of James. Brilliant! What did you guys think of Sirius being pardoned? Because obviously there's a major... This is the first book where year one and two, even though I think the events of the end, like, how it happens changes. The end result is exactly the same in canon as in year one and two here. But I think the results here change dramatically from the results in canon, obviously.
3: Well, I think this is just kind of saying, yes, this is going to be a definite split from canon. Mm -hmm. I think you almost needed this, because if it had just kept going on the path of canon, I would have stopped reading. It just was so close to canon that, I mean, it still had some differences, but if it hadn't branched off more at some point, then it uh, would have been too close for comfort. Yeah. Not-
1: and really, really like you've been saying, Cody, he does need some other kind of influence to keep him from going too out of canon. Because if, like, on the one hand you have like the canon events being the same, but on the other hand you have Harry being radically different from his canon personality, so exactly, you ne- he needs it needs to kind they need to kind of balance each other out.
4: I think so too. Here's something you know, Peter dies, and I mean, not dies. Yeah, that was the thing that really
2: up. bothered me. Was I was like, I can see Peter dying in this series of events. You could kill him, you know, incidentally, on purpose. I don't care who does it. But the fact that they were just like, okay, and now we're going to give Peter the Dementors kiss without any sort of trial, right now, just because I say so,
3: really bothered <laughs> yeah. me. Yeah. So well, have we not just gone through this for 13 yeah, years? I, I'm not sure dying? how. Su-
1: yeah, I'm not sure how sudden that would be because. I mean, it just, I mean, can you even just imagine that happening and be like, oh, he's innocent. He caught the real criminal. I mean.
4: I can't actually imagine it happening in the, wi- that's where I wasn't going with Peter. Cause I well, I
1: think I, it could happen in the wizarding world. I mean, yeah. it's, it's very sudden and shocking to us because we're muggles, but I mean.
4: Yeah. But the, I imagine I, it it kind of reminds me of like driver, people
1: yeah. getting
3: the death penalty and then DNA evidence exonerated. I mean, not that I think Peter would have been exonerated, but like by the time you know, like yeah. if you had a trial and if for some reason. You'd be able to prove someone wasn't guilty. It's kind of too late. I mean, you can't really, like, put the soul back in, as far as I know.
4: You didn't learn anything at all from Sirius, did you? You're just repeating the same mistakes with the right person this time.
2: Exactly. Yeah. I
4: mean, like, like I, I can't be surprised they didn't kiss him right away, because that's what they were planning to do to Sirius. They were planning to kiss him without a
2: trial. Well, he'd already had, he'd um, had a trial.
4: sentencing. Well, he already had a
2: sentencing uh, and everything, though.
4: Pretty much a sham of a
3: trial,
2: though,
4: as far as I- we know. I mean, we've seen the Wizarding World. They don't care about due process. They they skip trials when they want to. They have trials that are total shams I, on both ends. Like look at Ludo uh, Bagman, where he's just like they don't even care if he's guilty or not. They're just like waving to him and cheering him on because he's yeah. a star. And you have other guys where like you think they're evil, so that's it. You know, are there I mean,
3: no lawyers in the Wizarding World?
4: Apparently not. We haven't seen. I was lawyer. just
3: wondering. <laughs> like, who? Go- I mean, like, there isn't like a law division of Hogwarts? And I guess that's why there's no due legal process because there are no lawyers. That- they're yeah.
1: probably not good lawyers because they didn't go to go to law school.
3: <laughs> they had made a comment earlier about him you know, dabbling in law <laughs> for a hobby or yeah. something
2: and then suddenly he's like oh, i'm gonna be a lawyer <sighs> and i thought he can be a lawyer like don't you have to be a lawyer to be a lawyer i think and all the lawyers
0: are dead i think voldemort caught them all he went i out.
2: don't know <laughs> i i mean i really liked the idea of there being
3: court but i thought you know serious you know he was gonna be like the head of the thing with the dragons and then he was gonna do this and like Evidently, he is a renaissance man in the law department because he is very capable. And
1: it's sad that he couldn't find a loophole for himself because he seems to find loopholes for everybody else.
0: <laughs> well, actually, my, my response to that was I thought Sirius was the prosecutor. So my question like, what? <laughs> <laughs> That's would be interesting. I can picture him like Fred Flintstone running back and forth between the two tables, you know, both prosecuting and defending wrong.
5: Well, like, nobody even
3: questions it. He's like, I'm defending you. And everybody's like, okay. (laughs) You obviously
0: have qualifications. Do you know what you're doing?
3: (laughs) So, yes, I love the fact that Sirius went to law school, too.
4: (laughs) Well, maybe Azuban have one of those, you know, like, work-study programs. Like, even when Dumbledore goes to Harry's trial, they were ready to start without Dumbledore. They were hoping yeah. he wouldn't show up. So it's not like he needed a lawyer. It was just, like, Dumbledore being... And,
3: like, minors can be tried with no guardian and or, like, counsel yeah. present, apparently. Like, <laughs> so what, I, he's like, 14,
4: I So I'm not at all surprised Peter didn't get due legal process here. <laughs> Well, what I can't help wondering is how this is going to affect how Voldemort's brought back to life.
3: Mm-hmm. I, w- I think the wizards have, like, a Supreme Court or something. They need, like, some higher judicial bodies and just, like, whatever counsel the min- that just the minister decides to, like, sham together.
4: Lawyers! That's what they need.
3: <laughs> we need more lawyers! We never thought we'd say this, but we need more lawyers!
4: <laughs> <laughs> ah, they should borrow some more ones. Take a few of ours. <laughs> yeah.
3: Here, take some. That'd be a great, like crack Crackfic, just like lawyers suddenly find themselves in the wizarding world, and they're like, like, like no legal process, no court system, no judicial system. They're just like, what the heck is going
4: on? But it's interesting. I think a lot of fix you read, there's always. I've read a lot of fix, where there's lawyers at trials, like a lot of them. Where, where Harry do goes they come from now?
3: Like magical lawyers. I mean, there's well, no like law division at, at Hogwarts.
4: Is, is it, there, like at, a
1: graduate school.
4: Like, and that you say this, up. we don't see any lawyers in canon ever, even though we see lots of trials. We never see a single Hermione lawyer.
1: becomes a lawyer.
4: Right, but that's after that's post canon. I'm talking about like up until. Are there like south- graduate schools like post Hogwarts? I don't know. I mean, it's, it's apprenticeship. Weird, I, I think. mean,
1: I don't even imagine like how you could get to do like an important job. Like if you look at the, like the level of education they have, like yeah. how do you have, how do you have teachers? How do you have?
4: Well, didn't JK said it's apprenticeship after you graduate from Hogwarts, that it's not, there's no that higher education. That would be hard though. Like,
1: I don't know. I never, never heard that.
4: I, I thought I, maybe just in thick, but I, I know I've heard it where like, for I specialized I that. jobs, that it's, um, for specialized jobs, it's always apprenticeship is what I've read. anywhere.
2: I've read both in fanfic. I've read a. I've read a variety and I've read sort of like post studies. You know,
1: I know she said studies. there's no there's no um university with the, no university mm-hmm. and um obviously you can read that however you want to read that if you're if you're me you can read that to mean there's no universities in Britain and there's universities in other countries <laughs> but
3: <laughs> yeah I would love for, like a magical equivalent of like Oxford what, like it Oxford makes university sense there's no university. Magic.
4: These because how many wizards are there in Britain? There's like what you know, four thousand or something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, how many students are there in a year at Hogwarts? There's like forty students a year at Hogwarts. Like, well, like depending imagine, on whose
3: numbers you're using.
4: I mean, if you imagine there were only forty people who graduated from the United yeah. States every year, how many colleges can that support? Yeah, like support it does. It
1: does make sense. I'm just just saying. Um, what I did. <laughs> did every,
4: the, and it'll be the same population name. in other countries, I guess. Like, other than, like, China. Like, maybe you could have a university in China, but that's probably In not a it. way,
1: well, if, I mean, if you really care, what I, what I kind of envisioned it as in, when I wrote about, mentioned Wizarding Universities is, when, in Circle Stones, is just that, um, it's their more or less research institutions. So it's not like a college where you go for four more years of school. It's like, you know, some people choose to, be university students for their career or something like that. You know what I mean? It's more like research, more like what we see as a research institute in the Muggle world. So, and I killed the podcast.
4: <laughs> I'm thinking, if I had to guess, and this is not based on anything, I would guess it's more apprenticeship-based. Like, I imagine, like, if you want to be an aura, you go through aura training. If you want to be a potions master, you apprentice yourself to a potions master. Who's yeah, well, already- yeah
1: that's uh, probably that's definitely true for those kind of jobs like that's what I was like we know there's our training
4: and those um, are the only jobs like professors don't seem to be hired they don't seem they don't have any seem right. to have any I, don't, I
1: don't I don't even think that so I don't even believe that um professors have that much training i think you i kind of envision it as um
4: real life experience
1: yeah real life experience and or the one, if you're trying to like decide between two candidates who are equally like qualified in their knowledge of the subject because they had the same exact education, is that it's more or less like you hire the person who would make a better teacher just in terms of who's better at dealing with kids, you know?
4: And in terms of how it functions, like how you find your profession and job, if you really want to know in all honesty how I think it's done, I mostly give sl- people like Slughorn the credit. And I think that's how the. That's how it traditionally works. Is it's all connections? Like you're interested in something, and that's the, the, you know, why pure blood families can have so much power because it's all like you know, you're all interrelated. You all, you always, you know, some, you know, some cousin or you know someone who knows someone who like gets you a you know, in on this slot or that slot kind of thing. Yeah,
1: like that. That's po- that's always possible too. Yeah. Really, I mean, really, all I'm basing this on is um. I mean, I don't really see, I maybe I'm reading the wrong fix, but I don't really see a lot about it. So, all I'm basing it on is what I made up for yeah. what I write.
4: Like, I think there's a reason why Slughorn's the way Slughorn is. And I think that's it could be because that's mm-hmm. traditionally right. Helped. He
1: does. I think he does help, you know, put in people, like, um, put in the good word with people because I do see it as being like, um, in after the end, mm-hmm. I, I started after the end. Before that's an announcement. Um, it's more. It's 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 more like they send out, you know, job applications, and then they wait to hear back. And it's actually even the jobs is more like college applications, where you send out your college application and you wait to hear back. So I wouldn't be surprised if in that kind of – if that's the way it works, if you had people like Horace like writing letters of recommendations or other teachers just like yeah. college. Like I'm sure – I bet the job the job application process might be well like our college apps.
4: And I imagine some jobs like you need to apprentice yourself or go through some sort of training. Like the Yeah, older. like I
1: said, I mean like I'm sure the jobs that – I mean jobs that you – nobody like yeah. dragon tamer, like obviously – you, you don't some just yeah. go right out there and start being a dragon tamer you do have some training but i think probably and but
4: most like ministry like entry level ministry jobs right. you probably that just too. go in yeah
1: rather. i mean you just start you with that kind of thing i mean it's the same way here i mean it's the same way in real life sometimes you know you just I mean, you yeah. do have more education because it's less qualified. Like if you were going to
4: now, you need a college a degree basically for right yeah you know, anything other above minimum wage really
1: yeah I mean it's like unless clear, you're like um,
4: really lucky or really intelligent it's
1: like type. it's like it's the same probably the same here but just based on the different levels of education that they have yeah. you know like you get out of Hogwarts and you start working in um the ministry as like an entry level Percy kind of job. Would be kind of the equivalent of I bet if Percy was a Muggle, he'd probably you know be going yeah. to college, going to probably law school, and then well, probably getting a job in like Congress or something. Or
4: I honestly think well, the biggest difference between us and them is the size of the population. Because if you have a population where the whole Wizarding population in Br- of Britain is like whatever it is, five thousand, even if it's ten thousand, let's say it's t- I think that's way higher than it is. Let's say it's ten thousand. Yeah,
1: I think I think you're um, exactly right. That the, the the population can't sustain yeah. higher education. In the way we know it.
4: And even more than that, I was going to say, like, in, like, you know, a pool of 10,000, no matter what job you want, you either know someone who has it or you know someone who knows someone kind of thing. Yeah. Because that's the sort of the size of the population. And so, like, you have an in anywhere. Whereas, like, in our society, the odds of you knowing someone or knowing someone who knows someone to get you the job you want are a lot slimmer. So you need to, like, get the sort of proof and credentials to. Yeah. 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 Anyway, I was going to say before we get all sidetracked, I wonder how Voldemort comes back with no Peter.
1: Yeah, that's one of the big things that I wonder too because the question really the question really is for me, unless Death makes up like a makes up a different kind of spell to get him to get his body back is who does Voldemort find? to the yeah,
4: willing be Peter, flesh of the you know, I I what, guess what, what it could be is Crouch Jr. could do it if Crouch Jr. abandoned his post right. and went back with Voldemort. Because
1: mm-hmm. it has to be a
4: willingly given. It can't be under Imperius. And there's no other I haven't
1: I haven't read Goblet in so long. Where is where is he now? You know, at this who, point at the end of Crouch Prisoner Jr. Rasmussen, yeah, where is he now? He's he being at kept house by his
4: father. Living in his at the house.
1: house? Yeah. yeah. So I mean, Voldemort would have to like go there somehow.
4: Oh, yeah, how did he you get free of the house? So that's right.
1: He or he could run. Either either Barty has to has to split, or Voldemort has to somehow wind up at the house. Or oh, wait, here's a
4: question: Who is it? Does Voldemort put Bertha under the Imperius, or is it Peter? It's Peter because Voldemort.
1: Voldemort doesn't have a wand.
4: How do, but how does Vol, how did Voldemort possess Quirrell? Like, could he possess? um what's-her-face, Bertha, and then have, and then possessing Bertha, go oh, free yeah, he his
1: servant. he probably could. He could possess Bertha like he possessed Quirrell, and then just yeah. go go find Barty.
4: Yeah. But doesn't and then, she have
1: to be willing for
4: that? Well, not no. to, she has to be willing to donate her flesh, but she doesn't I have think, to be willing to free Crouch Jr. Right,
1: well, I mean, define willing. I mean, I'm pretty sure that Quirrell was not a Death Eater. Like, Quirrell was not willing, but he couldn't resist.
4: No, I, I think and what... I think and I think Bertha probably to, couldn't
1: resist either.
4: I, correct me if I'm wrong. I think what Amelie's referring to is the ceremony at the end, right? Where it's oh, the flesh okay. of the servant. Right, Amelie? Right. Yeah. Right. The, flesh, I think the, that, the
1: person that gives the flesh probably won't be Bertha. It will probably be Crouch Jr.
4: Right. So I think it has to be like, you know, Bertha frees Crouch, but I guess Crouch, instead of hanging around as Moody, has to get there to help Voldemort. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. But if it was that easy and Voldemort could just possess anybody, you think he'd have done it by
4: now? You know. How does what is, is there? There must be some sort of circumstances that let him possess Quirrell that he could not possess. Think
1: it had to be. Well, Quirrell walked right by wherever he was, and if he's hiding Earth in the does. woods, maybe lots of people don't just walk by. So I why mean, is he hiding in that. the woods?
4: Like, if he could possess anyone, why not hide out in Great, you know, in London or something?
1: Um, because he's probably he might be too close to
4: too far, I guess. I don't to
1: Hogwarts, you know, I mean, like they'd find him. I mean, like if you a spirit floating around in London, I'm sure you'll get spotted by some wizard or some or
4: So, so I guess if Bertha stumbles... I mean, unless unless there's some special circumstance that allowed him to, to possess Quirrell that we that Bertha doesn't have, why couldn't he possess Bertha? Yeah, I imagine
1: someone? that he could possess Bertha just like he possessed Quirrell, just like they probably just walked right by. He's probably looking for a Brit, quite honestly. Like, he probably... If he possessed, like, random Albanians, it would be harder for him to get back to Hogwarts.
4: But, you know, it has to be – this just might be one of those things that you can't explain perfectly well, in all honesty. Because, I don't know, if you could possess anyone who walked by you, possess – who cares if it's an Albanian? Possess the Albanian and make the Albanian no, honestly, walk to Britain. No,
1: I, on, I honestly think he's looking for a Brit because it's more, it's less suspicious because if he possesses a random Albanian person, right, a random Albanian like, muggle, why would they randomly go to Britain?
4: Well, I mean, there's only like 30 ores. they not, you know, like if he possesses a random Albanian you know, uh, well, for that matter, why go to the countryside in Albania? Go to the countryside in England and possess a muggle. It's not like the Aurors were able to figure out he was Quirrell. I mean, it's not like there's that much to fear with them hunting down who he is. You know, he's living in Hogwarts, possessing someone. I think he could like, you know, go out to the back country of England and possess someone.
1: Yeah. Also, I think he went. He said he went to Albania because he felt more power. He, like, felt stronger there because that's where he became Voldemort.
4: Or so, possess an Albanian muggle, make him fly to England and then possess someone in England? I don't no, know. No,
1: well, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying if he possesses an Albanian muggle, then he has to, then he has to figure out a plausible reason for them to go to England without... Because I'm sure... The
4: wizards aren't going to look into a muggle. like No one, besides the, besides the guy's family, is going to care if the muggle picks up and just randomly travels to England with not but telling But I think him.
1: he wouldn't want to risk it. I mean, how do you know the person's – the he finds a random muggle-born – I mean, find a, a random Albanian muggle whose sister happens to be a muggle-born witch who notices that her brother is acting weird and calls the R's. You know what I mean? I don't I think, think he cares like, that much at all. He's not like
4: he's, he's going to die. Like, what's the worst? that happens? he's
1: cautious though because he doesn't want to get caught. I mean, he's a Slytherin. He's a he's a cautious, planny
4: psychotic. Slytherin. Wow. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I honestly, I think it's just one of those things where there's no good explanation. But you have got to kind of stretch for an explanation because well, I have to have
1: a good. I think I have a good explanation.
4: I honestly don't buy it. No offense, BS. Uh-huh. Just because, one, he'd be killed, so they discover it's him, they blast the body like they did to Quirrell, and he goes back to Albania and does it all over. Or he goes wherever he, he wants to go and does it all over again. You know, the, the odds of him, the random muggle possessing, having a sister who's a wizard, who's then suspicious when her brother picks up, tracks her brother down to England before Voldemort jumps bodies, and then, you know, it's just like this chain of events that could happen. You know, it, it, it seems more likely to me that if you possess, you know, Quirrell, someone will be suspicious than if you do these steps.
2: I I, I-, I understand that you guys feel like Quirrell was not, like, I understand he wasn't a Death Eater. But on the same hand, I think I remember something about he he had been willing because he refers to him as, you know, as Lord. And he, you know, he's very deferential to to Lord Voldemort and he's going through. And I think I read something that was saying it was out of weakness out of his part. You know? Uh,
4: so it was willingly. But it was still explained. willingly.
2: And I feel like whoever is the host for Voldemort would have to be willing. Mm,
4: that makes sense. When you, the, that, to me, hard step. that to me logically explains it. That it has to be willing. Which makes sense. So then why not possess, you know, someone really important like the Minister of Magic? or something. Yeah, I, I, I think that makes sense. It has to be willing. And maybe you can, like, wear down your defenses a little bit so you give in easier. But it has to be a choice.
5: mm mm-hmm. Yeah.
4: That makes sense to me, Alma. Thank you, Omly, for saving us 10 minutes of back and forth. <laughs> well,
2: because, I mean, like, that's what Coral was doing out in the Albanian woods in the first place, was he had this fascination with dark magic. Right, you know? yeah. And then he finds the darkest wizard
4: of the age. Yeah. That is fair. Ver- Thank you very much, Amelie. You cleared this up in t- <laughs> I think you're 100% no doubt about it right. Which, I guess, goes us back to the question of how Death Roll will manage it, which I guess we'll find out.
1: Yeah. So is there any... I think this is actually a good... A good discussion we're having, since we kind of covered the story, is just see where, what other questions do we have about where it's going to go eventually? Is there anything else that is
2: going to be interesting? to wrap up, we could have everybody give where they think the story's going, last-minute thoughts, mm-hmm. if you guys think you're done. Otherwise, we could talk about whatever.
4: Yeah, anything else you want to bring up, Amelie?
2: Um. No, that's my checklist. The only other thing is the confrontation between Sirius and Lucius. Mm. Oh, yeah, that's
1: interesting.
4: And, and I think it bodes well because you're, you're seeing sort of Harry's seeing an adult he admires challenge Lucius Malfoy or, like, not be totally approving of Lucius Malfoy. Whereas before, the only people who didn't approve of Lucius Malfoy are people who Harry didn't approve of himself.
2: It also provides the basis of if there is going to be this alliance, you know that. That was discussed earlier. This is where it's going to have to happen, and and you do have Narcissa sort of stepping in with you know cousin you know, yeah. cousin you may cousin you may not approve of us, and I understand we have our differences, but um am I the only ha- we have Harry in common, and we wouldn't change that for anything, you know.
4: And I do think, by the way, on a side note that mm-hmm. I'm guessing, I, I actually I know as he wrote this is after book six and seven. By the time we get to the year three, especially the second half, and I noticed that Narcissa as a cat. Character changes, in my opinion, from how she is in book. Because obviously, when he wrote the first book, he had no idea who Narsis is, and she's kind of like this weepy trophy wife, like "oh, goody, goodness" kind of person. Whereas by year three, she's a lot more like she is in canon. I think like a strong (laughs) because in canon she's a strong character. He's stronger than her husband in a lot of ways in canon. And the only other thing I had in my notes was I thought it was interesting when Lucius and Dumbledore work together, when they're going together to see Fudge to get rid of the Dementors. You see them together and they don't like each other and they don't approve of each other, but they're kind of like unwillingly working together to get rid of the Dementors from around the school.
2: So between that and the fact that for all that Sirius and Lucius don't have a lot of common grounds but are trying to find it, perhaps that will be enough to yeah. let them start to make these connections that they need.
4: Harry will be the common ground between them. Yep. Yeah.
1: So I guess, let's see, um, Is there are there any other points that we'd like to say where we wonder where it's going or where we think it's going? Look, I know we talked about how, um, Ships, how someone else is going to have to bring Voldemort back. Um...
4: I think here's an interesting thing. I, I don't see... We, we've talked about, obviously, Order of Phoenix and which Death Eaters will stay loyal to Voldemort and which will f- stay with Harry. But book six, I know this is way, way ahead of us, but obviously if Draco, as I think we all assume, is going to stay loyal to Harry, even if his father doesn't, and I think Lucius will. How does Dumbledore die if he does die in book six? Because there's mm-hmm. no Draco bringing kids in through the cabinet. You know, not
1: I almost them. wonder if... um. Maybe not exactly what Draco did in Half Blood Prince, but a very similar thing is going to happen. I kind of, am, I kind of wonder. Slash, I'm afraid that one of the kids is one of the Slytherin kids is going to um, be on not Voldemort's be side.
4: I see, yeah. that, like one of them who's.
1: I I almost wonder if one of them is going
4: like to play Draco's
1: role in Half Blood Prince, and I almost wonder if it's not going to be. Jenna.
4: Before that, I could almost see you being a Gryffindor, though, which was the only almost keeping with no. Petrels. Now you don't see any Gryffindors no. going over the.
1: No, I think I think I think we're going to see, or we could possibly see one of the one of the Slytherins turn. And Jenna. Oh. For I, I jump to Jenna because I realized, um, because a I realized her Bogart is there's something up with her. Like she is an interesting character. Based on her bogart, she doesn't. Her biggest fear is fear, which means that she's pretty brave. But we haven't really seen that much from her. And also, her family wants to get ahead.
4: Yeah, social climbers. Yeah, I guess how can you jump the Malfoys and the Parkinsons? It's only if you, they side you, with you, Harry yeah. and you side with Voldemort, and Voldemort wipes mm-hmm. them out. Huh, interesting. I can see yeah. that. In year seven, I almost feel it's too much. Too hard to predict at this point, then, was Yeah, think. I
1: mean, right. jumping, that's kind of jumping far ahead. I mean, I am really sticking, like, besides the Jenna thing, which I could totally be off base a- about, um, Think I almost, I all wonder what you're going to see in order with Umbridge. Are you going to see the Slytherins resist Umbridge, or are you going to see Harry on the Inquisitorial Squad?
4: That would be interesting. Harry Umbridge not as hostile to Harry. And here's the other thing without, if, Mal- if you assume Malfoy's on Harry's side, Without Malfoy inf- influencing Fudge, what's the stance of the Ministry going to be?
5: Yeah. The other
2: thing I'm curious about is whether we'll be able to keep Sirius or not.
4: Yeah, will Sirius die in year five? I don't well, think
1: Sirius die earlier. I mean, I don't see how really, but I mean, I almost wonder if anything. I don't have anything.
4: At this point. I don't have anything concrete, so I don't. I don't feel this is a spoiler, though. If you feel like editing it out, you can. But knowing Deathrow as I do as a person, and knowing how much he loves Sirius. I don't see Sirius being killed. I see sort of like Melinda with um, Ron, or not Ron. Who's who's it? Who is, it that Mel- is it Ron that Melinda likes so much? The Weasleys, I should say. It's like Melinda with the Weasley. They're like she may make it close, but she'll never kill them off. I don't think Row is ever going to kill off Sirius.
1: That's interesting. And also, obviously, I wonder what role Horace will play. <laughs> <laughs>
4: That That's it. Horace might, like, he, he might have a much closer relationship with Harry. In that, that makes me so
1: excited. I really, I really, really hope that happens. Like, I, I can't wait for year six.
4: <laughs> yeah, interesting.
2: I think you have a little while to go.
1: I he know. Might,
4: he might come in in year five. I could see him coming in year five. I'm
1: really, but I'm really looking forward to it. But, um, I also, I wonder what whether we'll see, like, what order members we'll see because, um... Like I don't really know that the Weasleys will be that invested in it, even though Molly Weasley's brothers were killed in the first war, and that's partially why she was invested in it. But I do think in Canada her main investment was Harry. So.
4: But I think the Weasleys as a whole they have an investment for Dumbledore. Like what the Order really is is people who are loyal to Dumbledore and Dumbledore. Yeah, well,
1: I but see the Weasleys weren't in the Order in the first war. So was I Arthur almost, not in
4: the order? No. Who, he in the, who's in the picture? Isn't Arthur Weasley in the picture at Moody no. shows?
1: No. the Weasleys were not in the order the first time, so it makes me wonder if they're not going to be in it in the second time either. Because the reason they were in it the second time was Harry.
4: Mm. Mm. I think it depends how closely Harry and Dumbledore are, are alive. Like, I could see like I could see some of the younger Weasleys still wanting, like Fred and George, wanting to join, assuming mm. it's not with Harry.
1: Depends on how, like, on how how Harry focused the Order is, you know.
4: Well, it almost makes you wonder too. I wonder, I wonder if there's resistance to believing Voldemort's back. Will it be more Gryffindor-centric? Like, sort of anger at Harry in year five? Right. Like, let's, let's say, like, we talked about if Umbridge comes and likes Harry and Harry joins the Inquisitor Squad, but let's assume that she doesn't and that, you know, it's the, the ministry still has the same stance, only now you wind up with the Slytherins being the ones pissed off and yeah, kind that of. Would, that's that's um, what
1: I was saying. Like, I would be very curious to see whether you get a Slytherin-centric DA or if you get. You know Harry being
5: Richard,
1: yeah being on the Inquisitorial Squad because I also think if you get a Slytherin centric DA then you're going to have probably some of the Ravenclaws like Terry will probably stand up for Harry
4: and fewer Hufflepuffs
1: balls. and maybe may and maybe no Gryffindors. Yeah, like I said f- fewer Hufflepuffs and may, maybe no Gryffindors. Yeah, it makes, makes me wonder
4: yeah.
1: when whether um.
4: You know what I always find interesting, on just a general note? You would think, logically, the rivalry would be Slytherin-Hufflepuff, not Slytherin-Gryffindor. But that's neither here nor there, I suppose.
2: Yeah. Um, what else?
4: Um,
2: um, you guys know the answer to this, maybe, so maybe this shouldn't go on the podcast. But I know at the end they do talk about, oh, well, Lupin's a werewolf and, and whatever, and I assume that's the reason he does not come back this thick, right?
4: They, they say, did you, did you, did you not get the missing scene chapter, Amlai? I didn't get the missing scenes. Oh. This one. The, the one, no wonder you didn't seem to know my quote about what series, that's actually in the missing, when Lupin resigns, that's in the missing scenes and why he resigns. Okay. Do you yeah. want to
2: talk about that here?
4: Um. This is
2: sort of the last of the can, of the fixed discussion we're going to do. So if you have any missing scenes you want to discuss, now's the time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Though I also think I think they weren't linked on the main page, so I think a lot of our listeners may not have read them. So
4: it's linked. It's on his web page. Is it not the web page? Well, he he resigns if I if I understand correctly because just from sort of like nobility, like he doesn't want to put Dumbledore through. Because it still gets out that he's a werewolf, so he doesn't want to put Dumbledore through all the letters. So it's kind of like the same reasons as in canon, only without Snape being malicious about it. Right.
1: Well, it is, and also, it is the curse. I mean, the curse yeah. does have to claim another victim.
4: Yeah. And, and what it is, is that because he, he says, he still forgets to take his potion, and, he's, and he, he gets back to his room safely, but he says in front of the minister, like, he looks up at the moon and realizes it, so it leaks out, because he has to, he slips out in front of the room full of all the ministry people. And so then, it spreads from there, the letters start coming in again anyway. And so he has to mm-hmm. set that. I guess the curse is that he slipped up instead of in front of people.
1: Right. Hmm. Um...
4: The missing scene chapters are there's some great missing scenes, only. You should go take a look at them,
2: yeah, I've read a bunch of them. I just didn't get to that one
4: no. and i I know Death roll's finished the first five chapters of year four, and he's waiting for the podcast to go up before he puts them out <laughs> so. really yeah yeah i've I've read the first five chapters of year four. that's funny, and they're pretty good, like I was really impressed with the first couple of chapters, especially
1: um, um so I'm just else? trying to think if there's any. Any big points coming up in the future that I am curious? Just, I'm just kind of curious. Just in general, the whole order Dumbledore thing. Like, how is he gonna learn anything about Golden yeah. Ward if he doesn't like Dumbledore? Like, is he gonna. Learn to like Dumbledore, so he can talk to him to see the memories, or, his, or is he going to learn about Voldemort from somebody else?
4: From Malfoy, maybe telling him some right. stuff. Yeah.
1: Like, or is it like going to be a combination? Like, it'd be real interesting if he, instead of seeing these memories, if he, if if he actually like talked to a variety of people, like if he talks yeah. to Lucius and if he talks to Horace instead of getting his memory, like if that maybe, kind of thing comes up.
4: Yeah, and maybe he gets like Re- Regulus's old diary or something. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's I an like interesting
1: that. point. Like, because- it'd be interesting. I would like to see Harry find Regulus's room with Sirius there. Like, if have it since yeah. Deathrow will we'll have read Deathly Hallows by the time he writes anymore, because he'd read it by the at least the middle of year three. Um I would like to see Regulus's room, right, and mentioned. And I would like to see
4: relationship Siri. with creature. I would also, huh? What was relationship with creature speaking? Yeah, of- I would
1: also like to see. um creature tell what happened to Regulus while Sirius is there. Because I think one of the big things that was a real shame that Sirius didn't get to see was that his brother was a hero. Uh
2: And I think it would do a lot for Harry to have this, I mean, he's already got the tie of, you know, Sirius was close to my dad, right? And he knows that Sirius came from a Slytherin family, but there's some, you know, bad blood there. Mm -hmm. So if, if Sirius could come to terms with the memory of his brother, I think it would do a lot for um both Harry's vision of Sirius and for Sirius's vision of Harry beyond just a, well, he's, you know, it, it's like Prong's evil twin, yeah. you know? <laughs> like
1: Yeah, like, I really think, um like, the thing that really got me reading, I know re- reading Deathly Hallows, one of the things that really got me was Regulus's story, like, what had happened to him. And I, I really... I want, to, I want Sirius to find out. I want him to find out as soon as possible.
4: I also want to see Harry explore more of his mother. Because obviously with the company he's in, when it's about his family, it's about his father and about the Potters. And his mother's sort of been brushed over a little yeah. bit for Harry. And it'll be interesting to see how he reconciles some of his own beliefs that he's picked up. When he starts, you know, hearing more about his mother, learning and more I wonder about-
1: if living with Sirius is going to get more from his mother, like get him, get more if even somehow this is, he's going to get it out of Snape.
4: Interesting. Snape, mm-hmm. yeah. Interesting. It also brings a new dynamic to the Snape-Sirius rivalry. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah.
4: Interesting stuff coming ahead.
2: Yeah. So yeah, I I I greatly enjoyed myself with this fic. Thank you all for for making it happen and being part of it.
4: Thanks for coming. It you should was, come on more often, Omly. It was
1: great to have you, Omly. We don't really get to have you on that often and it was great.
4: I to know you need to come on a lot more, Omly.
1: I think it this goes was so uh, late though.
4: <laughs> it is late. Think, I'm tired.
1: I know. I think this was um a really a really different fic from anything that we've covered so far and I think this was even different from something like a yearly none another, which, even though it also has kind of a Slytherin perspective, it's this is really a Slytherin perspective. <laughs> and I think from I know I had already read this and Mike had already read this, but so, <laughs> um, but we have to fill in for people that aren't here by just saying that, um, I, I like that we can broaden our horizons by doing a different fic every once in a while because. I know I love, you know, the canon Harry Ginny stuff, but this is fun, too. Like, this is really a lot of fun.
4: Great. I can't remember the last time we had four podcasts where we talked about the fix as much as we did with this one.
1: I know. <laughs> we should probably cover non-canon fix more often if they keep us on topic this much. So, um, we'll And be whether back. you
4: like it a lot, I think it makes you think.
1: Yeah. It really it really, it really, does, because see, that's that's really the reason I like it, because I don't, I'm not necessarily somebody who really likes the Slytherin stuff, but I like the AU aspect. Like, I like, the, I, I'm i a real sucker for these butterfly effect stories. Like, I love what, when it happens on Star Trek and stuff, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna play Ryan here for a minute. Those are always my favorite episodes, where you get to see, like, what happened in, like, an alternate universe, like, an, in an alternate history, where it's like, oh, if, if McCoy doesn't let her get hit by the bus like Hitler wins like those kind of things
4: Well, you know what it reminds me of, P.S.? This one episode on Battlestar Galactica when the Cylons are invading the planet uh, Nebula and the survivors of the Battlestar Galactica just crashed on this planet and there's only like 12 of them left and they're surrounded on all sides by the Cylon robots and in order to survive, they're forced to adopt the identities of the robots themselves and they infiltrate the Cylon ships and through that way, they're able to seize control of the Cylon ships and then go back on their way again.
1: Oh yeah. Cause you see, I mean, it's also, it's really, it's really, really close to this, this episode of um, Babylon five, where you have, um, Shit, I can't pretend this. Never mind. You are not. Nice. PS, you.
4: Blind. Blind. <laughs> I don't right, know.
1: Editor, delete this part because I can't pretend Babylon 5 because I've actually seen it.
4: I haven't seen Battle. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: I know, I know you I know that's why you could make it up, but I can't make up Babylon 5. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Yeah, I, I'd be curious if you did not edit, if you let it out, P.S.'s part, how many people were, like, nodding along. You know, along that's, what,
1: that's what I mean. I mean, I swear to God, whoever you are, editor, edit out me messing up.
4: Request denied.
1: And leave Mike, because I want to see how many people think he's for true.
4: <laughs> see, P.S. knows me right away that she picked up exactly what I was doing.
5: Uh, You're such a team. So,
4: so, on that note, we're without we'll, break. We- It's 11.30, and we're not going to stop. We're going to start right now on a three-hour interview with Death Roll. because that's how dedicated we are.
1: We'll be back next week. We'll be starting on the Book of Morgan Le Fay by Lavender Brown, and you don't know what the chapters will be because Ryan hasn't decided them yet.
4: But starting with Chapter 1.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty sure we'll start with Chapter 1. So if you like Ron Hermione, if you like – apparently this is very smutty – we're going to have Melinda. Melinda and Smut, isn't that a fun mix? And that'll be next week.
4: Excellent. Thanks for joining us. Good night.
1: Bye. Good night.
4: <laughs> His headset isn't working well, is what he said. And he knows it works because he used it on Skype before. Can he hear us? Yes. Yes, he can hear us.
0: But we can't hear him. That would seem to be the problem. We could just have one of us play the part of Death Roll. <laughs> I could be Death Roll's voice. Yes. He has an
4: odd voice. <laughs>
6: Yeah, I wanna yeah, hear no you be Death roll. <laughs> No, wait,
4: wait, wait, we really do need to do that. <laughs> I am death- oh, obviously.
0: <laughs> In the Death universe, the deal is is that the Slytherins beat the Snod out the Gryffindors and then the Hufflepuffs all die. <laughs>
5: Crap Please- the
0: author. Alright. Um is he back? <laughs> <laughs> he said he was restarting. Why is oh. he wearing asbestos underwear? Do we know this?
2: Because he's in the hot <laughs> I asked. And him because right he's afraid of being flamed.
0: We've never flamed okay, Viridian. We flamed Viridian. <laughs> be Hello? Hello? Speak if you wrote they shook hands. <laughs> Speak, I
4: command thee. Good.
0: And we are back right now. Now we have so many people on the line with us. I'm just going to go through and do a roll call type introduction. So we have Omli. Say hi Omli. Hi, Omelie. We have Ray with us. Now Ray was in last week's episode, episode sixty six, and we know she was because we have her like it's on film. We know <laughs> she was there. But Ray to this day denies she ever took part in the Knicker episode. So we think Ray is Ray, how you doing? I'm good and I remember the Knickers. You remember the Knickers, so you were there. It's all coming back to you right now. It's like all lifetime, coming back now. it's like a lifetime original movie right here on Puffwa. <laughs> we have uh Cody with us. Cody was just on the podcast moments ago unless she fell asleep or something happened. Cody, hi. <laughs> Hello. You fall asleep in one episode, you get labeled for life. We have Mike here <laughs> with us. Greetings, greetings, and uh, we also have uh, Sue at Ducksfoot with us. Sue, say hello. Hi, PFW. All right, now we have to admit, Sue is feeding Grandpa and the goat right now, so Mike is playing Sue's part until Sue can return. And if Sue an doesn't ab- return, we just have Mike. And, uh, well, we have Roll here with us. I've taken to calling him Death, which, you know, for Hermione seems rather fitting, and she's a Hufflepuff and oh, I'm calm a Hufflepuff. off! <laughs> so we're, we're going to go with it. So, Death, if Take I can tell you that. How are you doing? I'm talking over you. You wrote the damn thing. How you doing?
7: Doing all right. How is everybody tonight? Happy New Year!
0: Happy New Year! For those of you listening to this, it's probably mid-May right now, but believe it or not, we actually recording this in January. It might be so happy...
3: time for Russian New Year. I'm not sure when Russian New Year is, but I have a friend who's Russian, or maybe Chinese New Year.
0: Cody's on Vicodin. That's February. Unfortunately, <laughs> can I just tell you, Melinda Leo? Right now, is this is coming out probably like the first second week in January? So it's possible when you listen to this that Melinda Leo is actually on Vicodin at this time. <laughs> <laughs> and she's sending me emails, and there's no verbs. I have no earthly idea what's <laughs> happening, but.
3: Yeah, I have a little bit of a Tylenol problem whereby I get headaches a lot. Mm-hmm. So I have to take more Tylenol to get the same effect. So I, I kind of have a tolerance to Tylenol at this point. So I'm taking like four to get any sort of effect. Well, if Lady Chi so, were here, I'm sure <laughs> she'd
0: be proud of you and completely drug-dive her mind. So. I might
3: be on some sort of drug, and I might have taken talent on the past six hours or something. I don't know.
0: Well, that's good. <laughs> so we're, we're just going to go with that. So tonight, we're here to basically poke at Death Roll, ask him questions. He's wearing asbestos underwear right now. It has something to do with being in the hot seat. I'm not sure if that's cancer-causing, but we'll look into that <laughs> for him. And I have to say, as I record this now with you i just actually listened for the first time to episode 66 and i, I obviously wasn't in that episode so it was it was a little treat for me i got to listen to my own podcast yeah, you I know, as a listener and i was shocked when gen 2 and ps and mike and the gang and ray even though she denies she was part of it <laughs> uh cracked the case and determined that the reason harry is afraid to change in front of his fellow slytherins on the train <laughs> car is because he actually wears, uh, female undergarments. He's embarrassed his <laughs> new friends would think. Just want to tell you, Death, as, as we start off our conversation tonight, I smell a one shot.
7: <laughs> no, not at all. I would just like to apologize profusely upfront for that. To
0: Number one, I forgive you. I, I Thank did you. Spit my water out on my computer and nearly electrocute myself, but it I happens. Me. Men do not wear knickers, and if they do, it's usually a choice more than anything else. So, we'll just leave that there. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Not that there is anything <laughs> wrong. with Well, then you do the my thing when political correct one over well, there. Well, no, you make a joke about it on the podcast. Then you're like, okay, at least two percent of our listeners actually do wear female <laughs> garments, so we have, to, <laughs> we have to have that in mind.
3: Well. I remember when we offended, like, every single time zone at one point.
0: That, well, that was Jen. That was, that Jen. was true. It, was when, it true. was when she tripped over the little person at Walmart, is what I think crossed the line. <laughs> Jen, as we record this, is due to give birth any moment, <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to be kind to Jen tonight even though we'll probably be babysitting for her for the next 18 years. So, all right, why don't we do this? Okay, now, Death has listened to, we've done four episodes and they shook hands. one of which you've heard tonight, and actually, because of the way we did this, neither Death nor myself have actually heard the fourth episode yet. So he's at a little bit of a disadvantage now. If we happen to say anything in the last couple of hours that he wants to respond to later, he'll insert himself at random points through the episode. So, Death, from everything you've heard so far, I know you're taking notes and and all that good stuff. Is there anything you would like to kick off with that we've said that you wanted to respond to?
7: Anything I would like to kick off with? All right, well, there was a big question about what sort of fic is this? And I know there was a lot of speculation. Is it a point of departure? Is it completely AU? And I have to say, you got to take into account when it was written, because there was confusion over that as well. The story was begun post-Goblet of Fire. And... How I wrote certain characters was based on an interpretation of an impartial presentation. So I got it wrong, and I can admit that right up front. This is not the canon as told through a straight story now. At the time, that's what it was intended to be, but it quickly became, you know, not. And I think I gave you a very good word to describe the fic in every chapter. Right at the beginning, you laughed at this. Well, I laughed
0: at it because my computer read
7: An alternate but realistic. Universe Harry Potter, Thick by Dithyl. And Then I actually
0: <laughs> read it, and I'm like, okay, reading it. But I mean, to talk over it, keep going. If so... Oh, geez, that's all
7: right. Uh, let's see. Well, let me open up my notes, and I really only have detailed responses to the first cast, because the third one was just on point. Everybody who was on that deserves massive amounts of points, in my opinion. Uh, Gen 2, especially. She was just on point, period.
0: Gen 2's <laughs> the woman with a baby, and every once in a while she gets caffeine at the right points throughout the day, and she's really firing in all cylinders. I, I was listening to that one today. I actually thought that was fun the best ones we've done in a while. Do you have anything specifically you wanted to respond to?
7: Yeah. The character of Ellen Malfoy came up at one point. There was a lot of discussion in the fandom. I don't know precisely how long everyone's been around, but I've been around since Goblet of Fire was in hardcover only, and there was lots and lots of speculation on whether or not Draco had siblings, and... I hold that, at the time, he very well could have existed and been invisible, because, honestly, how many fifth years does Harry pay attention to in the canon? And I believed it was logical to create the character, and he really serves as a multi-purpose plot device. I like him a lot, but... He's a plot device, plain and simple.
0: Obviously, you started this, like you said, after Goblet, and you did the best you could with the information that was available to you at the time to try and do the most realistic story that you could. One of the things that Jem was talking about in the last episode was about Harry's journey into darkness, and where is he going from here? Is he going to be a darker character? Is he going to reach a point where he can no longer let the things that are happening pass by without a lot of thought and soul-searching on his part? There are components of the story that obviously wouldn't happen in canon. It's obviously not the way that Joe is going. Okay, you sat down to write the story. What were you
7: hoping to accomplish with it? It's a big question. What do I hope to accomplish? Uh, There's a lot of things. Quite honestly, I wanted to show not necessarily a true side of Slytherin, because I don't think if you're using Harry as a narrator, you can get a true side of anything. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to see what we wouldn't have seen from the canon show other sides to these characters and while they might act the way that we have seen them in canon, they act other ways as well when they're around each other.
3: more of a different perspective than an entirely new version of canon. It's kind of like you're just looking at it through a different lens, not necessarily...
7: Yeah, I don't claim that this is any sort of non-biased version. For instance, I know it's going to come up, Hagrid portrayed as an alcoholic. I don't think he is. But I do think that... That is how some people view him, because even when we meet Draco for the first time in Madame Malkin's robe shop, he says, oh... I've heard about Hagrid. He likes to get drunk and try and do magic and set fire to his bed.
0: Okay, so you have the character of Hagrid who, when you look at him in the story, he seems like the same character because of the events happening. He responds differently, but he seems like, you know, quintessentially the same man. When you look at Arthur Weasley, we were talking in the last episode, he seems like really the same person. He's a good person. You know, to the plot events, you know, he has to get a second job, work nights... The character of Ron, he really seems like what Ron would be like if he were denied Harry and Hermione and he had no friends and he were essentially an outcast. One of the only characters, as I'm going down the list here, that really seems to be different from their canon selves is really uh, the character of Lucius Malfoy. And it's one of the things that Mike was talking about, how he seemed almost like a combination of later canon Lucius Malfoy and also Tony Soprano to some extent. Talk about Lucius Malfoy. Was was that exactly how you thought he would turn out in the canon when you started writing him? And how would you compare him to how Lucius turned out?
7: You know, I really love Lucius as a character. He's so interesting. He's so fascinating. And I get really annoyed with fics that don't do him well, because he is a very complex character. We know from the canon he cares about his family, but we also know he does unspeakable things. And based on what we knew about him at the end of year four, I mean, I can honestly believe that Lucius Malfoy, he asks Voldemort how he managed to return and so forth. For all I know, (laughs) he was buying time to think about what to do and how to react I mean, he tricks Voldemort into monologuing, for crying out loud. So, it's not really hard to do with Voldemort. I know, but still.
3: I just always thought that I was interesting about Lucius, because I always wondered if he would have joined the Death Eaters more as ambition or self-preservation. Like, was his thinking that, well, if I don't do this, then I and my family are going to be in danger, so instead of standing up for something, I'm just going to go along with it to keep myself safe... Or was it more of a proactive response where he was saying, "I think this will advance us," and so that's what i why I am doing this. So it was uh, a more kind of reactive.
0: I think we just
7: lost Cody, but hopefully you can get. Yeah, I got the question.
3: Okay, I have no said where I dropped off.
7: What was Lucius' motivation?
3: Yeah. What do you think it is and sort of just a general what do people think it is? Because it's not really an answerable question. There isn't really one good answer to it. Just what's your perspective on it? Like, what was his motivation to join the Death Eaters in your point of view?
7: I think I believe that Lucius saw the advantages in joining up with a powerful person like Voldemort to see his own particular political agenda advanced. I think he's the sort of character who would do that, and I think that he, like other individuals that we have heard about in the canon, saw what was going on, saw what Voldemort was willing to do, and said, this is not what I signed up for. And I don't think any of the Death Eaters, aside from maybe Bellatrix Lestrange, actually like getting hit with the Cruciatus Curse. <laughs> I think that... going down a list in my head, I think you're accurate.
4: <laughs>
0: Carry
2: hey, it takes all kinds.
7: Yeah. <laughs> So I I think he had reasons for becoming a Death Eater, but once he found out that he had made a drastic mistake, he was looking for a way out, and he wasn't brave enough to do it on his own. He wasn't brave enough to risk his family at that time, and so he just stayed with it, and he has a strong stomach for the disgusting but. He tolerates it only because he has to, not because he actually enjoys it.
0: If you <laughs> had started your story a couple of years later, well, really, Order of the Phoenix brings you about as far into... Lucius's plot line in the canon is you can get before you reach the end, or at least the beginning of Deadly Hallows, where you really see the character broken. If you had Order of the Phoenix to draw from, do you think your description of Lucius or your characterization of Lucius would have changed? I guess what I'm asking is when you read Order of the Phoenix, are you like, oh, okay, okay, like even beyond Lucius, like, well, how would your story have maybe changed? Hmm.
7: good question. Um, I have all the
0: good questions. I think right.
4: about that with Narcissa a lot. So I think your Narcissa is not doesn't is not at all like canon probably because one of you wrote it, but because she seems very like high society wife in yeah. your thing, yeah. versus what we see. It, well, I
3: think a lot of Narcissa's character we don't see till Deathly Hallows. I yeah. mean, it's that's my point of view anyway. Is that a lot of the things that make her something other than a high society wife and actually make her kind of a strong, interesting, complex person are in basically the last exactly scene almost. of Dusty Hallows. So that's, you know, her character is mostly a post-canon thing. We didn't really see it at all in canon until the seventh book.
4: Or at least book six in any
3: way. True. Well, true actually, no, you're completely right. We're getting the book six, we saw her too. How in the world did I forget that? Because it does seem like a very different character. Because I, I think there's two schools of thought about Narcissa that I've seen from the fix I've read. One is kind of like idiotic, high-society wife. And the other one... Is very politically savvy, sort of Lucius' personality, but cares very strongly about her family.
0: She uh, cries hysterically, also. She's a big, well, soft, narcissism. I think that goes along with the first. In the picture about
7: being wrong, Ryan.
0: I understand I was mistaken, but reading that scene, I thought Lucius was bawling his eyes out <laughs>
7: and I'm like, this is,
0: this is weird. Like, is he trying to get the sympathy vote? What's he doing? The
7: line about hearing the sob is actually the last line of a paragraph dealing with Narcissa, so it's supposed to be her. I understand that.
0: Well it's it's Anne Walsh from Dangerverse had Harry going to get his gay dress robes. I mean sometimes it happens. P. S. <laughs> was listening to something something Ginny did. What it was supposed to be a very dramatic moment that would make you really feel for the character of Ginny and she misread her word and thought Ginny farted. So it just <laughs> so sometimes it happens. But uh what do you think?
7: You know, honestly, Lucius and the canon. I don't find him that interesting. He's extremely one-dimensional to me. I don't know, I might have found it harder to imagine him as the sort of Tony Soprano, Don Clericuzio that I have imagined.
0: Because I think one of the interesting things from my perspective reading this at the time of reading it is because canon and and your just diverge so much. For me, I'm reading this like it was written yesterday. I think that's common. You read the story well after the fact. You, you, you picture an author, instead of having tried to get the canon right, you picture them trying to have done it differently, because obviously, as I read this, it didn't happen that way. And it almost reminds me of something akin to, you know, like the new Star Trek movie or uh, the new Battlestar Galactica. It's almost like a
7: new movie. Star Trek movie. You, you know, oh, why I was
0: not going I'm sorry. There.
7: Not Star Trek. Star Wars but let's not go there anyway.
0: <laughs> Do you know, my fiancé is obsessed with Star Wars, and I have seen... Each but sit movie down and ones. watch it. Good for you. Well, I know, I know each movie... One, and tonight, I, I made a comment about Luke and Leia, and I looked over, and I'm like, Han Solo is the other one, right? She's like, yeah, I'm like... I'm I'm trying to get the basics down. But it almost seemed like a reboot for me. It's like when you take something established and then go back from the beginning and try and tweak the characters. And reboots can be fun. I mean, because at some point, especially with what we do, we read fan fiction over and over again. There's the same events over and over again. So unless you find new and dramatic ways to do it, you're going to get really bored with it. And it's interesting to see sometimes if you change one piece, how all the other pieces could fall. So from that perspective, your story was kind of like a twofer. It was changed. One event and see what happens going forward, and it was also let's change the establishment of the characters. So, for me reading it years later, I was actually a little bit disappointed by that because it seemed like it wasn't the premise I was expecting. But I understand that at the point you wrote that you you didn't have a lot of information, but looking back on it now, yeah, I think here Lucius is much more interesting because while maybe you don't buy the fact that Lucius was Tony Soprano who got in over his head, maybe you do think that he's a more quote-unquote evil guy than that. Maybe sometimes you'll have difficulty believing at the level of characterization. When you look at it, it's just so much more interesting because you don't know whether or not he's lying or whether it's characterization. And on some level, that's, that's a downer, but on some level, it's fascinating. I, I remember listening to Gen 2 today in the last episode. She didn't know where you were going, and that was a good thing. it was really enjoyable to read. And I think, really, Lucius is, is the heart of that, because I find him probably the most interesting character that you write. Um, and let me just jump off that. Talk about your Draco versus canon Draco versus fanfic Draco. Just talk about your Draco and what you tried to put into him.
7: I knew for the story concept to work that Draco would need to be someone who would be a good friend. And I had to think about what would make Draco want to be friends with someone. It would have to be someone that he would regard as a social equal. Because he is rich, he is privileged, he has been raised to think he's the best. Harry Potter being Harry Potter makes that possible. And he's got someone who is actually, if you think about it, probably more important than him. So he's going to try and do what he can to be friends with this person. Draco also, I showed you... Quite a bit of his character when he looked into the mirror of said It was very astutely picked up that Draco sees himself surrounded by his friends. He wants friends, and he. It, it was brought up in the third podcast. Without Harry around to really be the nexus of this group, these people would not be close to Draco. As isolated as we see him in the canon, with really only Crab and Goyle. There was a glitch in the line.
0: So we were, there was a glitch! <laughs>
2: I heard that, too.
0: You never know. Do, you're going to get over. You're sometimes. You
2: may but, want him to say that again.
7: Harry, let's think about it. Do you consider Harry to have a strong force of personality, whether he recognizes it or not? I think he does. And I think if you put Harry in a place where there are people who are drawn to influence and power, you're going to see people who want to form friendships with Harry Potter.
3: I think that one thing that I was thinking of that might be actually a character change with that is that I always got the idea that Draco had been kind of trained to see Harry as sort of, not not like a bad guy, but to be on opposite sides as far as the entire blood purity issue. And I, I, I always had the idea sort of that Draco had been trained to think that what Voldemort was doing was the right way to go. So from that, he wouldn't really be enamored with the guy who got rid of him, even if it was accidentally. So I guess that was the perception I had, which may have just been my own perceptions from canon. But that's the one thing that I thought, that he wouldn't just have a blank slate in meeting him and just say, oh, this is a high-profile person, so he's societally equal to me. That's the only issue I had with it a
7: little bit. If you remember what Harry overhears in Borgin and Burkes in Chamber of Secrets, he hears Lucius tell Draco that it is not wise to appear f- less than fond of Harry Potter and extrapolate from that what could be better, being friends with him.
1: Well,
3: yeah, but that's more of a fake kind of... I mean, that's sort of just how you how you portray yourself to be. That's not actually being friends with someone. That's just... You know not in in a public sense, not making yourself an enemy of them. I mean, there's a little bit of difference there, I think you know what I mean that if she's not being seen as an enemy of someone versus actually being an a, a real friend to them.
4: I mean Is it is it in fandom or is it in the canon? Because I know you, I read all the time about how Lucius instructs Malfoy to try and befriend Harry. Kind I know I've read that like dozens of times in books, and that it's blurred for me whether it's- I have that. Well, yet- he's
5: pretty, mu-
0: he's I- pretty I- much blown his chance by chapter, like what ten? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I would imagine it <laughs> have to be more of a fandom thing. I would agree with
5: that. See,
3: I always had the idea that in canon, he was just sort of trying to get on his good side in a a very much social climber way, not in an actually I want to be friends with this person way. Because they're two different things. You can see someone as a step on a social ladder, or you can see them as an actual friend.
4: And I think there's a distinction that, with that. I think sometimes that can be the first step, though. Like, like if he's willing to, even if it's just, like, his initial impression is, let's be sort of social friends in public, you don't do that with someone you've been trained to hate when you're 11 years old. You know, well, I think that's, that's kind deep. of, that's too complex, I think, for someone that age. Like, maybe, you know, I, I think at the very least, even if he doesn't go in thinking, like, I'll be Harry Potter's best friend forever... In sort of his background training, I think if he'd been brought up to like truly. He well, yeah, dis- I
3: think that's the distinction between canon and this. Is it, I, is it, anyway. I mean, I think in this one, he wasn't brought up with that mindset. Or uh, my idea is that in canon, he was. I don't know. That's just that... that
4: But he offers to be Harry's friend in canon, too.
3: Well, I don't know. I just always got the impression that in canon, it was more of the social climber. Just trying to not make an enemy of someone. But anyway, that's just my perspective.
0: Well, let me just ask someone to get on that. Um, In the first... There's obviously a change that you made uh, in the first scene when they originally shook hands. I think you actually... It mentioned to me, you went back after the podcast covered it, and you actually modified a couple lines. Talk about the first scene when Harry and, and Draco meet in basic back in Chapter 1,
7: because... As it was, or as it's been adjusted? Talk
0: about both. Just talk about the... the-
7: in the opening, I, I really didn't find it hard to believe that once Draco found out this is Harry Potter, he would want to be friends with him based on previous statements about Slytherin tendencies to buddy up to powerful people. You're right, it was a change in the character to have him offer the hand first. Uh, I have since fixed that. I've gone back and instead where Draco is saying, oh, I've been in Slytherin, all my family has been, hey, speaking of family, what's your name? And Harry introduces himself and Madame Malkin stabs him with the needle, and that gives Draco a moment to recover and say, oh, hello, so when do they shake hands, then, now, in the change version? Okay, it happens right after Draco says, uh, A father told me you were my age, but I had no idea we would meet before getting to school. I've been looking forward to meeting you. I'm Malfoy, Draco Malfoy. And he sticks out his hand. Harry says, Oh, nice to meet you. He shakes his hand. And then immediately, Draco notices Hagrid, which is a change from the canon where he w- he said, I'm Malfoy, Draco Malfoy, who are you? And then there's Hagrid. It just occurs to me right now, listening to
0: this, that if Draco were a little bit smarter in canon, this could have actually been the canon story. Draco just comes across <laughs> as such an ass in the original scene. And I will point out the fact that I did get the canon wrong. I forgot there was the follow-up scene on the train. I thought that Viridian wrote that. Apparently, someone named J.K. Rowling he wrote <laughs> <remember>, that. <laughs> unfortunately, those was. fix. <laughs> the fics written by J.K. Rowling. Yes, yes. <laughs> He's a published <laughs> so author. So funny. Here, and <laughs> How many in times one of the, the speech earlier
7: speech? podcasts, you called the f- the canon that fic when you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big fan of after Damn. the end. Come on, the hard were are confusing. She had very bad characterization. I gotta say that.
0: <laughs> no, I will say that. Th- there's been jokes going around about how I forget the canon now. I have podcasts. I've read the canon. I've read the canon twice, and I you know two and a half times. I read the canon twice, and then I reread five and six when uh, Deathly Hallows came out, when Seven came out. So I've, I'm more familiar with like the latter half of the canon.
7: So last time you read the first book,
0: the first book probably about. Two years ago.
7: Glad we have that on the record.
0: Yeah, no, for really a minute, but then about two years ago. But the the thing that's interesting too is I think when you read
7: um anything that's
0: fan produced, when you read something that wasn't written by the original author, I think the first thing you tend to when you read it is you differentiate what's different about this from from the author. How closely does this person get you know the author's style and so on and so forth, and how how much does it gel in with that universe? So it's interesting because we do that so much when we read fan fiction that when we read something the actual author wrote after fact. <laughs> we do the same thing and kind of like how does this compare and contrast I think
3: movie. that was a lot of people's problem with Deathly Hallows is that you they had read yeah. the fanfic that you started saying oh that doesn't fit with the canon and then you wait oh it is the canon it is the
0: canon and well you, no and, and, and there's several different layers to that number one Jo does contradict herself at times which is fine I mean she does do that I think with the, um, Delia's charm I think there's or she said something online and then counteracted that in the actual novel itself so piece about how that works she does make a you know really strong effort to say that, that the Cruciatus girl is something that Harry can't do and then does it. It's not like Hermione was murdered in front of him. And we'll get to her in a minute, by the way. but It wasn't <laughs> like Hermione was murdered in front of him. It was someone yelled at Minerva McGonagall, so Harry Crucio
3: spat on, on her. Well, sorry, spitting, I... Spitting,
0: yelling, spitting, yeah. Gee, Okay, if, if, if they murdered Minerva McGonagall, I could see it, but... Not even. You know, Sirius is murdered. He doesn't do it. Okay, okay. But long story short... just uh, two years older,
3: of though. ...torture, please refer yourself, too. Okay, exactly.
0: But, no, so I'm rereading Year One by Death here, and <laughs> there's, like, scenes where Vernon uses the word magic in a sentence. I'm like, you going to do that. Well, that line's canon. But then it's the point where you can't remember, did Joe make up the rule, or did fanfiction author do this? And then I'm trying to remember, is Ron a seer? Does anyone remember (laughs) So, I remember the big stuff, little stuff. And one thing I was thinking today is because it's never established in canon whether or not the house sizes are always... Equal, having this conversation on our forum today. It, you know, there's five Gryffindor first Sorcerer's Stone, so were there five Slytherin first years?
3: Like, is there a quota? Like, are they. Yeah, a is thing? there a
0: quota? You know, I could think of is if Harry went to Slytherin, who the hell got bumped to Gryffindor? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry.
4: Exactly, I'm doing a head count. I, I said, I, I always thought it was that the head tried to break it relatively evenly, and it probably isn't the
0: exact. Well, I'm so. thinking, there's an extra Hufflepuff female, there's an extra Slytherin... Well,
4: not male. for the whole book, though. Well, that, well, <laughs> Only for a okay, year and a half. Was, that was dark.
0: That was dark, and <laughs> <laughs> that, that was unnecessary. I need to go. <laughs> well, I'm glad
6: you've been <laughs> i'll, I'll come back though if you want me absolutely no <laughs> i have to go feed my husband he needs some food
4: throw your question as you walk out the door
6: then i won't get to hear the answer oh i can you do can that listen
4: to the podcast
6: you had a short <laughs> question that has a short answer does it not refer to anything that death thrill has written with that indeed one? it does not <laughs>
5: go for <All> right. it
6: <laughs> i wasn't gonna actually bring this up <laughs> <laughs> okay death Rill. In the spirit of Snapecast, which I'm calling up since they no longer really exist. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, gosh. Does Severus Snape wear boxers or briefs? <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, I'm taking off. Or
0: does he wear panties?
6: Do <laughs> oh, yes. <They> knickers. <laughs> knickers?
0: I'm not going to lie I thought she was going to ask, do you wear boxers or briefs? Because that seemed to be the question of choice at the end of episode 66. So that's why I'm like, oh, God.
6: Well, Death, you can say that too.
7: <laughs> Snape, well, we are taking a survey of Poufoua men, so uh, Snape wears boxers as do I.
6: Three. Awesome. There you go. On that note, I shall return if I can. <laughs> Bye,
7: Ray. Talk to you later. Bye, Ray.
6: Sue! <laughs> so, it talks
5: fun.
2: I'm here. So, how are you doing? I'm all right. I have a question. I know we had talked in the first episode, which I don't remember the number of. I think I edited that one. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Very
4: good job, too.
2: Yeah, there you go. That are 65. I that. We, and we have talked a little bit about... Narcissa and sort of how it was really hard to really frame her at the time when you started writing this. And I felt as a reader that I felt you get a lot more comfortable with how you saw her. But do you feel like you had a development just as a writer in terms of how you sort of interpreted her character?
7: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think every writer gets better as they go along. And I think unless they're waiting until they're done and then posting, it's very visible no matter who the author is. I could claim first fix syndrome, but that's really not the truth. This is my first Harry Potter fiction, and not my last either.
4: Good. What <laughs> else did you write before? We're
7: not going to go there.
4: Okay. <laughs> oh, that actually don't makes ask a fellow things.
7: Slytherin uncomfortable questions. Does it rhyme with Bar truck,
3: Especially when you're living in the same common room as them.
4: This came up in the podcast, and I thought it, it might have been Omni who brought it up. I thought it was a pretty interesting idea—the idea that your background in chemistry, your like a real life work and in interests, that that seeped into the story in different ways. Do you think that happened? And if so.
7: How? Uh, Definitely a little bit. I am a chemist. I have a Bachelor of Science in chemistry. I work in a real laboratory doing analytical chemistry, and I know my way around a lab. And that was a deliberate decision on my part to change the potions lab that we see in canon, because I know that's not what a real laboratory would look like um, if we are going for realism here. And it was just a couple of sentences there, where I could just show off for a second and really give people a piece of w- what sort of things you would expect to see in a lab. Without g- what
0: specific changes did you actually make?
7: Was now you want me to actually recall the canon? What the heck? Well, well there. go. No, you've the- well, you
0: <laughs> read the thing, so you can possibly tell me.
7: I, yeah, you I know how long you. ago? <laughs> <laughs> I had oh, You read the canon two years ago. Glad we have that on the record. <laughs> now you want me to actually recall the canon? You've <laughs> read the
0: thing. <laughs> you I know can how
7: tell long you. ago? <laughs> Glad we have that on the record.
2: So when Death Roll does his description, um, he mentions specifically things like thermometers, uh, hot plate, glassware, things that we don't see in canon. In canon, we hear that Students are expected to have a cauldron. There appears to be some way to make flame, although it's not really clear how that's being done, that they have a knife for cutting. And that's basically what we hear about in terms of, for potions class, we know that they're required to have a cauldron, a knife, and that they are encouraged to get their own ingredients. And that's really all we know about it. And in Death Roll's description, there's a lot more description about the sort of apparatus one would find.
7: Stone bench tops cabinets underneath. It's nothing much that I'm adding, but it's just a little more detail from someone who knows what's going on. Expert witness, if you will. When you
0: look at the Hogwarts world, it does have that fantasy layer to it. It's, you know, obviously in the canon you have kids speeding up on trolls when they're 11. There, there is a fairy tale dynamic to it, so it's interesting when you get into fan fiction sometimes you see authors go for realism in different places, whether it be, you know, what tools do they have in the potions lab, child abuse issues with Harry, you know, before he even gets to Hogwarts. So it definitely is interesting just what you can add to that world, but then it's challenged, because then if you make it too realistic, it doesn't feel like Harry Potter anymore.
7: Well, we're on the subject of little things, something you mentioned in the first cast, how I refer to everyone by their first name. Deliberate, very, very careful, and I've caught myself several times writing Ron or writing Neville, and I have to stop and rewind and go back and say, no, that's not who that is from this perspective.
0: Well, it makes a ton of sense, because you never would... Well, I I say you never, and you're probably going to cite 25 different canon sources where I'm wrong, but you (laughs) expect Harry to call Malfoy Draco because he doesn't know him that way. And it's like, it's even something we do here. It's like, in the United States, we refer to the president by their last name. It's Obama did this, or Bush did that, or Clinton did this. You never think to say, you know, president, Clinton, or whatever. We're going to be covering the Psychic Serpent trilogy by Barb. Guest yes, host on it, that? I love that story. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, one of the things she did in that, which always bugged me, was she always
4: referred to Draco Malfoy as Draco Malfoy. I- <laughs> Interestingly, am I wrong? But thinking back on it, it seems to me that it's the male characters get called by their last name, like Crab. And Goyle, but the female characters either get called by their unless their teachers get called by the, either their first name or their first and last name together, like Pansy Parkinson. Yeah,
5: I think that's right. Isn't that mm-hmm. Pansy True. Millie.
4: Yeah, Is that right? and, and even gosh, in other gosh. houses too, like it, like it's um you know it'll be uh, like Padmar
3: Pavar. Yeah,
4: but then but then some of like 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 uh, some of the boys in um, Harry's ear, in uh, I think it's Ravenclaw, or Hufflepuff, they get called by their last names too. Well,
0: no, because it's. He's referred, Tim is referred to as Tim, which I love, by the way. It took me a while to figure out who Tim was. I'm like, oh, I'm not. I Tim? got the first letter right. Go me. Well, it could have been worse. You could have called him, like, Ed or something. <laughs> like, who the hell is Ed?
3: <laughs> Well, Ed so you, can kind of go with Theodore.
0: Edward not giving him like a really stupid name too, and I apologize to anyone if they have this name. But you could have called him like Wilberforth or something. <laughs> you could have, like, <laughs> him. Isn't that one of Dumbledore's names? No, you're right. You're right. I'm thinking mm-hmm. of British um, comedy thing. I' haven't. Oh, he's not the most intimidating character. so... I I've got some curtains that color. What? Mr. Rumble's been taken queer. Oh, anything I can do? But well, with like that
3: kind of name, how can you be intimidating?
0: Exactly. True. Could you imagine being like, a terrorist or something? Your name is Bob, just,
4: uh, <laughs> well, Bob who finds Bob. Voldemort intimidating? Let's be honest like if you like before you had Harry Potter, if you met a kid named Voldemort, would you be intimidated or like I'd amused? be
3: scared for his parents if they named their kid Voldemort. If you look <laughs> at the etymological roots of that word, it pretty what much are the roots? yes,
0: really wow. Oh, they just had the kid they had the kid, the parents named the kid Adolf Hitler and they were upset because they tried to get a cake in Stop and Chop or whatever. <laughs> with the there are actually living relatives
3: of Hitler still, because I was talking to my cousin about this a while ago. Like, there are people who are, who are relatives of Hitler, and they actually still use the name Hitler for some God knows why reason. But, I mean, isn't, wouldn't you, like, change your name if your name was Hitler? One it's point. not a great name yeah. to have. Well, over sometimes you get
0: screwed forever. over. I have a friend whose name is Katrina, and then the hurricane happens, and now she's the focus of death and destruction and government <laughs> non-response. I don't know. Um, Oh, Death, can we just talk about Carla Howell for a minute? I love the part where (laughs) Lucius Malfoy momentarily in the first section
7: goes libertarian.
0: I just thought that was hysterical.
7: (laughs) Ryan, let me tell you just for you, I'm writing in Menor Howell. Are you really? I I will have to do this just for you.
3: You've so had kind of getting written into random facts.
0: Lovely and Walter from the Danger Verse series having attacked by a toilet. So I'm glad to know that I'm bringing libertarianism to the Harry <laughs> Potter world. Very For funny. those of you who don't know what we're talking, well, actually, I've scrapped it already. If you don't know what we're talking about, you don't listen. Clean <laughs> 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 oh, well, it's bad when two minutes of the last episode repeated and no one caught it but death. I'm like, oh, sorry about that.
3: Okay, well, in a, in, our de- in our defense, we are expected to listen to about three hours of content on a weekly basis and remember stuff from the last two years. All right, I'll, so back, grab, I'll it, back it up, I'll back it
0: up, I'll back it up. Carla Howell, a friend of the state employee, is a frequent libertarian candidate for everything in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, and she tried to abolish the income tax a couple months ago, and... I've voted for that. Well, that's all right. You're one of the 30%. I, uh, I feel good. If you're one of the 30%, you can vote for whatever you want. It, it was interesting because there were some points where, where Lucius Malfoy was talking about the, the ministry budget and cutting out waste and inefficiencies. Shrink and go- yeah. And, and government. Yeah. Shrinking government. I was waiting for him to look at the camera and be like, Lucius Malfoy says, small government is beautiful. Because <laughs> <laughs> they just don't have cameras, man. I know, but it's like the, it's like the scene in a Christmas story where he looks where the camera's supposed to be. Well now I have an
3: image of Lucius Malfoy, the compassionate conservative.
0: Oh, <laughs> no, we're, we're talking about a whole different animal. We're talking about pure libertarianism
3: over here. I know, but that was the image I got with small
0: government. and loose just for some reason. Small government. No, well, the thing with Carla Howell is she speaks, because she doesn't have a lot of money for her campaigns, her staff says whenever a microphone is put in your face, let them know what your name is. So all she does is talk about herself in third-person narrative, and she always <laughs> just repeats the same lines over and over again because it's free media. So she comes across like George Costanza, unfortunately, Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs>
7: Talk to her so. in real life. She's not actually like that, so you can... Well, in real life, I'm sure she wouldn't have to be but it's the unfortunate <laughs> reality. It'd be weird if she in... did, though. <laughs> can you imagine?
4: I never trust anyone who refers to themselves in the third person. Ever. That's a good motto to get through life with me. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine? Well, no, it's like it's like the Huggles is very upset episode. I, th- I think there's something wrong with your ego if you refer to yourself in the third person. What's the word? We're, like, able to distance yourself from your own actions and their consequences a little too much for my comfort. Maybe you can refer to yourself in the third person.
0: Actually, Harry seems to be doing that quite a bit in this story, when they mean <laughs> the Muggle Relocation Act or the Protection Act or whatever the hell the damn thing Maybe is. Maybe also going Harry the Muggle Potter, protection-
7: <laughs> <it>. <laughs> Muggle Protection Act. I love you. That was Arthur Weasley. Let's just get that clear. This was a Magical Child Protection Act. I love the names of these. Because the, the name itself, Ryan, you, you should appreciate the politics of the name.
0: Well, it, it is a wonderful thing. It's like, for example, when Congress will vote to eliminate the state of Maryland, and they call <laughs> it the We Love Puppies Act of 2009. <laughs> Show me one senator who will vote no for the We Love
3: Puppies Yeah, I love that. Yes. <laughs> Just that name. It's like, it's like you let's get the rid Children of... Save the Children
0: Act. Well, I thought the politics... From For me, who sees everything with a political lens on, politics is great and I said this before, especially with uh, Dumbledore, especially with this act because, I, or what I expected more to happen than probably did behind the scenes, was that Dumbledore would be so weakened by the revelation of one of Harry Dursley's which is true, that he would not have the ability to fight the very act that sought to protect future Harry's. So I thought that came together very nicely. That was
7: pretty much exactly what did go on behind the scenes there.
2: Ryan, did you ever yeah. read those extra scenes
7: yeah, well, it's, it's the an interesting scenes.
0: scene. I did read the extra scenes. For each year? I d- I, to be honest, I actually did. Just remind me, what was the context of the scene? Dumbledore? I remember him going to Harry and asking Harry for his help.
7: So you're asking me?
0: Well, you wrote it, so you might know
7: oh, yeah. you. Well, Does that mean I know anything about it? Uh-
0: <laughs> you mean the one where they
2: were... Discussing the Elan having the, the jet Eater mask and the sort of political whatever that was going do you mean regarding something else? The Muggle
0: Protection
7: Act. I have the scene. What was the question?
0: Was there a scene that specifically showed the weakening of Dumbledore politically?
7: I think the closest no, you get. No, no. The, the scene much. here is really... Uh, uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I am mocked for not doing my reading properly. There was no such scene. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan won. said you were mocked. <laughs> You were the one who's was like, Ryan, do you actually I read it? I
2: said, did scene? you read it? There's because I no remember it was scene. an issue before that you hadn't read it.
0: There's no such scene. No, I just asked you if you'd read the extra scenes in general. <laughs> but you said it, implying there was an extra scene. <laughs> Ryan, did you ever yeah. read those extra scenes? That I was just saying, <laughs> I wish he read Are you
2: saying scene? because I'm a Slytherin that you're going to put extra implications (laughs) on everything I say. That's reverse (laughs) discrimination, buddy.
0: I'm going to put implications (laughs) on what you say when you actually imply things, which are not true. (laughs) Okay, here we go. I have the line. It's been a while, Deathwell. In the time we've been fighting, could you actually write said scene? Just stick it in there. (laughs) Upload it
7: to the website? Yeah. All right, here it is. Here we go. Cornelius walks in, and Lucius sees Cornelius talking with Dumbledore, and the scene goes... As soon as he recognizes who's there, Lucius thinks the headmaster of Hogwarts was discussing Elan with the minister, and he asks, what brings you to the ministry? And Elan is in quite a bit of trouble. It's a high crime to impersonate a Death Eater. And Lucius fights down a surge of anger, and he says, my son is no Death Eater. He's a hero who helped to rescue a fellow wizard from abuse and mistreatment at the hands of muggles. A mistreatment, I might add, that you prescribed for the boy who lived and then it goes on from there. We're discussing Avelon's particular situation, and then Fudge forges his compromise with the political wheeling and dealing.
4: That's it's the sign, clearly, of the tap that Lucius will take later on.
7: It wasn't specifically spelled out in a scene as such, but yes. Some people have suggested that you don't like
0: the trio and, and the wheezy's and, and a lot of that canon basis, so you're really trying to not only dissolve it for, for storytelling, but also <laughs> to really smash it to show how much you hate it. I'm just curious where you come in.
7: All right. I, I knew there would be questions on this, so I have a little bit of a response typed up in response. Here. <laughs> I
5: would like I say to bring
7: the in it. I love Hermione as a character. I really do. I I didn't send her to Hufflepuff so much for her own sake, so much as I really wanted to isolate Ron. And I wanted to see what happens with Ron when you take away Harry and you take away Hermione as the major influences on him. And I wanted to show how I really consider him to be without their modifying and the influence they exert on him that reigns him in a bit. At the same time, you pointed it out, Ryan, I can't have her backing up Ron in every scene, because even though we could argue about whether or not they'd be the same sort of friends, she could really unbalance the story because of the force of her own character. I can't let her join the war effort later on. Putting her in Hufflepuff... I think pays tribute to her insane work ethic, which we all know she has. <laughs> she was miserable in Gryffindor before Harry wanted to save her, so maybe she wanted she could be around Muggleborns who would help her adjust. She got a lot of hugs in Hufflepuff, much more <laughs> than Gryffindor. Um
0: I-, I didn't see her be in uh, we'll walk on the eggshells here because I'm a proud Hufflepuff, and we just won the house cup, by the way. But congratulations. Just- Oh, thank you very much. Sue did all the work. Sue, take it back. Yay, Sue. Susan, Yay, just... Sue. Okay. okay, she's feeding Grandpa and the goat. Um, <laughs> one of the things I thought reading it the first time was that Hufflepuff was seen is almost a punishment because it's not Gryffindor, it's not Slytherin, obviously, and Ravenclaw was too good of a fit, so it was seen as like...
7: Say on the subject of Ravenclaw, just about every other fic I had read where Hermione goes somewhere other than Gryffindor, she goes to Ravenclaw, so I deliberately didn't want to do that. I wanted to do okay. something. so
0: it's not It's not a punishment question. Quote, it's not you
7: no. It was I them the being snarky. Yeah, I think the, the Slytherin perspective might show it as a punishment, right? Which is why it seems like there is Hufflepuff bashing, because it is from perspective. And even Hagrid says to harry in the canon when he's explaining about the houses oh people say that hufflepuffs are a bunch of duffers but i don't believe it but
0: by I saying don't it-, it either we're a lovely place to visit
7: <laughs> i think hermione would have been very happy we hug every
0: night at eight thirty,
7: and we have okay dogs. i've heard three different times for group hugging time is it different or is it three separate group hugging times
0: maybe different times time. it's repetitive it's-, it's constant there's surprise <laughs> hugs you could be walking down the <laughs> hall what
5: the
7: Someone sneezed.
0: Someone sneezed. He <laughs> sneezed in like a coffee pot. Hello?
7: Sorry, Mom.
0: Poor Sue. She always, like, podcasts with the goat, her grandpa, and her mother in the room. But she won us the house cup so she can do whatever the hell she wants.
6: So, Death Roll, I want to know how you feel about the Hufflepuffs before I go back <laughs> on mute here.
7: Hufflepuffs are lovely people.
6: <laughs> politically taken.
7: How diplomatic of you.
0: I wasn't Present. taking it politically. I was taking it as an honest ground opinion.
7: It's nothing wrong about liking to hug or... <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, there's nothing wrong about working hard and the other traits of Hufflepuff. And I think that both people in real life who I categorize as Hufflepuffs and the people in the world of Harry Potter who are Hufflepuffs are generally nice people. Thank you. You're very welcome.
0: Now, on that... Our our most prominent Hufflepuff in this story, we can't help but know this, was murdered shortly thereafter. Talk about the death of Hermione
7: from the storytelling perspective. What were your thoughts? There's a whole bunch of them. Uh, the worst answer is probably, because I could. I think it's really <laughs> unlikely that in all the time they were in that bathroom brewing that potion, they never once ran into Jenny turning the basilisk loose. I find it very interesting that no one died. It's all very convenient. Oh, this person had a mirror. Oh, the cat saw the reflection. Oh, oh, oh. I wanted to show that the canon was unrealistic, that death can be meaningless, and it can affect just about anyone. Hermione, as we know from canon, is a very complex character. She's a very fascinating character, and she's as intelligent as anything. And I killed her because death can strike us all at any point in time. And the fact that she was so insignificant in this story is really intended to push that point home.
0: Well, it's interesting because there was a lot of talk, especially in the last episode, that when you look at your story, you know, some people will think, well, you know, this doesn't seem like Draco, this doesn't seem like Lucius. Well, consider when the story was written, and you have Gen 2 talking about how she couldn't accept, you know, the darkness of Harry's character, but pretend that canon never happened and just start from scratch. So there's a lot of that when you when you read AU stories like this, to try and put aside everything that you know and just absorb the story from the beginning as though it's all there was. When you look at, you know, obviously the the Ron story and the Hermione story and, you know, and Harry from the perspective of there's no trio left. It's hard to do that because you're comparing all of the plot changes to what originally happened. So you've created a world where there is a Harry Slytherin where Ron is an absolute outcast and where Hermione's dead and the characters know, know better. You know, when Hermione's dead, Harry is obviously shocked that someone in the room, Died care very much that it's Hermione. And for Ron, I don't believe there's any real reaction from Ron at all. And when you stop to think of where the characters ended up in canon, that obviously would not be the case. So one thing that was really fascinating about the read for me was that we know how much Harry and Ron lost. We know the lives they could have had, and we can measure what they're not receiving, what they're number one gaining from this universe, but also what they're, what they're missing out on. So, it's almost like the audience is so, is so deeply clued into that. It's, it's just really interesting for me, even though Hermione may not have had a, a big role in your story. The fact that we know she's never coming back and we know what these two guys lost from her not being there, that conveys a really powerful point, I think. So I think it, it was a, even for all the reasons you just said, which I think are very plausible. And I think it's it's a very powerful thing to do to kill off a potential female lead like that. So I just think it works on so many levels. And I feel bad for Mike who thought it was an, I hate the damn thing. But I, I just, I really liked that from a storytelling perspective for those two reasons.
7: It's perfectly within her character as well that yeah. she would do this because it was her idea in the canon after all. And I think that... Hermione is the sort of character who would come up with this idea and recruit the people around her to help because she has friends in Hufflepuff, as I've tried to show in a couple of places. And I think she would be close enough to these friends where they would help her do this. They would stick together and and help her carry off this scheme.
0: Yeah, it's it's just so fascinating that perspective to take someone and put them somewhere where they obviously were never meant to be and we joke about the sword thing being bribed and all that stuff and and that's well and good but it's just so interesting to see that even though she was denied Harry and Ron she still ended up in some of the same places she still tried to do it on her own and and failed but she still tried she still went there so it's a good commentary on Hermione herself because oftentimes you know you think of Ron but you You don't think of how much of Ron is due to Hermione and how much Harry is due to Ron and... I killed it. I frequently kill it. I monologue until there is nothing left to say. There's actually something else I was... Oh, the one thing I just wanted to say, too, and one of the things I always try and think of is um, there was a great one... I think it was a one-shot that Anne Walsh wrote over in the Dangerverse series, and she has an AU story that runs for many years as well. And there was a one-shot she wrote where her AU characters, for whatever reason, were able to see canon and they were able to see how things worked out. And it would be obviously don't do it, but it would be interesting for me to, to consider it both ways to think of your, your AU characters viewing canon and also the canon characters viewing your AU universe. It's interesting when you go out so, so deeply out there to think of how the characters would respond both ways. Just That's one thing that...
7: See Gryffindor Harry and Slytherin Harry looking at each other Trying to figure out how the hell did you get to this point in seeing Gryffindor Harry
0: watching himself in the bathroom near Hermione's
4: body, like, barely batting an eyelash. So I think some of my favorite scenes, actually, are when we see people like um, Remus or Sirius and we see them looking at Harry and, like, their thoughts... Because you see, like, like you know, the sort of surprise they didn't expect with what Harry turned into. I, I just really love that.
0: Yeah, it's it's nothing that's in the story. I mean, if you read the story without knowing the canon, you'd be like, okay, Hermione's dead. Who cares? But it's it's because of that knowledge of canon that the yeah. scene resonates so much more. Well, I really yeah. hope no one
7: who's hasn't read canon is reading my fic. You you completely <laughs> spoiled the whole damn thing for them. What? Imagine no, their
4: reaction then when
7: they do read canon and they see that goody tissues, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
4: They're
0: like, why is no one changing in front of each other in the train? This is so cool. <laughs> well, I
5: think
3: that's more social convention than anything else. I yeah, mean, that, that wasn't so much the story.
7: It was just something to show a difference in wizard culture, and it's going yeah. to change once they reach of age, and it's regarded as more inappropriate to be undressed in each other's company.
0: Speaking of changes as well, there is a man of action, and his name is Gregory Goyle. <laughs> <laughs>
7: Wow. I love Goyle. <laughs> it's just
0: like... Well, no, it reminds me of. There's a scene near the end where you find out that Goyle—he's yeah. actually been dyslexic all this time, and that's why he's—he just honestly, he's just needed some medication. The learning it, disability. Yeah, Goyle has a learning disability this whole time, and it's just like, all right. Apparently, Goyle is just a man of few words, but he's always been so much brighter than we've ever thought. Yeah, I just? I don't care if it's AU or whatever. I, uh, Goyle just absolutely cracked me up. He, like, goes over and lights the teachers on fire.
7: Pyromaniac Goyle. He brings the good. fire several times, actually, and it's always well-placed. I <laughs>
3: think <laughs> Is there really nowhere to go but up as far as his character goes? <laughs> if you go down <laughs> like you know, it like, you go down from Canon Goyle, you pretty much hit rock.
0: Literally. If you go down from Canon Goyle, he's got like poodle. I mean there's nothing wrong. <laughs> oh no, poodles are I smart. Remember. Is Goyle the one whose pants fall off in every movie, or is that crap? crap?
3: Well there's one where Draco goes inside one of their pants in the third movie.
7: Fourth
0: movie, yeah. Oh, by the way, Place is apparently a girl. I like that.
7: We didn't know. Well,
3: that was because for, like, how many years we had no idea. I mean, we do, we, we do know things, and we still make theories about them. I mean, we go wild, and we don't know something, and we make theories about it.
7: Order of the Phoenix. There was all this speculation about Not's first name, and is Blaze a being a boy or a girl, and we find out about Not, but we don't find out about Blaze.
0: Blaze is a guy named. Oh, I never would have known did my
7: research on this, because I wanted to know, and I saw name lists where it was in both.
0: Talk about the Slytherin characters, and what you tried to put into them, because One of the comments I had was in the first story, I felt like Harry was walking around with like a small busload of Slytherins everywhere because there were so damn many of them. And (laughs) just developed their own personality. Well, no, you're used to the trio. Ron, Hermione, boy, girl, stubborn, (laughs) smart. And now it's... Okay, Jenna's the one with the coffee? They need to wear name tags.
7: It was definitely a deliberate decision to write a more open group than we see in Gryffindor. And part of that, as I've said, was the desire for Slytherins to, oh my god, this is Harry Potter, it would be good to be friends with him, but at the same time, I wanted to show as much as possible of these kids and show that you might have seen them in the canon, but you don't really know them. In portraying them, I've tried not to take away from the mean things that they do in the canon. I've tried to say that these kids are like this, but they're like this too.
3: You see more than one side of them, you don't see the one side so harshly.
7: Exactly. For the record, I took Percocet before this thing, so anything I say is completely excusable.
0: You then take it for this thing.
7: You- I feel like Jen. I have a story. Two days before Christmas, <laughs> I was getting off of the highway, and I was going from one highway to another highway... And I was stopped in the lane because it was stop and go traffic. And I'm dead stopped, and I'm waiting for the traffic in front of me to go. All of a sudden, wham! Get rear ended from behind. And a half a second later, that guy gets rear ended. So I got a double whammy and I have severe whiplash. The vertebrae in my neck form a straight line. And I have six weeks of chiropractor visits to look forward to. Oh, man. That sucks. Yeah, it's not fun. Well,
0: Rinna, <laughs> our host Rena broke her leg walking into a party and a concussion. Oh. She has a concussion, too. Well, well, the thing that she was complaining about was she wasn't drunk yet. She just fell down. <laughs> yeah. She tripped. You no, know, Remember when she broke her ass and she had to sit in a donut for like a month and a half? Brynna has the worst. That was a great episode type, though. Well, that was terrific for the podcast. I feel awful, but anytime something terrible happens to one of the hosts, I'm like, great material, be on next week. (laughs) Oh, Cody, you're back. Yeah, I am. Oh, (laughs) I'm like laying here. I'm like, hold on. Where did your name come from?
7: Oh, gosh. uh, I have never mentioned this, and it really goes back more than 12 years at this point, honestly. Uh, The name Death kind of goes along with my last name, and it makes a funny pun. Members of my family have very names that go with the last name. The name is Death Row and oh, I, have, I, I have an uncle named Skid Row. It's cheesy like that. They tried to call me and this is horrible, Neeg but I wouldn't let them do that.
4: <laughs> Oh! I don't get that one. Explain that. Just in your mind, Mike. You know what <laughs> you sound like? No, I, I don't get it.
0: Moving on. <laughs> Sue, what was your question?
4: Um. First of all... Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, <God. laughs> Hey
6: Ray.
4: Hey Ray. Hi. Hey. Hey. Now, whatever
0: you do, so, don't bring up Negroes. We just went there. All right.
6: Do you have um, special rituals that you go through before you write? You have to yeah. have something special to drink or?
7: <laughs> I write you- whenever I have time to write. And do you I don't type
6: have to- it or do you write it out longhand?
7: Oh, definitely type it. There's just too much that I have to do. I mean, I'll take notes. I keep a notepad in the car for crazy ideas that occur to me when I'm stuck in traffic so I don't lose them, I write them down but as soon as I get home it goes into the computer and gets fired. I usually will crash my car if I do that. Like I almost crashed my car anyway but
0: I, I just give you so much credit for being able to handle it.
4: I've never had that I can't, podcast. You can't like, things,
0: well Mike doesn't know how to drive a car either because when I edit the podcast I'll make notes to myself like time indexes I need to change and whatnot and every time I look up from the piece of paper there's a car parked in front of me that I am barreling towards and death roll just <laughs> Was in two car accidents within 10 seconds of each other.
7: Hey, Ryan, I have a question for you. What you you prefer to the beating of Ron by the Slytherins as a hate crime. How can it yeah. be a hate crime if Ron is a pure blood? Ron hmm. is
0: a pure blood, and Seamus is half blood, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the comment I made about it, and I think you actually... What change? To, yes, you make I a speak to change. Them. You may you have changed that one as well. The first time I read it, the, the thing that jumped out at me, obviously, was that Ron had the ever-living snot beat out of him until he was crying, but it seemed like Harry was very, very, very angry, and I was having difficulty coming up with a reason why. So can you talk about that and maybe some changes that you made? Sure.
7: Hearing the comments and criticisms, I went back, and on the reading itself, it didn't really seem too extreme. The only thing that really struck me was is that I specifically said 10 minutes. And I agree, 10 minutes is a long time when you're crying. So I toned it down a bit and... To justify Harry's anger in this situation, I added a paragraph saying that one of the things that he hated about living with the Dursleys is that he was always called a dirty, nasty little liar whenever he couldn't explain why the things that happened to him happened to him.
0: Which I think does help. The thing that always jumps at me is sometimes when authors will say several minutes, or in this case, 10 minutes, and it's usually in the context of, Harry didn't know what to say. Ron sat there for several minutes. I'm like, can you think about just standing in front of someone for like seven minutes? <laughs> minutes without saying anything. It would be very awkward. <laughs> so that was the one thing I'm like, oh my god, they beat him for ten minutes. <laughs> well, then Draco ends up in the hospital for a week and a half and they don't know if he'll ever walk again because he's so badly beaten later. I'm like, this is a very violent school. <laughs> it is. As it is in, it it is in canon. In administration department. I don't now, think it's that bad uh, in canon. Attacked by oh, theory. come now. When is it that bad in canon?
4: There's people like being canon. petrified left and right. There's, well, you know...
3: people being attacked by werewolves
4: because... Yeah. <laughs> okay, there's that. <laughs> but- but Harry this is like
3: a guy people using,
4: ex- unforgivable, ex- using <laughs> unforgivable curses on students.
3: That too. Well is Harry's on, really on the
4: Quidditch pitch. A whole range of Quidditch accidents. What book does Harry not wind up in the hospital? That's well he ends up there frequently.
2: People
6: get <laughs> so stuck in cabinets.
4: Almost dying. <laughs> it's like a, a, Mike I was very it's upset like about like watching Hiring a crack, crack- Why
6: does Harry get banned from Quidditch? He beat up Draco.
0: Well I think it was the 10 minutes the probably So I'll read the scene again. Maybe without the 10 minutes it'll come across Different. like I'm picturing Ron walking around needing a kidney transplant so I'm like oh my god Harry's a very bitter young there was actually a scene right after that where Harry was
7: it's not right to be cruel to others. Yeah, it's like he's not right to be cruel to others. And it's like he's
0: stepping on Ron's head until he hears the phone crack. Like, <laughs> my earlier. I'm like, oh my god, Harry's bipolar.
7: But I kind of explain that in the scene where Harry is taking Draco to the Supreme Court. Draco says, well, what about Weasley? And Harry says, well, stuff Weasley. He gets what he deserves, and he deserves what he gets. And I think in that case, it's a little more personal. And he feels that Ron has done something to Deserve it. I
4: kind of like the hypocrisy of it because it, it shows that people are hypocritical usually in their everyday lives. I, I cracked me up that bit, so I had no problem with it. Well, I have to just share
0: too I read a lot of canon fan fiction, and just by means of example, because I haven't quoted Star Trek yet,
7: one of the more it's impressed Ryan, right? you made it all the way through the okay. first podcast. No Star Trek, no Babylon 5. I was so proud of you. And then, like, within five minutes of the
0: second one, I did all three, probably. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's to be expected. There was a in in, uh, Star Trek Voyager, the more annoying character in the first couple seasons, one of the most annoying characters was Neelix. There's actually a scene in an episode called Meld where one of the characters is on the holodeck, and he actually is being annoyed by Neelix, so he walks over and he strangles him until he just dies. And that scene was very therapeutic for a lot of fans who were so annoyed (laughs) with this character. I have to tell you, I read a lot of Ron. On some level, the scene where he's cursed repeatedly for ten minutes was very therapeutic for me. I will deny this conversation ever took place, but...
6: (laughs) Except for the documentation.
0: Except for the documentation and the podcasting. (laughs) Yeah,
6: yeah. We don't probably record any
0: problems. of this. Well, hopefully we're recording, but knowing <laughs> us, we're probably not. Sue, did you have a question?
6: <laughs> Who's your favorite character to write?
7: Probably Lucius. He is a lot of fun, and as things are developing in year four, I like writing serious.
6: Mm. And how about your least favorite?
7: Least favorite? Hermione. I love Hermione. <laughs> it didn't work out. I don't know. I don't know if there's anyone that I don't like to write. Because if I didn't like to write about them, I wouldn't write about them. <laughs> That makes sense. I, I would write them out of the story somehow, and I there are characters I do like to write about, so I write them into the story.
4: What about in canon? Who's your favorite canon characters?
7: Still Sirius, I have to say. I'm a godfather myself. I understand Sirius, I think, very well. He is definitely a very tragic figure, but he is completely in-character doing what he does, I think. Uh, As far as least favorite character, definitely Ron. And I know that's not surprising, probably, but I really just don't like him. He acts like way too much of a butthead for my liking.
0: (laughs) On some level, admit it, the scene in the dungeon with the 10-minute fight, that was therapeutic.
7: A little bit, yeah.
0: It's okay. We have a support group going here. It's all right. You can go back and t- put the 10 minutes back in. If you like want. Ron Hater <laughs> anonymous.
4: I know one thing I'm looking forward to seeing how you do is Umbridge. But I know even the the stuff you've written so far, we see characters like Skeeter, who mm-hmm. is portrayed as... Like you, like, you don't like her in... I don't know anyone who likes her in canon. And I was curious whether it was, I guess, a deliberate thing to put another, or spit on her, or whether you actually saw something in her that you felt was redeemable or was good about her in canon. Um,
7: I don't know about redeemable. I do think that, as a character, I'm going to portray her exactly as I think she is in the canon. She's polite when it suits her purposes, but as we know she can be very pushy uh it was said by Omley in the relevant episode that he or she already has scandal she doesn't need to go poking and prodding and she wants harry to talk to her so she treats him differently i don't think that's out of her character Mm -hmm. you mike pointed out that in the canon year four rita trusts Draco enough to let him know about her Animagus form, and I did try to explain that connection to the Malfoy family here, and I was able to show it.
0: How much of the story did you have planned from the beginning? And obviously you've had to change a great deal of that if you did. Talk about how the story itself took shape, and what was planned, and what is still unplanned, and so forth.
7: I'm flying by the seat of my pants. Uh, no, no, I'm, I'm kidding. I, I am planning. Some
0: people do that. And you never know.
7: With this whole project, it is huge. There's a lot to keep track of. I have a complete organizational system going on. I have Excel spreadsheets loaded up with data. I can look up all the purebloods in Hufflepuff in third year. I can do everything I need to. So I have basic plans. When each year comes along, I think about the major events that are still going to happen and how they're going to be different because of the person that Harry has become. I think it's very regrettable that the first year had to be so similar, but there was a lot of stuff that happened that wasn't really able to be influenced by the fact that Harry had made new friends and wound up in Slytherin. But how he was reacting to these different things was really what I was going for.
0: Obviously going forward, there's been a lot of speculation amongst our podcasters where you're going with the story, and everyone knows that the return of Voldemort's going to be very interesting for storyline, because a lot of the characters that have produced will on some level force to to pick sides, and we're curious where everything's going to go there. Are there any tidbits that you'd share with us in terms of maybe, like not spoilers or anything, maybe areas you're excited about where the story's going to go? and, And your favorite parts of maybe the entire thing that you're putting together.
7: I'm definitely excited now that the changes have rippled out this far because I can really get more in-depth changes and more substance to all of the characters going on. Lucius as we've discussed is a very complex character. As Mike has pointed out, he is close to Harry now when he assuming he pops up in the graveyard, he is going to see what's going on and he's going to have a crisis of conscience. And what is he going to do? That's going to be true for some of the other characters as well. Others, it has been pointed out, are not close to Harry and they have no reason to change their loyalties. They they have nothing really to hope for other than avoiding the Cruciatus curse as long as possible. Yeah, that just seems like that's going to be the moment in the storyline where,
0: where where the stick hits the mirror and it just, it shatters everything and everyone's going to, you know, grab on tight to whatever direction they were leaning in before. So I, I'm actually, I love the fact that when Gen 2 came on here, she opened the podcast saying she could stomach a story like this and she ended saying she wants to read more. And I am too, because I think it's just, the way you set it up, it's going, to be, it's going to be very interesting to see where the pieces all fall. Let me just ask you this, too, because this is one of the other things I wanted to end with, was the character of Harry himself. Obviously, we've had a lot of discussions on the forum and in previous podcasts about you know, the quote-unquote darkness of Harry In your style of writing Harry, which is, we don't get in his head as much as maybe to the Netherfix, but there's also some advantages to that because it makes the reader, you know, consider everything and try and figure out where the character's going. Talk just about the, the character of Harry and the character arc of Harry.
7: The question that's been batted around, is Harry a blank slate, yes? Yeah. Okay. I say he is mostly a blank slate. He's got negative influence from the Dursleys. He's got a little bit of ambivalent influence from Mrs. Fig, and he doesn't seem all that fond of her from what we see in canon. I really think that who he becomes through the canon is the result of the people around him. People like Ron, like Hermione, like Hagrid, like McGonagall even to a certain extent, because I think McGonagall treats Harry differently in this story. The admirable traits that are stressed to Harry in Slytherin versus Gryffindor. Uh, stop, think, plan, figure out what you're going to do, and then do it the most intelligent way. Counteracting the natural tendency Harry has, which could be part of his inner person, to charge in and then figure things out. I, I don't really see him as a complete blank slate. He does have thoughts and viewpoints from his life before Hogwarts. And you'll see that come out. Sometimes you see it comes out. He, he does think for himself, but he's also looking around himself saying, what is this world? I don't know this. I don't know anything. I'm ignorant. And I don't mean ignorant in the bad way. He just doesn't know. And he's going to absorb whatever he's surrounded with. And as a result, he rather quickly adjusts, and then long-term he adjusts as well. Because
0: it's interesting reading it because you don't know where you're going with the story. So when Harry would stand up for Neville, for example, amongst the other Slytherins and argue that they can't bully Neville because he's a pure belonging against... It's in the manual. You're not supposed to do that. And it's interesting because from our perspective, we're wondering, okay, are we going to have that moment now where for whatever reason, someone mentions that deal Harry made in front of Neville, or in front of Ron, it gets another character thinking, why would Harry do that? Harry Potter is a jackass, why would he possibly care about Neville? And I keep looking for moments where Harry will be a good guy, and he'll be exposed to have that canon twinge, and it's not the direction you're obviously going in, but it's interesting that the people who read that type of story are really are into the Try and trying to fault the story back and like bend the story back in that direction. Talk about for a moment, because I know Gen 2 had a
7: question about it. Talk
0: about Lord Potter.
7: Lord Potter. Whether Harry acknowledges it or not, Percy promised his life in exchange for Jenny's safety. And he made that promise of his own free will. And I think by magical law, not necessarily wizard law, but magic, the the laws of magic itself that creates the sort of bond. As far as going along with the whole ceremony thing, it was instigated by Draco and Tim. And they did tell Harry that it's a good idea. And he doesn't know. He's like, what? You got to be? Huh? No, I don't know. I'm not comfortable with this. And they, they tell him, yeah, it's a good idea. And even if you don't want it now, think about Ten years from now, you're going to need something, and he's going to be able to provide it. In the way of things, it does start out a bit cheeky. I don't think Harry expected it to turn as creepy as we all find it, and that's deliberate. its it You're not supposed to feel comfortable with what Harry's doing at this point, point. and I won't say one way or another what it, whether it is the first flash of many things to come or if it's just an aberration based on him being at this particular low point.
3: In canon, we see Harry a lot as a leader that so was sort of needed in the movement against Voldemort. And I was just wondering if we aren't going to see him as much of that sort of leader. Is there going to be someone who comes and fills in that spot? Because I think that's a needed position within the, the dynamic of the force against Voldemort. And I'm not sure if Harry on the track he's on now is really the person who could fill that role. So I'm just wondering if that, how that's going to work out in, in the final well,
7: book. Harry is definitely not the sort of guy who is going to be gung-ho about joining the Order of the Phoenix and dancing around with Weasleys in 13 Grindelwald.
0: At one point, if I had said that, I would have been forced to reread the entire canon
7: on air. Mike says it. <laughs> Uh, I just thought that was very, very, very bizarre. Um, You have
0: to admit I caught that, too. I was the one who caught that.
7: That was great. That That was spot on, Ryan. I'm, I'm not going to build him up as the leader of the light that a lot of fan fiction and, to a certain extent, the canon did. I can't see Harry forgiving Dumbledore for all of the things that he's done now that... Harry has gone through all of these personality changes because of where he is and who he's friends with. I I can't see him deciding that he wants to be the champion of light. I can see him deciding to be his own champion.
3: Kind of like not with Dumbledore but against Voldemort? Yeah,
7: I think he might decide that the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And I might not like Dumbledore, but I have to work with him because he has some people and contacts and resources and knowledge. Because Mike pointed out, if Harry splits Slytherin house, it's really not going to be enough. He has to reach out. He has to make bridges to other factions.
3: Because that's something you read a lot in fan fiction, especially the kind of fiction I've read. It's the entire idea of the atmosphere of Slytherin. I mean, you have this during the First War, and then I think to a degree that we don't see it during the Second War. Is it within Slytherin, there is this pressure to join Voldemort? Because if you don't, you really have no other option. And... I was wondering if that's going to be worked in at all, because I know that's kind of a common theme. Just the atmosphere of being with people who you know are going to be joining Voldemort. Or if that's changed because of who the characters should become in the story.
7: You know, honestly, I have to go back to the premise that these children are not junior Death Eaters. I really... (laughs) I I go back to what I said before. I don't know of any Death Eater who honestly enjoyed being tortured by Voldemort. He probably had a lot of fun torturing Muggles, but getting tortured himself is no fun, and given the choice, I honestly think most of them would say no thanks. If I, if I have the choice, no thanks. If I don't have the choice, well, I'll do what I have to do to survive. These kids, these
0: Slytherins, when dealing with Voldemort, when dealing with Quirrell, when dealing with the stone, especially in year one, they react in much the same way the Gryffindors do, in that... You know, Voldemort is the enemy. The stone being stolen is a bad thing. They seem to have the same core set of values, and they go about it differently, and they handle each other differently, and they may have different standards, but fundamentally, they're still in lockstep with where you know
7: Harry, Ron, and Hermione were in canon. You got to yeah. consider that's because the Slytherins in canon are zero-dimensional. Interesting. A man of action, and his name is Gregory Gregory Goyle. Goyle, Goyle. Gregory. Gregory Goyle. We're having like a toast, oh. Gregory
5: Goyle. Gregory. <laughs>
4: I'm curious how much of the sort of the Slytherin prejudice against muggle-borns, mudbloods, all of that stuff, has Harry accepted in your fic versus is he going along with? Because in particular, I'm waiting for sort of the confrontation and how he deals with his mother being muggle-born and being part of this sort of biased Slytherin society. Because so he hasn't really thought much about his mother or, you know, how she fits into this whole scheme.
7: You're right. He hasn't. And that is going to change. I think it is worth pointing out that at the end of year three, he goes off with Sirius. If you don't think Sirius is going to tell him all sorts of good things about his parents... You obviously didn't understand the character of Sirius at all. Well, I think that's to be very interesting because I want to see that Gryffindor dynamic
0: hit up against the Slytherin dynamic. And I want to see her. Let me, well, let me even go here. One of the things that we had said in earlier episodes and earlier chapters was after coming off of Melinda's fic and her writing style, she's very into showing you what the character's thinking you tend to not do that as much. And it, on some level, we're like, well, this is, it's difficult because we don't know what the characters are thinking. But on the other level, it's interesting for us because then we, tr- we have to try and read the scene and read the characters a lot more. How much of that do you do because the women decided you're just a guy and that's how you write? Or how much of that do you do to keep things close to your vest? Um, I had
2: actually an additional question that sort of tied in with that. Which was when we discussed that and we talked about, because it is a male author, um, one of the things I felt was I find that when I write, I tend to write sort of more in this concise style.
7: Yeah, most definitely. I am a trained scientist. I write what happened, what resulted from that. It's more noticeable in the first year, I think, than the second and third. Um, call it getting to know my characters better. But I do keep things close to the chest. I don't necessarily want you to know exactly where the story's going, because then where, where would be the point of reading it? To move away from the fix specifically, I was wondering if there are any
4: real-life books besides Harry Potter, of course. Do you enjoy a lot, or do you see influencing how you write
7: how Slytherin let's see (laughs) as Mike knows I'm a big George R.R. Martin fan Song of Ice and Fire yay everyone read it it's excellent it's also um, about
3: the size of Ten uh, Times more piece,
7: Peace. I have the entire collection of Terry Goodkind's books on my shelf. Mike, stop laughing. <laughs> I have a series called The Deathgate Cycle by Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman. Oh, wow. I think Margaret Weiss is an excellent author, and I'm going poor trying to buy all of her books. Lots of authors. I We could be here for hours more if I started really reciting authors and books and and so forth, that I've Is read.
4: Is there one that you feel has influenced how you write? Them?
7: I like to think not. I do my best to not necessarily imitate. The, the way other authors go about things, except, of course, J.K. Rowling.
0: Good answer. <laughs> From what you've written so far, as we're into year four of the Asher Cans, what are you most proud of that you've written? And on the same hand, what do you wish you could have done differently?
7: I'm very pleased that I managed to save Sirius' life and prove his innocence. I really enjoyed that it was Harry's Slytherin tendencies and logic and thinking that helped bring that end about. As far as what I would change if... Hmm... I'll send in a voicemail yeah, or something.
0: Get back, yeah. There you go. <laughs> get back to me on that one. Let me ask you a, a different one just to throw out there too. For the people who maybe started your story or, or read the whole thing or didn't get through with it or whatever, who their issue is the characterization of Harry and you know, the fact that for people who love canon harry and love you know that gryffindor quality that he has who read your story and maybe have difficulty with the character or think he's too dark or think in the muggle world he, he must have found someone who was nice to him and he he wouldn't think that all Buggleborns are quote unquote evil you know if that's the impression they have what response do you have to that
7: it's a fair question as as, um as long as it made sense <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't say that. As you know said, what the hell I'm bam. talking about this. Yeah, go check out the thread for episode 65. It's all there. The best thing I can say is do whatever you have to do in order to enjoy this story. Whether you have to write it off as these are not Harry, etc., and whether it's really Steve, whatever you have to do because <laughs> – There's plenty of people who enjoy this story on its face value. There's others who enjoy it after they say, okay, I I accept X, Y, and Z, and then I enjoy the story. It doesn't matter to me. If if there's someone who absolutely hates it, all right, let's talk. But if you just make a a mental shortcut in your head and then you can enjoy the story, I'm fine with that.
0: He also kills off Marianne. I want to let you know that.
7: I'm sorry. Her and the Skipper had a thing where they just had to go away.
0: (laughs) The Continuing Adventures of Steve and Marianne was the original episode title <laughs> of 66 until we got to the knickers and I had to change the whole thing.
6: <laughs> first of all, Death, I want to know what Mary Sue Richardson gets up to. I'm hoping she gets the characters out of a you know dilemma somewhere in there. Maybe this got touched on while I was gone, or I guess it kind of did, but it seems like with the first two years... And almost through the third year, until the end, everything stayed really close to canon, you know, with just the little bits of, you know, tweaking, like, Harry's in Slytherin and whatnot. Otherwise, Voldemort gets defeated kind of the same way. But now we have Sirius back, and it's kind of looking like you could branch off a little bit more AU than it was. Are you going to still really stick close to, like, more of the canon storyline, or are you going to go more out there into your
7: own? Um... I'm going to try and stick relatively with the canon and just adapt it. Uh, I think it's more fun that way because we know how things are, quote, supposed to turn out. And I'd just like to show you another way that they could turn out.
6: That's great. Because that's probably why I like it and probably why everybody likes reading it. Because you like, oh... That was weird.
0: (laughs) Well, I will say one thing about your story. When I first started reading it, I obviously had one picture in my mind of what it would be like. And the more I went, the more it's like I tried to rationalize everything I was reading. And, oh, this must be this and this must be this. No, of course, he's doing this and not the other thing. And I think we've reached the point, obviously, as we record this interview now, where you obviously know exactly what you're setting out to do, even for people who may it may not be their thing You've put so much detail into it and you've set the pieces up in such a way that it's even for people who it may not be their thing, it's fascinating to see where you're gonna go with it. So I think that's a really advantageous thing and I think it's good to be different. So I definitely want to thank you for doing this and being a part of the podcast with everything. I've I've actually really enjoyed the story. Probably much more than I thought I would in the beginning, where Mike is like, ha ha ha, something awful will happen in year two and you'll never talk to me again. So I'm like hmm. <laughs> But you're so looking forward really- to that. I think you let I'm like it out. reading, it's like I'm doing the thing where every page I turn I'm looking on the other side of it for a bit, and then they all died. Just one person. Can I just point out the fact that I kept referencing what's he gonna do? Killer? And everyone's laughing at me <laughs> and then Wayne is sending me messages if saying you they all think you you're knew. I'm like, thank you, Wayne, this is for you.
6: So I'm so glad that you saved Sirius. I sure hope that you save Snape too. <laughs>
7: I'll do my best.
2: I'm not sure if the general public, if they're reading along with us, where they're reading the fic, who actually have some fairly extensive sort of outtakes that, I know we've mentioned on the podcast before, but if you have not read them, they're definitely worth going in and and checking out. Is that sort of just part of your prep in terms of your writing style, or was that just because it was really fun to do?
7: For those who don't know, the missing scenes are available both on my webpage and also on my Yahoo group, Death by Fanfiction, spelled without the A. I did it simply because I could. It was a lot of fun to do. I got the idea when... I put the note at the end of chapter three in the first year of what Hermione's sorting hat conversation went like, and the idea sort of spawned from there. That was actually the first one I wrote.
0: It's interesting when you read stories like this, because there's different perspectives that you want to get.
7: I was fascinated with the Hermione story
0: when it came about, because mm-hmm. I really wanted to know a lot more about that. And it was obviously like the throwaway line that she ended up in Hufflepuff, and then you know she's hugging people in the corridors, and then she's dead,
7: so... At least <laughs> she got to she hug, she. hug before she died. That's it's all that
0: hugs. matters. The department head over here with her little informational pamphlets. But yeah, I, I tried I definitely to hug love the basilisk. <laughs> Could you imagine <laughs> if it worked? <laughs> like, her, that, like Hermione stands, and she hears the basilisk, and she knows her life is about to end. You know, at the last Pufflepuff Puff meeting, they said if this ever happens, you have to try. And Hermione <laughs> stands there, and she closes her eyes, and she extends her arms out in front of her, like. she turns around and tries to hug it, and then she drops. Well, it might work. That is a lonely one. It needs friends. You know. Yeah. <laughs> great it's if they true. found Hermione dead and her arms are stretched out in front of her. Like
5: a hug. And and b- a hug. B- That's, b- horrible. <laughs> oh,
0: That's horrible.
5: horrible. That's great. <laughs> It'd
0: be great, no, too, if Harry asked so the basilisk it's what Harry, his name it, was, and he's like, Steve. Steve.
4: <laughs> oh, no. basilisk. <Steve's laughs>
5: Exaggerate the ass. It's Steve. Steve. <laughs>
7: Steve. Bob, not Bob. Bob not. <laughs> I did pay tribute to the canon. I named Tim's father Theodore. One generation of
3: off. You know, you're close.
7: And hey, whatever. Maybe Tim's is. Uh, Tim his was the
3: nickname.
6: Name.
0: Yeah, maybe maybe he's is, Theodore. No, Timothy. he was always junior as a kid, and he
7: hated it, so he goes by Tim.
0: <laughs> there you go. Feel free to use that. The garden gnome thing is on the house as well.
7: This evening, I will be posting Chapter 1 of Year 4.
3: Yay! Except it won't be this evening when it's released, but that works.
0: Yes, those of you who are releasing it, maybe Chapter 2 is up. No promises. Go look.
7: Uh, It very well could be. I have up to Chapter 7 written, so...
0: Good God. All right. Um, We're probably going to release this maybe one week from tonight, next Thursday.
7: (laughs) Should Chapter 2 be up by next week? What are you offering? (laughs)
6: <laughs>
2: um, ah, and I say how much I love you. Yeah,
6: I love you too. On <laughs> <laughs> the risk of sounding very hufflepuffish, <laughs> ish <laughs> See, this is what it takes you. to
2: get us excited.
0: For those of you listening to this right now, go look. Chapter 5 could be up, you never
3: know. Well, let's hope not, because that would really mean it's being released in,
0: like, mid-March. Well, welcome to my world. Oh <laughs> <Well>, yeah. Hi. <high. laughs> Well the good thing with Ray too is like unfortunately she's got like the early Alzheimer's thing going on. Every episode's new though because she doesn't remember doing it.
3: It's like fifty first dates. Every time you wake up like every episode, you completely forget you're in it.
7: <laughs> exactly.
3: Did I ever tell
7: you about the time? Fiction where every time we read it, Ron is back to where he was. It's so freaking
0: annoying, too. And the best thing is when <laughs> I too. point out to Melinda this great fic I just read, Ron is awesome and I love it. She's like, oh, can I have a link to it? I'm like, Melinda, you wrote the damn thing. It was yours. <laughs> All right. So with that, everyone yell, have a good night. Have a good night. Have a good Bye night.
6: night. Bye. Bye.
0: So hold on to the wonder
1: that those books brought to our lives.
3: Keep each other safe.
2: Keep faith. Good night.
7: Well, hello, everybody. This is Deathroll back with you. Uh, there's a couple of things that were not addressed In the interview, uh, specifically, I was asked the question of what I would do differently, and I said I'd get back to you. Well, this is me getting back to you. Approaching the idea now, I would obviously have the benefit of a complete canon in making sure that my characters were true to life. I've made an interpretation of the characters post-Goblet of Fire. I didn't really think Lucius would end up being so one-dimensional, and I took a stab at how I thought he was going to be. Obviously, I'd take liberty with the character, because you can make a cardboard cutout walk, talk, and shoot gum, but if they're real people, they're more complicated than that. When you try to guess at something complicated, the odds of success go down exponentially with each degree of complexity. Knowing the whole of things, having had the benefit of discussing every nuance of the story with intelligent folk like yourselves, I could have made a more, quote, accurate portrayal of how a point-of-departure fic would progress. I wasn't willing to wait that long. When I had the benefit of further canon knowledge, yes, I could have revised things. I could have removed Elon Malfoy as a character. I could have renamed Blaze to Daphne Greengrass, Jenna to Tracy Davis. I could have artificially inserted a token Black Kid to satisfy our knowledgeable PC overlords. I didn't feel the need to, because my characters are just as valid. JKR threw them away. I've given them life. They have depth. Ryan loves Jenna. I made a hardened fanfic critic love an original character. And he didn't even read Mary Sue from Blaze. You know, yay, go me. I've made an interpretation, I'm proud of it, and I'm going to stick with it. Snape. How did we miss talking about Snape? Even in the podcast themselves, Snape's relationship with Harry is really glossed over. I mean, it's touched upon, but nobody really analyzed the radically changed relationship there. I think it's a fascinating aspect of the story. In the absence of an actual question, which is really just a rambling waffle about how Snape has behaved with certain reserve respect for Harry, and then inviting me to discuss Snape, allow me to say the following. Consider the circumstances of the canon when Harry first arrives at Hogwarts. Then consider all of the reasons that Snape has to compare Harry to his father through the story of the canon. Factor in what you know and or extrapolate from Snape's hatred of James, and it's not hard to understand why, in the canon, the Harry-Snape dynamic was so negative. Now look at the way I've rearranged the pieces. When Hat yells Slytherin, Snape immediately starts wondering if the sky is about to start falling. You can attribute whatever reactions to Snape you wish, and I think they'd all be valid because Snape is a complex character, but there's definitely shock, petty satisfaction, and cynical amusement. He certainly gets a little perverse kick out of the fact that he is a role model to James' son, that Harry is a Slytherin, and he could be known to gloat in the privacy of his quarters that James must be spinning in his grave. But you also know that Snape understands what is going on with Harry and why he is so important, and let's ignore for the moment that I didn't know that when writing it initially. Even taking what we knew post-Goblet of Fire about Snape owing his life to James Potter, it's still explainable and I'll explain. Snape's debt passed to Harry, and now Snape is also put in a position of responsibility over Harry as his head of house. He can't sit back, observe with a biased lens, be bitter, and occasionally try active sabotaging of Harry's life like he does in canon. Here he has to take an active role. He has to observe Harry closely, whether he wants to or not. He's sort of a parental figure for these kids, and he's definitely supposed to be a friendly authority figure, uh, an advocate for the students under his charge. I regard Snape as someone who takes his duties very seriously. I think that's a common trait, a very common trait, of Slytherins in general. That's what a good head of house ought to do, and to answer the question, yes, I think McGonagall sucks in that regard. I think she's too distant, but I don't want to get into her. Now, consider what we have since learned about Snape's role in the broader prophecy plot, And you have Snape even more dedicated to keeping Harry alive because of his destiny. In canon, he was resentful about it because of who he perceived Harry to be. But in this story, he has a clearer understanding of who Harry is and is becoming, and as a result, doesn't poison the relationship. When he sees and hears firsthand what Harry is doing and how Harry is thinking, when he demonstrates the Slytherin quality of being prepared for class with a professor who is known for asking questions... When he displays anything you could imagine Lily having done from what we later learn about Snape's feelings towards her, Snape gradually gets it that Harry is not James' son contrast that to the canon, and at every step of the way, Snape is accusing Harry of being a carbon copy of James. The whole dynamic is shifting, and it really does shift rapidly, because I think it makes a lot of sense for it to be timely. Snape is a very intelligent man. Anyone who wants to argue this is welcome to talk potions, aka chemistry, and magic, aka physics, with me at any time. Because Snape is able to view Harry as his own person, they are able to build a positive teacher-student relationship. Snape has a position of influence on Harry, and it's influence that is not, quote-unquote, darkish, a la the Malfoys and not It's a Slytherin influence, but it's the other side of Slytherin that Slughorn represents. And Ray, Omley, Cody, Mike, myself, the Slytherins who value ambition, excellence, and shrewd thinking. The Sorting Hat tells Harry that he would do well in Slytherin, and I believe it's because he would have found the traits in himself to be what Omly defined as the heir of Slytherin. Those are the traits that Snape demonstrates for Harry. And that's all I have to say about Snape. But what has also become twisted, almost beyond recognition, is the added dimension of Sirius. Where Harry so obviously thinks Snape is downright spiffy, Sirius has a lot of leftover hatreds. Those are sure to have stayed with him in Azkaban, and we see in canon that they don't play nicely together. Sirius has to muzzle himself to keep from barking too loudly about Snape, because otherwise Harry could resent him. It's the same as with the Malfoys, and Sirius has to tread very carefully in order not to push Harry away from him. Harry, for his part, understands that Sirius cares only about his best interests, which is entirely canon-based, and even emphasized here a bit because I really identify with Sirius and feel that he is the best thing in the world for Harry. Harry recognizes the tension between Sirius and Snape, and he's already called Sirius out on it. Sirius, for his part, has admitted that Snape probably grew up a bit since school. Obviously, they haven't had their sniping little conversations that drove Sirius insane in Order of the Phoenix, and with the dynamic shift I've made here, I hope to avoid that sort of confrontation, that sort of negativity, that sort of spitefulness, I guess you could say, between the two. And if they can both manage to behave like adults, and if Sirius can believe Snape has Harry's interests at heart, things will probably settle into a cool camaraderie. They will presumably be working in the Order together, and as Sirius is free, a lot of that tension is gone as well. Sirius can go out in public and, and so forth, and he, they can be equals in, in that respect when the time comes. In the same vein, I'd like to briefly discuss Sirius and the Malfoys. A lot of the same sort of tension exists in this dynamic that as that between Sirius and Snape. It's Gryffindor versus Slytherin, Order of the Phoenix versus former Death Eater, yes, but it's also personal because of the family connection. Sirius and Narcissa are first cousins. The Malfoys have been good to Harry, and as much as it pains him to do it, Sirius thanks them. Harry's word goes a long way, but Sirius is so suspicious of Lucius that he can't believe it. In a way, Sirius is the embodiment of the reader. You don't trust Lucius, Malfoy, and you're cheering every time Sirius says so. You're glad someone is finally saying to Harry, Hey, he's a bad guy. Sirius can make the case to Harry of a worldview that is very alien from the one he's been experiencing until now. Harry is going to listen to Sirius and hear him because he knows that Sirius loves him and has his best interests as a priority. Remus does what he can, but he's in the capacity as a teacher. I see his limits being very similar to Snape's limits as, as much as you've previously discussed the very uncommon way of written Snape. That's a little deliberate right there. There's a line, and you don't cross it. Sirius can say the things Remus couldn't, and what he's telling Harry contradicts things Harry has heard about Muggleborns. And when it's hammered repeatedly that his mother was Muggleborn, Harry has two choices. He can either grow to hate that part of himself, like a certain Dark Lord did, or he can recognize that the absolute maxim he's been hearing is not so absolute. In short, Sirius fixes Harry. You were all demanding something be done to counteract the bad that Slytherin has done. Sirius is the only one Harry could possibly listen to, excepting perhaps Remus after he resigns. I had to save him. Do you really want to contemplate how far Harry would fall if Sirius had to go on the run? I didn't want to take the story in that direction. I know where I want Harry to wind up, it's just a matter of how to arrange things so that happens. The Malfoys are imparting the good and the bad side of Slytherin. If Harry can reject the bad but keep the good, he'll go in a much different direction. Rather to say he'll go in the same direction in an entirely different way. Last thought. Nobody gave me grief about the accelerated pace of events on the night of the Big Escape to achieve the end I wanted. I very carefully plotted this out. I keep a calendar to plan things, and I looked up the time of moonrise on the actual full moon that month. It was shortly after 10 o'clock, if I recall correctly, and I figured dinner be about 6 to 7, and 3 hours is more than enough time. And I did it all without a time-turner. Thank you. That's all I have. Death
5: signing off.